previously on the Sports Refuge podcast. Yeah, that's what spurred it on. Necessity is the mother of invention, and you needed some sports action in your life. From Delaware, almost live, this is a Sports Refuge podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Welcome to the Sports Refuge podcast, the show where guests share their connection to sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. It's October, and you know what that means. Playoff baseball is underway, and the hunt for the Commissioner's Trophy has begun. In this episode, I talk with fans of the teams in the playoff hunt. Representing the teams in the hunt are as follows. Talking about the San Diego Padres is Tara Mergia. Discussing the Cincinnati Reds is Bobby Olson. Representing the New York Mets is Brandon Burns. The Philadelphia Phillies are being represented by Brian Bang. Chris Posadas talks all things Oakland Athletics. Phil Chinnery shares his thoughts on the Toronto Blue Jays. And my brother, Edward Holland, talks about the wild ride the Seattle Mariners had in 2021. Representing the teams in the playoff field are Willie Marks discussing the St. Louis Cardinals' meteoric rise to an NL wildcard spot. Sergio Arambula recapping the Los Angeles Dodgers season. John Hernandez sharing his thoughts on the NL West winning San Francisco Giants. Hunter Quinn as he marvels at the pitching of the NL Central champion Milwaukee Brewers. David Cross talks about the NL East champion Atlanta Braves. Vinny Veradarajan as the New York Yankees fan rep. Rich Swift giving his thoughts and predictions on the AL West champion Houston Astros. And longtime Tampa Bay Rays fan Megan Kim shares why she feels the Rays will return to the Fall Classic. And while you may notice that two teams are missing from the list, the Boston Red Sox and Chicago White Sox, I wanted to let you know that I made several efforts to reach out to fans of both teams on social media to no avail. I hope that next time, I'll be able to find fans of those teams for the next postseason. But as for the teams we do have, let's start with what I like to call the other guys. National League wildcard contenders. Under a new ownership, the Mets made a big splash acquiring Francisco Lindor from the Cleveland Indians to stabilize their middle infield. And even were holding on to the lead in the National League East for a while until a few struggles and injuries hit them. And now they are trying to fight for the playoff lives, not only trying to reclaim the East, but also claim a wild card spot. And here with me to talk about the New York Mets and their playoff chances, longtime Mets fan, Brandon Burns. How are you doing today, Brandon? Good, Earl. Thanks for having me. First thing, I just wanted to ask you, I know there has to be a story about someone living in Pittsburgh being a fan of the New York <laughs> Mets. How did that go? Am I assuming it's Bobby Bonilla related or something? Uh, you know, actually, Earl, growing up in eastern Pennsylvania myself, actually, uh, my dad was actually a Mets fan uh, all his life. So, you know, he goes all the way back to the uh, Miracle Mets of 69 and then uh, in the 73. And then, uh, you know, I was born uh, right around the uh, time they had uh, Strawberry and Gooden there in 86. So I really just picked up his uh, fandom uh, from there and uh, been kind of the antagonist uh, no matter where I've lived now in the uh, the course of my life. So whether it be against Phillies fans or even now here in uh, Pittsburgh with Pirates fans. Uh, makes it very interesting. In your mind, I know there's been a lot to look at. What's the most memorable moment of your time as being a Mets fan? Well, you can always harken back to the uh, the glory days, uh, you know, when we made the series in 2000, even the playoff run that they had, uh, you know, with Murphy standing on his head against the Cubs and then going to the series against the Royals. But for me, I think, you know, as a fan, really kind of being able to be in the moment, being close to the city there, we were actually uh, lucky enough to get tickets to the final Mets win at Shea, 
Uh, so when Santana threw the uh, three-hit shutout, when they're in playoff contention there in uh, 08, I think you know for me being there live and being you know, able to see that and really experience not only the stadium kind of in its last you know weekend of glory, but then also you know seeing the Mets fans as we got on the train, we were still neck and neck with the Brewers that day, and having that chance to get into the playoffs, you know that was big for me. So to see that live. Going into the season, what were the expectations? I know acquiring Lindor and, of course, the change of ownership away from the Wilpons. I know a lot of stuff had already happened with the firing of the GM, Jared Porter, and then, of course, Rojas being the guy as the manager. He wasn't, of course, the manager that was supposed to be there as a result of everything that went down with the Astros. But going in, clean slate. What were the expectations for this season, especially in what looked like it was going to be a very competitive National League East? Well, I think honestly, when we uh, you know got the new ownership, I think as a Mets fan, you know, you look back over the years, and yes, they've had their complete flubs on free agency. You know, we always you know harken back to the Bonilla signing and how that's turned into the albatross contract that everybody makes fun of us for on July first there. But you know, I think having that influx from getting Cohen in as you know having that money and kind of looking at the market of New York and saying you know, hey, now the Mets can now really be competitive on, you know, potentially being in the market for all the free agents. And then when they did make the deal for Lindor, my expectations were sky high because I think, you know, when you look at that lineup top to bottom with Alonzo, with McNeil, Conforto, and with Dom Smith having a great year last year, you know, I think that the biggest thing, as it's always been with the Mets, is, you know, can we stay healthy throughout the year? Because I think when you stacked up even their pitching staff against anybody else in the league between, you know, DeGrom, Syndergaard coming back off injury. And when they got Carrasco as well as part of the Lindor deal, you know, that's one of those things to where you could stack that starting five up against anybody in that lineup. And, you know, that's going to be a dangerous team. And I had World Series expectations with them, you know, from the start. Was there a point in the season that you were confident that the Mets were going to the playoffs? Was it when they were leading the division, especially fending off Washington, Mm -hmm. Philadelphia, Atlanta as well, even the small flurry from the Marlins as well? To you, what was that point where you're thinking, yep, the National League East is running through New York City? When you look back at right around the All-Star break, right when DeGrom went down with his injury, you know, I think if we have a full year of DeGrom, I think he's carrying us right through this entire stretch because, you know, he was completely unhittable. And really, I think he's the MVP of the league if he doesn't get hurt this year. And as we've looked at, you know, a lot of the injuries, you know, having Carrasco coming back, having potentially Syndergaard coming back, Walker's pitched really, really well up until that point. From that perspective, you know, I thought we were kind of right in that mix to say, you know, hey, Lindor's coming back, getting in a stride. You know, Conforto was kind of 50-50, but I think a lot of those guys were just coming out of that slump right around the All-Star break, and we didn't have the rash of injuries that we did. I I think that was the point to where we really could have you know, made an additional move to stay in it, if not go for it. What was the point where you were concerned about their playoff status? Uh, Realistically, I I think it was right around when we got Javi Baez, be truthful, because, you know, I think... It's a name, but I don't think it was the move that we needed to make, truthfully. I wish we would have went and got Bryant, potentially, from the Cubs. 
But, you know, I think as we looked at the Mets, especially in their swoon that they had in their mid-August, when we had the back-to-back series there with the Dodgers and the Giants, I think we lost 11 out of 15. They were playing uh, those two teams, and I think we had a series against the Nationals in there as well. But, you know, I think that right there, you know, the bats went cold, pitching kind of went haywire as well. So from that perspective, that's kind of where I think most of our playoff hopes and kind of went out the window. We went from, I think, three up to six back in, in a matter of a week and a half. So, Whose charge in the National League East race surprised you the most? Was it the Phillies? Was it the Braves? Or was it even more shocking seeing the Nats fall from where they were, especially two years ago? They were the World Series mm-hmm. champs. I think the Nats fall was probably the most shocking, just seeing how they tore that down as quickly as they did. You know, trading out Scherzer and Turner, you know, is going to be a big blow to that club. I don't know if Soto would be able to necessarily, you know, keep them going. But as they played, you know, I think the Phillies were a big turnaround this year. They got hot real quick. But I think the Braves are probably the, you know, outside of, say, you know, the Mets, they seem to be the top team in that division kind of year in, year out the way they've been built. So I know that. Looking at how good Jacob DeGrom is, he was putting up numbers that are pretty much out of this world. What is the best way to go forward with him, especially knowing that he's had several stints on the DL this year? And you know that, of course, pitching is a rare commodity. Good pitching is an even rarer commodity. How do you go forward with him, especially knowing that he's having durability issues? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and I know this has kind of just been a qualm of Mets fans over the years, is you know as you look at the run support that the Rams gotten, I think honestly, and you can look back at his record, even the years that he's won the Cy Young, he's coming in with a, a 500 record because he can't get any run support. And I think you know when you look at the way Degrom pitches and kind of the run support he's gotten, he's in that one nothing two one game all the time to where he's got to pitch the eight complete game potential to whereas you know if he could get some run support in you know maybe he's getting pulled in the sixth and seventh inning if they have an actual you know half decent lead and he's not having to stand on his head every night you know as we look at that perspective but I think you know the biggest thing I'm kind of hoping for this team as we kind of move forward is looking at the you know potential to spend from the new ownership group can we get another force in there you know that he doesn't have to be the Number one, all being, you know, can we get a, a 1A, 2B type scenario, which I kind of thought we might have there with Stroman and potentially Syndergaard coming back. Looking at the playoffs, the Mets, there's still plenty of time left to make a run. If they make the playoffs, who do you think the Mets match up the best with in the National League playoffs? Well, I'm, I'm hoping, I think it's going to be a miracle if they get there. Realistically, I think we do match up with the Braves the best. If everybody was completely healthy, you know, I, you know, like I said earlier, I'd throw that staff up against anybody, especially if we had, you know, uh, going into a five game series of DeGrom, Stroman and Syndergaard and having, you know, Carrasco coming in as the four. But, you know, as we look at that, you know, I think that the Braves probably, I think from top to bottom, we match up with the best. We haven't played great against the Dodgers. I think that we haven't won a home game against them in probably about two or three years from that perspective. But, uh, you know, I'd probably say the Braves and then probably Milwaukee in a close second. I'm assuming of the teams that you did not mention, the ones you do not want to see in the playoffs, who scares you the most? Is it, and we talk about the Mets and their history and Mm -hmm. how they are an amalgamation of both the Dodgers and the Giants, but who of those bizarro twins do you worry about the most as a Mets fan in the playoffs? 
I think it would be the Dodgers just coming in, looking at their staff, um, especially what they have now with Scherzer, Bueller, realistically thinking of, you know, Kershaw as a three. That's a tough pitching staff to look at. And then, you know, their lineup top to bottom, um, especially with, you know, Betts, Muncy's out there, you know, Bellinger, Turner, you know, that's a tough, tough lineup to get through. So, you know, I, I personally think they're going to be probably the team to beat there in the NL this year. What about the job Luis Rojas is doing? I know that everybody was looking at Carlos Beltran before everything fell, but how would you best describe his job, especially knowing that the pedigree that he has with Felipe Alou being his dad? I can honestly say uh, I had high hopes for him coming into the season. I think you know, as the you know season's really progressed, he's made some terrible decisions and I think the biggest one could be you know even harkening back to when we were just playing the Marlins he had first base open and you know completely misplayed that the Marlins best hitter was coming up next and you know it's Bob in the ninth potentially you know can get out of this he had a 158 hitter hitting behind him and he pitched to the hottest hitter the Marlins had and he hit one right over Nimmo's head so you know as we look at that I don't think he's truly looking into you know, the situational baseball that I think a lot of those managers really tie themselves into. And then, uh, you know, he's not really doing himself any justice in the postgame press conferences when, you know, he's asked about, you know, hey, did you think about this scenario? And, you know, to flat out say, well, I didn't really think of that or I didn't notice that. It's one of those things to where for me as a fan, you know, are you truly paying attention to what's going on in the game? And, you know, really looking at that analytics side of things, but also, you know, just having the feel of the game to say, hey, we don't want to pitch to your hottest hitter. Let's go get the guy that's hitting below the Mendoza line behind him. I always wonder when it comes to managers, which is a little more alarming, one who thinks they're the smartest guy in the room or someone who's a little in over their head? You know, as a Mets fan, it, it's it's always that that weird back and forth, you know, because you got, you know, on the one side of things, you had the Bobby Valentines that, you know, made more moves and thought he was the smartest person ever and made more pitching changes, pulled more pinch hitters, you know, than you could ever, you know, want to. But then you have the other end where I think kind of Rojas is that door. I feel like he just throws his lineup out there and doesn't really truly think to say, you know, hey, is this a good situation where we can pull for a pitch hitter? Or, you know, hey, just walking that guy. Or even, you know, with the bullpen as well, you know, for the amount of times that Diaz has completely blown up. It's, you know, as the closer, you know, he has also Familia who has closing experience there. You know, going to Familia if he is the hot hand, you know, just kind of keep rolling the same three, four, five moves out. It really burned us uh, throughout the year. Looking at the prediction for the World Series, who do you have coming out of the American League? Who do you have coming out of the National League? Who wins the World Series and in how many games? So this year, definitely thinking the Dodgers are going to go back. I don't know if you know anybody can really touch them this year. I think uh, Milwaukee might have a good shot at it just with their horses that they have at the top of their rotation as well. And then having a hater at the back end, I think that's a great equalizer as we look at that. On the American League side, I think the White Sox really have the team to do it this year. A lot of young talent on that team, especially with Abreu and kind of Mokata, you know, running that team. I think that's definitely going to be the team coming out of the AL. Realistically, I think the, the White Sox might take it. I think, you know, with the moves that they've made and then having that kind of lightning in the bottle, kind of getting back there for the first time in a little bit. I think. You know, as we've kind of looked at baseball, you know, if you've been there, you know, multiple times, you expect to be there, but, you know, because complacency come in for the Dodgers. So I think White Sox and uh, probably about six in that Dodger pitching staff. 
this is the first White Sox prediction I got about going to the World Series. I feel like a lot of people are just sort of seeing how mediocre the division the American League Central is and seeing how the White Sox are just coasting, sort of like how the Brewers are coasting, but the Reds and the Cardinals are a bit more competitive in the National League Central as opposed to basically everybody else being under 500 and being subpar in the American League Central. Yeah, and I think, you know, as you look at the competition that the White Sox might have, I think we see the Rays, but they necessarily don't have the horses that they did last year with Glasnow being there and even Morton. So, you know, from that perspective, is it going to be one of those things to where that could potentially be the case? Mm -hmm. As we start to wrap it up, do you have any shout outs you want to give? What are ways people can reach out to you, talk Mets baseball on social media? Yeah, big shout out to obviously, uh, you know, my old Shorebirds crew. I think still being involved in the game, still talk to a bunch of those guys there at the Shorebirds. And then for me, follow me on Twitter at Brandon Burns, always up to talk a little baseball. And as you guys might have heard there briefly, the little furry one was barking there at the uh, neighbors as they walked up the street. But from that perspective, I give a shout out to uh, the furry one Baxter here. Following last year's MLB playoff birds, especially in the 2020 season where there were 16 teams in the playoffs, the San Diego Padres were looking to mount that momentum and take it into the next season. And they were off to a torrid start. And then something happened on the way to the playoffs, especially in September. But there's still plenty of time left. So who knows how quickly they can turn it around. Here to talk about the Padres and their chances for the playoffs, which are still around, is longtime Padres fan. Tara Merguia, thank you for being on the show. I really do appreciate it. I was able to get Tara as a result of Cardinals fan Willie Marks, and he was able to connect me with her, and I'm glad to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Tara. Thanks for having me, and yeah, let it be Willie and Willie's team that potentially do us dirty and knock us out of uh, playoff contention, so kind of ironic. I wanted to ask you, starting off this interview, how did you become a Padres fan? What drew you to the Padres? So I'm kind of a, I'm a tomboy at heart. So I've played sports my entire life. Uh, currently, my husband and I play on adult softball league. So softball, baseball is a big part of our lives. I've been a Padres fan since high school. I'm in my mid thirties now. So going on almost two decades. And from the Trevor Hoffman days and the Ken Caminetti days to now the Fernando Tatis and the Joe Musgroves. So kind of seen it all been through this pendulum of emotions year over year. And I would say like most San Diego teams, we are a heartbreak team. We're now a football-less city, but we still have the Padres and they gave us so much hope last season and so much hope this season. And, and now we'll kind of have to see how it goes. But yeah, it's hard being a San Diego sports fan. Let me just say that. No, I can imagine. I mean, but at least you guys do have the nice weather there. I think a lot we, of people we, feel for that. We pay for it in a lot of ways. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what is your most memorable moment as a Padres fan? Was it the World Series run? Was it even the Joe Musgrove no hitter that occurred uh, earlier this season? So I have two on my list. The Joe Musgrove no-hitter was certainly very memorable. It's the first one in franchise history. But, you know, like I said, I was a Trevor Hoffman fan. So his retirement in 2011, despite the fact that, you know, he left the Padres and went and played with another team and then came back to retire as a Padre, was also very memorable. So I'm wearing a, a, an old school Padre a Hoffman jersey. And so, yeah, you know, it's just the highs and lows of it all. But, you know, the Musgrove no-hitter was, was pretty memorable. The community as a whole really rallied around that because his family's local. So it was just great to see. And, he, and he's had actually a, a pretty good season. I mean, everyone has their highs and lows. But from our pitching disaster that we have currently going on, um, at least he's had, I think most would consider a, a pretty good season. 
Going into the year, I know the huge momentum coming back from the playoffs in 2020, as I've been quoting to it many times as the bizarro season because of COVID and the uh, 16-team playoff. What were you expecting the Padres to do, especially in a division that, of course, you have the reigning not only NL champions, but World Series champions and a surprising Giants team as well? Right, yeah, to have the Giants kind of bounce back the way they have this season with where they were last season has been shocking. Shot the Padres again, heartbreak central, we thought, coming into the season. Up until really the break, you know, things were looking good. And after the break, we we're a little bit rocky. You know, we had a bunch of trades going on with pitching. We picked up uh, a really good RBI header in Frazier. But yeah, the last month, the wheels have come off. Snell's gotten better in pitching, but then, you know, we got injuries with Lamette. I mean, we have injuries with just the bullpen, the firing of the pitching coaches was also a little bit of a disaster. And then, you know, with the management team, whether it's AJ Peller or Jace Tingler, just constantly kind of changing the the lineup and the layout, moving people around and trying to figure out what's going to work is just not working. So I think we still, I don't know what the the sports lines are at 1%, 4% chance of still making the playoffs. But yeah, we got, we're three and a half games behind. We got 12 games left and we got the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Braves. So it's not an easy stretch coming up. When did you feel optimistic the Padres were going to the playoffs? I know things were rolling well, especially even with Tatis getting hurt and then making the move from shortstop to the outfield, temporarily pulling the, as I call it, the Robin Yount, going from shortstop to, to a little bit of the outfield. What were some of the things that made you think, okay, we're going to the playoffs. We're going to give everybody in the NL and not only the NL, the NL West, a run for their money. You know, you know, five all-star picks. I mean, it's the bats were heating up. Cronenworth, Darvish was doing pretty good after the injury. Yeah, Tatis jumping back from the injury. So people's injuries started looking a lot better. But then you go back and look at the number of hours that our pitching has missed. It's one of the highest in this in the league. And so again, that just ended up being a deflating. But yeah, the bats warming up was a huge thing. It was really about a month ago when things started to change a little bit. So it's good to see our rookie shine. You know, Tatis is he is our franchise tag. He is our guy for the next 13, 14 years. Him being a little fragile with injuries is a little concerning, but he was able to stick out the season. Hopefully he gets potentially, I think, the surgery that he might need at the end of the season and he can bounce back. But yeah, we'll kind of see what happens. But we got Machado did really good this season. Hosmer's been up and down. Myers has been up and down. You know, really some of our, our core guys have stepped up. Our rookies and Profar and Hassan Kim is another one. Some of our second string guys have been really good. So it's been really exciting to see sort of the younger guys that are were no names a year ago or not no names in San Diego, but across the, the league have really stepped up. So I think the future is still bright for us. I, I think we're going to have, don't want to say we're not going to make it, but we've got a great foundation to continue building off of. And, you know, there's always next season. What was the sign that made you a little concerned that, okay, the grip of the playoffs are slipping from us because the Padres were holding on to that second wildcard spot for a while. Everybody thought it was going to be three teams coming out of the West to make it to the playoffs at that point. To you, when did it all fall apart? Last weekend in in St. Louis. Really, we've always been really neck and neck with the Reds. Reds are a good team. Cincinnati's a good team. Didn't really expect St. Louis to come out like they did because we've had a, a couple decent home stands. But yeah, this last, what was it? 10, 11 game road trip really did us bad. And then it's kind of the nail in the coffin this last week and being swept by St. Louis. So, and then, like I said, we got Giants, Dodgers, and a makeup game with the Braves coming up that 
It's going to be hard, man. The month of September as a whole is hard. We've already had the Dodgers. We've already had the Giants. And we did do well against the Giants. So there is hope. I mean, we did pretty good against the Giants last week. So maybe we can repeat some of that and, and take the entire series. But yeah, it would be a, yeah, what do they call it? The Fenway Miracle at Petco Park. I mean, I guess we'll, I guess we'll see. How would you best assess this season if the Padres didn't make the playoffs? I mean, I know it's been a lot of ups and downs, especially we talked about Musgrove's no-hitter, the comeback against the Nationals. And then I know on the other hand, just seeing them lose the grip, the the argument in the dugout that happened over the weekend and stuff like that. How would you best assess this season if the Padres don't make the playoffs? Well, you know, I think we need our guys to come through at the end. I mean, we need our core set of guys to come through at the end and whether Machado and Tatis getting in it. And I mean, everyone's passionate about it. You can tell the team is really passionate. They're all super committed to it. I think Jace Tingler has been, I'm actually, for the most part, a a pretty big fan of him. A lot of people don't like the way he's been moving people around at at the end of the day, but we're trying to find something that works. And when things aren't working, you got to make changes. So, you know, I think at the end, if you don't make the playoffs, everyone's disappointed. But, you know, to even be in that contention with where San Diego used to be as a team a few years ago, I think says a lot about kind of going after that that farm style of recruitment in, in players. And so it, disappointing, yeah, but, you know, until somebody knocks the Dodgers out at the knees, we're always going to be in a really, really tough conference So uh, and a really tough division. So NL West this year is just, it's been pretty spot on. And we also, we can't lose games to Colorado and we can't lose games to Arizona, bottom line. We can't lose games like that. And, and we lost too many games to teams like that. Yeah, and it's interestingly enough, I was thinking, especially looking at Tatis, especially being able to retain him for such a long time, him being basically the face of the franchise for the foreseeable future. I know as a lot of fans would worry about teams losing players and them wearing either pinstripes or wearing Boston colors or in the other case, I guess in your case, Mets colors or Dodgers colors. And that would be a huge thing, especially me being an Orioles fan. I was glad that Machado went to San Diego, went one, far (laughs) away out the West, so doesn't haunt us. And two, he's not wearing pinstripes. So at that point, whatever he does over there is not my problem or not my concern. So I, But I know it has to be glad to to see the the Padres ownership spend the money and, and keep Tatis, especially after they've already shelled out a lot from Machado as well. Well, you know, with Machado, being a former Dodger, a lot of us didn't like Machado. I mean, he was kind of a dirtbag player for a while, a dirty player. And I think his attitudes turned around and changed. I I think he's kind of, I mean, he's 29 years old, right? I mean, he's matured as a player. He's been around for a while. I think that's starting to shine through. And for the most part, for the season, his, his bats were doing well. His fielding's been great. Him moving to the shift has really worked for us as a team, strategy-wise, moving him from third out to uh, the shift. And so, you know, it's been kind of nice to see his leadership shine through. So we'll see what next season brings. Yeah, I think the biggest thing when he and Bryce Harper were free agents, everybody was worried about all the red flags that came out, especially, it, it's funny, It, I guess, and being an Orioles fan, I didn't really... Well, we tried to ignore the red flags because they weren't as bad. Uh, He wasn't A-Rod level yelling, I got it, or trying to knock gloves out of people's hands and things like that. So that to us, it wasn't as bad. And we saw time against Oakland or something like that. It's like, well, hey, you got to stick up for yourself against the big boys. But, you know, I I think that's the biggest thing. Like you said, the maturity of Manny Machado is huge. And I think right now it's not sunk cost. The money is well worth it so far in the eyes of uh, Padres fans. 
Right, for sure. I mean, we spent big, big money on Hosmer. We spent big money on even Will Myers five years ago. And, you know, Will Myers wasn't really doing anything until last season and this season. So Hosmer has been kind of lukewarm at times. So, yeah, I mean, it's nice to see the franchise spending money. Now we need these guys to just kind of step it up and complete the full season and, and, and get us there as a team. When it comes to the playoffs, if the Padres make the playoffs, who's the team in the National League that you feel like you match up the best with? Well, you know, like I said, I mean, it depends if the Reds are, are going to lock up that position. I feel like competitively that, you know, the Reds have been kind of an on-par team for us to to compete against. And obviously at that, I don't want to say that, that mid-level in the division, but they are someone that we'll have to see. But, you know, when it comes down to who's going to be in the, the final game, who's it going to be? Are we going to see another Dodger-Astro repeat? I mean, is there going to be some karma that comes around or is Vlad going to get it with the Blue Jays? I mean, I think it's it's very interesting to see, um, you know, who it might be. I, I do ultimately think it's going to be an NLS team that is going to come through in the in the big game, in the final game and probably end up winning it. But who's on the other side of that? It's going to be interesting. But, you know, right now we'll have to see the next two weeks go. As a Padres fan, what team scares you in the playoffs? If, if if the Padres make the playoffs, who scares you in the playoffs? Is it the Dodgers? Is it the Giants? Is it the Brewers? Is it whoever comes out of the East? Because I know that's a uh, two-team race right now with the with the Phillies and the Braves as well. Yeah, you know, Brewers, we got we to gotta select them from the Brewers. I think it's just, there's just this, everyone hates the Dodgers, just like everyone hates the Yankees on the East Coast. But on the here in San Diego, it, I just hate the Dodgers. I am, and I'm afraid of the Dodgers because they're so good. Even with a few of the players that they got rid of last year or traded away, they're, they've still have a recipe that works. And obviously they picked up Trey Turner. They got Max Scherzer, which we were making a play at Scherzer as well. So they had the same, we were all thinking sort of the same thing and they're a threat to be contended with. But yeah, unfortunately, just like last season, when we, uh, we did make it to the wild card game, we got knocked out by the Dodgers. So it's like, they're always that those gatekeepers. And, you know, we've swept them a few times this season or in, and certainly handed them their own shellackings. But at the end of the day, they're always the team that kind of rivalry standpoint, talent standpoint. Yeah, they're definitely the big boys to compete against. Looking at the World Series preview, who do you have coming out of the National League? Who do you have coming out of the American League? Who wins it all? And in how many games? First, I think we're going to get a full seven games. I love seeing the full seven games. It's it's great that I think the level of competition has, has gotten us to where it's not so one-sided. National League, it's obvious to be either the Dodgers or the Giants. I'll, I'll say I'm going to be a little biased in NL West. And then, you know, on the American League or on the other side, let's just say Blue Jays, Astros, Tampa Bay could be in there, Brewers could be in there. Yeah, it'd be nice to not have the Dodger-Astro repeat. But it'd be nice to see it as well because went to a Padre game over Labor Day weekend. And let me tell you, the booing with the Astros is still very much there even at the end of the season. And we weren't even affected by it per se, but it's certainly still there. So, you know, people might want to see part two, just like everyone likes to see part two and, you know, all these MMA fights and stuff. So maybe we'll see it again. But in this case, who do you cheer for if it's Dodgers Astros? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think we just give them ratings. At that point, we just give them the ratings and then, uh, yeah, it's like, do you want your division to win? Do you want your conference to win? Yeah, it's hard to say. No, you just you just watch it and, and hope for a good game. Do you have any shout outs? And then what are ways people can reach out to you on social media to talk Padres baseball and more? Yeah, for sure. So I'm actually involved in a project called EncoreFan.com. So it's a new social fantasy website that we're building from the ground up where you can create your own pools for historical NBA 
for we have NFL Pool 22. It's just kind of this unique way to put together sort of a, a seated contest and, and compete weekly with your friends. And so I'm definitely I'm a super fan on that website. So you can find me on there. And so it's EncoreFan, E-N-C-O-R-E-F-A-N.com. As well, you know, on Instagram, you can, I have a very unique first name, first and last name, but Tara M is how you can find me on Instagram as well. And then if the Padres make a run for it, maybe you see me at a game. The Philadelphia Phillies are in the thick of the NL East playoff race, as well as the NL wildcard race. And here with me to talk about the Phillies and their chances to clinch a spot in the playoffs is longtime Phillies fan and a good friend of mine, Brian Banks. Brian, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well, Earl. You know, you know, great to be here. And thank you for being on. I know, like I said, when I when I knew the Phillies were in the hunt of it, I'm like, we even talked about this a few weeks back, a few months ago. I'm like, if they just keep treading water, just watch, they'll get hot. And they did, and they took uh, a lead in the division for a little bit. And I know they're yeah. still battling it out with not only the Braves, but the Mets as well. But mm-hmm. um I wanted to ask you, how long have you been a fan of the Phillies and what made you become a Phillies fan? Man, it had to be like around like eight, nine, ten years old. Um, I played on the Phillies Little League team, so that kind of, you know, had an influence over that. Um, when I really started watching baseball, I became a Phillies fan as a result. <laughs> to you, what is the most memorable moment as a Phillies fan? I know, especially in the past 15 years, there have been so many different ones. But to you, which one stands out the most? I mean, it got to be the World Series win. I mean, of course, in 2008, you know, beat the Rays. Also, of course, you know, you got, you know, Roy Halladay, you know, rest in peace. But um, his perfect game and then the same season, no hitter in the playoffs. Then uh, thinking back like 91, Tommy Green when he threw his no hitter. That was cool. To you, coming into the season, I know after the weird, as we call it, the bizarro season of 2020, Phillies just falling on the outside, especially with a three-team race for that last spot, the eighth spot in the NL playoffs. What were your thoughts going into a full season with the expectation there was going to be a full season about what the Phillies could do with Girardi as manager, again, having a whole under 62-game slate to be able to uh, make an impact? Honestly, man, my expectations, like listening to broadcast on television, you know, overhyping everything up, I had the expectation they were going to be like, playing around 500 baseball because of the lineup that they have. I mean, you got veteran ball players, you know, might be hard for them to stay healthy, which that's proven to be a case this year. You know, I didn't think they were going to be in the playoff race now, but I'm glad that they are. <laughs> Trust me. I just thought they were going to be like floating around 500 the whole season, which I guess they are. <laughs> Was there a point in the season that made you feel confident about their playoff hopes, especially seeing how tough, I guess, battle-tested the National League East is as opposed to looking at the West where you have three juggernauts there? Was there some a point, a particular game or moment that made you think, you know, the Phillies can make the playoffs? I was just thinking that when they caught fire in August, at the end of July, beginning of August, um, when they won those games, like an eight-game winning streak. He was like, yeah, these guys are playing pretty good and continue to play well like that. And, you know, the pitching is solid. I mean, it doesn't have to be dominant, but solid, you know, not giving up any major hits or runs or anything like that. And the offense producing, I mean, I think, you know, they would have a chance to, you know, compete against the best team. Was there a moment where you thought, well, the Phillies don't have a snowball's chance in hell to make the playoffs? Yeah, it was like after that winning streak, (laughs) 
after the win streak, they uh, started dropping a bunch of series and struggled to try to keep their head above water. I mean, still fighting. Just looking at it, when you think about Joe Girardi coming in, I know there's a pedigree of him managing the Marlins and then managing the Yankees. To you, what was the initial thought, especially after the Gabe Kapler experiment ended and didn't go well, that Girardi could bring in there that the Phillies needed sorely? Well, I mean, it's a new leadership role. Get the players motivated. But um, I know they were at a disadvantage in the beginning because of the personnel that was been shifted around or um, trades here and there, you know, people coming in, people going. I just know that they were going to struggle early on, which they did. That's what I expected from them. But I didn't, you know, expect them, like, to go to the World Series or things like ESPN and places we're talking about craziness. What do you think Girardi's strength has been as a manager? I think he seems to let the players play, let the players be themselves and let the personality shine. What do you say has been the strength of this Phillies team this year? I know that signing Zach Wheeler a while back, that also proved to be huge. And I know that him in and Arietta out. But what do you think has been the strength of this Philly squad and allowed them to be competitive in the um, National League East? You know, I wasn't really a fan of him when he came in. Still kind of borderline, but Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper's been a huge part about um, how the Phillies has been staying in the race. He's been hitting well over the past month, month and a half. So, I mean, he's been the spark plug. So, everybody's been rallying around. Yeah, I know when it comes to Bryce Harper, uh, like you said, we've talked about it all fair many times that you felt like the money could have been better spent, but... To you, what do you feel that Harper brings to this team as well? I know it's another question about what can this person bring to the Phillies organization, but what do you feel like he does bring to him? I know there's always a mentality. He's a hard-nosed player and does a lot of stuff, and then he sometimes he can carry a team at a point. Yeah, I mean, he goes in each day, plays hard. Didn't really see any of those um, the negatives like I saw when he played with Washington so far. So, I mean... He seems like he rallies the team around him. He's always rallying. He is always in front of the camera, always lots of energy. You need that on a team in order for the team to stay in the positive mindset. Going into the playoffs, if the Phillies make the playoffs, who do you feel the Phillies match up the best with in the National League? Who do you feel like could be a good test for them that they could probably overcome? I mean, if the Phillies get in a wild card, I mean, I would say Atlanta. I mean, that will be the team that will they be they will match up with the best. They're a division rival. It could go either way. They beat each other up. So <laughs> I would say they match up as the Braves. Looking at the team that you as a Philly fan would not want to see if they make the playoffs, who's the team that scares you as Philly as a Phillies fan in the in the National League? Well, I mean <laughs> the rest of them. <laughs> 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 I don't see a Dodgers, Giants, Milwaukee. I really don't see Philly getting past them unless, you know, they get on a streak, go into the playoffs on a streak, like a lot of teams have in the past. Like your Rockies team back, it was like 07-ish. You know, they got on a hot streak like right at the, like the final month of the season. 
and ran through the playoffs. Of course, they weren't successful winning the World Series, but, you know, anything can happen. Aside from Harper, who else has stood out on this roster that has really made an impact to help the Phillies to get where they are at the moment? I also think, you know, Andrew McCutcheon, being the veteran presence in the lineup, he seems like he gives the team a spark when he's in there. I know he's, he was out for a while, a uh, little while early in the summer, and it, it seems like his absence hurt the team during that span because you didn't see that same kind of energy from the team when he was out than when he's uh, back in the lineup. Also, losing um, Didi Gregorius is huge, too. I mean, he's been out. That's been a loss because he produces when he's in the lineups. Missing him as well. And I think something that's really surprising is, looking up his stats, that he's having a stealthily quiet season. I know the average isn't where it is, 222, but 24 homers, 70 RBIs. (laughs) For a guy who finished in the top five of, of the MVP four times, finished in the top three of the MVP three times, and was an MVP himself in 2013. But as you mentioned, to have him... Basically, it's sort of an all-star team with him, McCutcheon, Gregorius, Segura, and I know Hoskins is getting there, and you got Hoskins him behind the plate. Well. Yeah, he's played well, but, you know, he's been hampered by injuries. But um, when he's healthy, he produces. Same thing with JT. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing. So do you feel that the Phillies are playing below their potential, or do you feel like they're playing right where it is? They have a huge, huge amount of guys with talent, and it sort of makes you wonder, are they underperforming? Well, I mean, I, I can't really say that. It's just they got to just come together. It's just one day it's one guy, one day it's another person. It seemed like they can't all come together at the same time. Now, we've seen like last month when they all came together, they were putting up like double-digit runs. They had that um, run streak, seven games with seven or more runs in a row. They can put up the runs once everybody's on that clicking, but – it's just inconsistent. It's wildly inconsistent. Looking at the playoffs and looking at the uh, World Series, who do you have coming out of the American League? Who do you have coming out of the National League? Who wins the World Series and in how many games? I think from the American League, I think Houston's going to go. I think Houston's going to go from American League. And also uh, from National, I think um, – I think Dodgers get in, and um, if they go in, I think they're going to go from the National League. And I think L.A. will win in six games. You know, and I think now that the Dodgers have been vindicated and they've gotten that burden off their back of winning the World Series where they've been stalled either by the Astros or the Nationals coming back in in that one playoff game or the Red Sox and things like that, that it might be their chance to just start a new dynasty. And it looks like – Everybody talking about how uh, I don't know about a dynasty, Earl. The competition's way, way up from when you know the Dodgers were like beating everybody, you know, from that time. But if they win it this year, I don't think they repeat. <laughs> yeah, and it's a crazy thing. I mean, technically, they had a mini Buffalo Bills type dynasty where they were getting yeah. there, getting to the World Series, getting the LCS, couldn't get over the hump with against the Cardinals. Right. Like I said, the the Nats rallying back, losing to the Red Sox, losing to the Astros, and now everybody would say it was last year, shortened season. If you didn't win it, then there would have been the problem, but it'll be interesting to see. They have the pitching, though. They, they take them there. If they all on, they're all healthy. 
Yeah, man, that that's scary in the playoffs. As we wrap this up, Ryan, do you have anyone you want to give shout outs to? Uh, what are ways people can reach out to you on social media to talk Phillies baseball? Um, Facebook, Brian Banks, Facebook. Shout out to everybody, you know, love all the people out there. So deuces to y'all. Yeah, just uh, Facebook. I'm on Twitter, but I never post anything at all. I just follow people, whatever, <laughs> news or whatever. But um. Yeah, Facebook is where I am. <laughs> Here to talk about the Cincinnati Reds, who are in the thick of the NL wildcard race, is someone I met by chance by going to a Cincinnati Reds game as part of uh, one of my uh, tours of some of the ballparks. This is my guest, Bobby Olson. Bobby, thank you for being on the podcast. Who knew that such a chance encounter at a game would turn out to lead to an interview? Yeah, thanks for having me, first off. And yeah, that was... a. Uh... An awesome thing that I met you, and you know, thanks for having me on. I know you're from Delaware, so kind of crazy to see somebody out in Cincinnati that's from all the way out in the east side. Definitely, and I really appreciate it. One of the first things I wanted to do, just getting into the conversation, how long have you been a Reds fan? What led to you becoming a Reds fan? Yeah, so I'm a, I would consider myself more of an unorthodox Reds fan. You know, I'm not from Cincinnati, didn't have any family from Cincinnati at all, so kind of how it started for me. I was a huge Ken Griffey Jr. fan. Actually, behind me is a Ken Griffey Jr. signed hat. It's a Mariners one. You know, don't give me too much of a tough time for that. When I was eight years old, he got traded to the Reds. And he was my favorite player, had all his baseball cards, loved the guy. So kind of just made me into a big Reds fan. You know, I was eight years old. That's when I really was playing it as a kid, fell in love with the game more and more. Um, So it just turned me really into a big Reds fan. I'm from Michigan. The Tigers also suck badly. It's the Bobby Higginson days, if anybody knows. Not good time. So I was really looking for another team to really root for. So it was nice. That's probably about the year 2000 that when I became a Reds fan. And been 21 years since. So And they still haven't won a World Series or barely been in the playoffs. So it's been it's been brutal. But, you know, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> to you, what was your most memorable moment as a Reds fan? Yeah. This is an easy one for me. So I think it was about 2007. My parents took me to my first Reds game as a kid. And I had, I brought my buddy along with me as well. And uh, it's crazy saying some of these names now, but Jim Edmonds played for the Cardinals during that day. And they were playing the Cardinals at Great American. He starts off the first inning, hits a grand slam. The Reds are down four nothing immediately. And my first game ever, I'm like, awesome. This is, this is excellent. Uh, it ends up, they end up coming back. Bottom of the ninth, David Ross, who's the manager now for the Cubs, he played for the Reds. He had a two-run walk-off home run to center. Uh, my first game ever, I got to see a walk-off home run. It was a probably 30,000 people there. It was just excellent moment. I'll never forget it. Going into the season, what were your expectations for the Reds? I know they made the playoffs in that we can call it the bizarro season of 2020 that was. And I know especially – seeing the field go back down from eight in each team to five. What were your expectations realistically thinking that the Reds could do this for the long haul in a full season? Yeah, well, to start off, they lost Bauer. So once they lost their their best pitcher, who also won the Cy Young, that immediately took down the expectations. You know, I was kind of expecting an 81 win ball club. And I'm a gambling man, too. I, I like the sports bet. I'm in Michigan. We got legal here. So I think Vegas had about 81 wins. That's kind of like, I base a lot of my expectations off what Vegas thinks because they're right a lot of the time. So I was like, all right, they're probably an 81 win ball club, probably won't make the playoffs. So yeah, they, they definitely have exceeded my expectations in a lot of ways because we're right there 
and uh, they've been playing a lot better ball than I expected them to. Uh, was there a point in the season you were confident that the Reds are going to the playoffs? Well, I don't think I've ever been confident since they've been in the wild card chase the entire time. But uh, may- maybe two weeks ago, they had a two-game lead on the Padres, like a five-game lead on the Cardinals, seven on the Phillies. So they were looking pretty good. Very excited at that moment. Um, and then shortly after, I mean, they've lost five series in a row. So um, they've kind of gone downhill a little bit. So it's, it's been tougher. But, yeah, a couple weeks ago, I was feeling pretty confident. It's changed a little bit. <laughs> was there a point you were worried about them in the playoff race? I know, especially you talk about the five consecutive series losses. But yeah. any other signs that made you think, oh, these guys are not going to make the playoffs or they're going to miss it so closely? You know, I, I see a lot of teams throwing more left-handed pitching at them. And they're like the second worst team in the majors at left-handed pitching. So I think teams are starting to realize their weakness and starting to attack it a little bit more, throwing left-handed starters and relievers at them. Um, and they're just not hitting the ball the same. They're not hitting the ball the same they were a couple weeks ago. I don't know where to put my foot on it, but it's a something's gone wrong and they need to quickly turn it around. We only got three weeks left and now they're, they're a game out of the playoff race now. Is there a team that if the Reds make the playoffs – you're looking forward to matching up with in the National League. Who do you think the Reds can knock out in a particular wild card or even NLCS opportunity? Yeah, I mean, that's that's tough. A lot of good teams out there. I, I say if they get to the wild card, because they're not winning the division. I mean, I think they're 12 games back of the Brewers, so they have to make the wild card. If they do, I'd prefer to play the Giants. I don't think anybody wants to play the Dodgers. If you do, you're insane. So I, I would probably take the Giants there, maybe in a one game. You just never know what could happen. The Giants' best pitchers are all right-handers. If the Reds get Winker back, they have Votto. They have some other good left-handed bats. I mean, they can make something happen in one game. If they get to a second round, give me anybody but the Dodgers. Let's just put it that way. I'll take the Padres. I'll take the uh, – well, it wouldn't be the Padres, but I'll take the Braves. And I'll play the Brewers, even though they've been the, the Reds have been pretty much 500 against the Brewers all year. So I, I would take that as well. What about the chance that the Phillies make it out of the East? Because that seems so strange. And even the Mets are slowly starting to resurface. So you'll take the East winner in that case? I would, yeah. I just think the East, I mean, the Braves have definitely come on. But the East isn't that strong right now. The Mets and Phillies shouldn't make it. There's some time left. There's three, four weeks left. But, uh, yeah, I just don't see either of them making it. And if they do, I mean, they're going to get knocked out wild card anyway. Who's the team that you don't want to see in the playoffs? I'm assuming it's the Dodgers, but aside from the Dodgers, who else really scares you? Uh, well, it's the Dodgers and Giants, but the Reds are going to have to play one of them. Right off the bat in the wild card, they have no choice. If they make the playoffs, they have to play one of them, and those are probably the two teams that scare me the most in the entire NL. So it's a tough question to answer because they're pretty much going to be playing one of the teams that I don't want them to play. Looking at the situation, you mentioned Trevor Bauer leaving Cincinnati to go to the Dodgers and to sort of handle this situation as best we can with kid gloves. How much of an impact would he have made on this team and how much of a bullet do you think you as Red fans were able to dodge with all the stuff that came out? Yeah, um, well, I'm definitely happy they got rid of him. Let's put it that way, because I don't think he would have ended up playing anyway for them. So in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, hindsight's 2020. Um, it, it worked out for them that they got rid of him. But yeah, I mean, let's say he had a full season. Yeah, I mean, the Reds probably would have would be a 90, 95 win team. I mean, you got another Cy Young player to add to their pitching staff with Luis Castillo, Male, Miley that's pitching well too. I mean, that'd be a tough ball club to beat. So, I mean, if they had him, it'd be excellent. But I'm obviously 
in the grand scheme of things, he, with all the allegations that happened and him not playing baseball, I'm, I'm fairly happy they did not hold on to him and his contract. <laughs> what have you seen in manager David Bell that has really made everyone optimistic about the future of the Reds? Well, I just like the fact that he was a ball player before, you know, and a pretty darn good ball player at that. So I always like, you know, uh, ball players that, you know, they used to play and they come in, um, you know, especially younger managers that have a lot more energy like he does. Um, and he just, he's made a lot, he's made a lot of good moves. I don't know if I can put my foot on exactly what he's done, but I feel like he has a good grasp of the team and their strengths and weaknesses. And he makes very good calls and when to throw relievers out, when to leave people in as far as starting pitchers and how far they can go into the game. I just think he's done a very good job managing that. Um, I've seen that he's uh, with Winker getting injured. A lot of these injuries we had with the rotation in the past uh, during the summer. I just don't think he could have done better. I mean, we had our entire rotation was gone. The, uh, the bullpen, I mean, the entire bullpen was injured. And we were still winning games because he was bringing people in to fill in uh, the spots. So I think he did an admirable job. I, I always say this, especially as I've seen all the teams that this man has managed win World Series a few years after. Do you think David Bill will be the guy to break the curse of Dusty Baker? Because apparently it seems in San Francisco, in Washington, and Chicago, each one of those teams, even though it was an extended amount of time since he, he left uh, Chicago and San Francisco, have won a World Series. And of course, Washington was a couple years removed from Dusty being the manager. And I still think that at the time when they went with Brian Price, that they really, Dusty Baker had a winning record and they decided to go with a pitching coach who didn't have any experience as a manager. But I mean, that's worked sometimes. You can look at uh, Bud Black. You can look at that as an example where it did work out. But then you can look at plenty of other guys like a Phil Regan or a Ray Miller where it didn't work out well. But do you feel that? David Bell is the next guy who can break this curse and help the Reds get their first World Series since 1990? I'm going to say yes, I do. I actually never even thought about what you just brought up, those statistics. That's amazing. It makes me feel a lot better about the fact that they might have a chance to win a World Series. Yeah, I think he can be the guy. I mean, he came right in. Um, yeah, we acquired some people like Moustakis and Castellanos and Bauer that in 2020. That definitely helped the team. Uh, but the team's not too much different than what they were even three years ago, really, in, in my opinion. And I think he's done an awesome job. I mean, they, they're playing better baseball than I would have ever expected. I think next year, they can even take another step forward. Looking at the World Series prediction, who do you have coming out of the American League? Who do you have coming out of the National League? How many games will it go, and who wins it all? Yes. So I should be – I feel confident about this one. I'm going to throw like 100 bucks on this through Vegas, through betting. That's how confident I feel about this matchup. You already know my NL team. I already gave you that one because that's the scariest team I thought about, the Dodgers. I don't see anybody touching them. They're going to run through the NL. This is not a probably a fan popular opinion here, but I'm going to take the Astros in the AL. I think they have the offense and they have enough pitching to get it done to get through the AL to match up with the Dodgers. But uh, the Dodgers are uh, men among boys, I guess you can say. Uh, so I think they take it at about six. I think they would take the series in six if it came down to that. But that would be my bet. I would say Astros and, and the Dodgers, and I feel confident about that. I do feel definitely confident the Dodgers will make it. And I think the Astros, with the way they're playing, there's really not a team on that side that's going to beat them. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I haven't even thought about a prediction yet. I know a, a few people I've already talked with 
are basically saying Astros Dodgers. You know, it, it's interesting to see, especially in the American League side, the Rays are a team that, you know, they keep finding ways of winning. And I know they drubbed the Red Sox a few days ago. But I feel like in the American League, it's a little bit more wide open as opposed to the National League. I mean, even then, it's it's Dodgers, Giants, maybe the Brewers. But I always think in the American League, can't count out Tony La Russa and the White Sox, even though you find out they could be playing well in spite of him. Of course, you look at uh, the A's, even though they might be slowly uh, cratering, but they, yeah. they still could turn it around easily. And the pinstripes are always going to be a threat once they get in the playoffs. So you never know. I mean, but then again... I always go with Buck Showalter's uh, greatest quote that playoffs are a crapshoot. You never know what's going to happen. You can have yeah. the best team. Somebody can catch fire at the right time, a la the uh, 14 Royals, and, and make it to the World Series and then uh, a year or two later win it. So you never know. I mean, I, I like that. If I had to say just one more thing, if I had to give you a sleeper pick on the AL side and you didn't mention this team, I would actually go with the Blue Jays. They've won seven in a row, an unbelievable offense with two or three solid pitchers that could get them through the postseason if they make it. They just swept the, uh, I think they play today, but they're three games in a uh, row. They just won against the Yankees and they're only a game out of the playoffs. So the Blue Jays, if they make it, I could see them being a team that nobody wants to play, especially with being the AL wide open. That could be a team that can make it cruise right through. You made me think of another team I just saw about the Mariners. That race is very tight in the wild card. Now I know that's going to be yep. something that it may come down to a couple of, of one-game playoffs to determine who gets in to be the second wild card. And I think the playoffs could be very exciting when you look at it. Do you have any shout-outs you want to give? Anything you want to promote on social media? Any ways people can reach out to you to talk about Reds baseball? Yeah, for sure. So I actually told a couple of buddies that I'd be joining you on this. So uh, shout-out to my buddies, uh, Ryan, Cameron. Uh, they're both Detroit Tigers fans. I'm unfortunate for them, but they did take two out of three in the re most recent series against us. So congrats, guys. And then shout out to my buddy, Larry. He's kind of, he's not a Reds fan, but he's a big Michigan fan. And the Reds have a lot of big Michigan products, Barry Larkin, Chris Sabo. So shout out to him on that. And then shout out to my wife, Lindsay. Uh, we got married back in December and I am turning her into a uh, diehard Reds fan as well. So go Reds. From the American League. This time we are talking about the Oakland A's. They were in the run for the wild card spot for a majority of the season. But here with me to talk about the A's in their season is longtime A's fan Chris Posadas. Chris, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to do this, and I really do appreciate it. Oh, good, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me, man. It's interesting. The story is you reach out to somebody, they lead you to a mutual friend and all this other stuff. And that's how it works. I mean, I feel like networking is the way to go nowadays, especially in this internet world. Yeah, it is right. And you're, and you're paying me, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, only in compliments, only in compliments. I don't want those. Those are worthless. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to get into the interview and start right away. Okay. How long have you been an A's fan and what made you decide to choose the A's? Uh, for as long as I can remember, uh, I've been an A's fan. My dad was an A's fan. My mom's an A's fan. I can't remember not being an A's fan, so I was kind of like grandfathered into it. So uh, pretty much my whole life, man. It's crazy. Where I'm at in Delaware is interesting. I knew someone whose dad used to be a fan of the Philadelphia A's. They So oh, you know, okay. that's at least Dang. the 50s and 60s. <laughs> so, and he said, yeah, he remember go to Shy Park and seeing the A's play. And there, what's even crazier if you ever make it to Philadelphia, right out in front of Citizens Bank Park is a picture of Connie Mack. 
nice. the Philadelphia A's, you know, the Oakland A's, A's, Kansas City A's logo, basically there, just talking about Connie Mack and his impact on Philadelphia and everything. And, you know, it, it's crazy when you see something that you're so familiar with on the West Coast have like a little bit of uh, a presence here on the East Coast. Yes, that's when he used to wear suits to all the games, right? It was oh, like, yeah. you imagine if the coaches wore suits now? It was like, okay, that this looks out of place, man. Are they selling the team? Like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think by the time he, uh, what, was like 70 or 80, they probably were better off just selling the team. They, they, went, they went down a rabbit hole, and then it went to Kansas City, and then Oakland, here they are. <laughs> yeah, now they're trying to leave since 2004 again, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's a uh, it's rough being an A's fan, man. <laughs> I wanted to ask, uh, what is your biggest Oakland A's memory? I'm not sure how far back of a fan you go. Do you go back to the Moneyball days? Do you go back to the Bash Brothers days? Any further than that? I don't know. I'm curious. So I go I go back to the Bash Brothers days, and actually, uh, the first game that I ever remember going to, uh, it was actually Nolan Ryan's no hitter at the Oakland Coliseum, and I remember we were sitting up in the upper deck behind home plate. And as it got deeper and deeper into the game, the pop in that glove just got louder and louder. And you hear very, like, you hear no hits. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's just, uh, that was the first memory I have. Uh, the most memorable moment. Oh, what you got? You got a train running through the house right over there? <laughs> uh, yeah, nah, just, I have my timer on just to like make sure, okay, okay. I'm not going to miss this. <laughs> <laughs> the most memorable moment for me, though, was watching uh, Scott Hatterberg hit that home run to finalize the 20 game win streak. Cause like that was, we all thought that it was over there. I, I made it to three of the games during the run. So that was pretty cool. But man, the, that home run in the, in the right field, we were supposed to go, we didn't go. But that was probably, for me, like the most memorable. Going into the season, what kind of expectations did you have for the A's? I know that last year's Bizarro World season, as I call it, with the shortened season and the uh, 16-team playoff, it was a little bit of not the norm. But going back to a full season, what were your expectations for the A's? Uh, Leading up until this year, they really overachieved. They weren't expected to do as well. Kind of actually like how the Giants are played out this year. Nobody expected them to do as well as they did. but. I was expecting them to be one or two. I was expecting probably the one of the wild card spots, but injuries happened. Loriano went out. I was like, oh, that's going to hurt the team because defensively, it was like having Cespedes where he can limit the extra base hits because of his arm. So people don't run or try to extend any hits. So looking at a lot of how it played out is disappointing. But, you know, as an A's fan, you're kind of used to it. But I expected them to make the playoffs, especially giving three quarters of the season that they were one of the top teams in the, in the majors. Was there a particular game or moment that you were thinking, yep, they're going to the playoffs? Probably not a game, but I think at the end of the All-Star break is when I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't see any reason why they can't make the playoffs. And then you had a couple injuries. And then it was a nice pickup to go get Starlin Marte. I thought that that was pretty good because Jed Lowry to me, I love Jed Lowry, but that dude has no range over there in the infield. But he can hit. He could definitely hit. But really just looking at him, I was like, it was more of a letdown. So I was like, all right, we'll wait till the end of the season. And then looking at how it played out their last month, I was like, you knew they weren't going to keep up with everybody. They kind of blew their wad a little bit early. And as you mentioned, the seeing that point where they weren't going to make it, was there a particularly indicting or damning moment that made you think, oh, this might be it? 
Honestly, for me, when I started getting worried was the when Loreano got hurt. I was like, all right, they got to figure something out. And I thought that them picking up Marte might have helped fill some gaps, but it wasn't anything particular. It was just kind of like, all right, you look at the standings and you're like, okay, they're not winning right now. They're, they're going four and six in their last 10. They did that multiple times, but nothing in specificity. Well, I guess looking at the playoffs, who did you feel that the A's would have matched up well with in the American League? I had a feeling that given the the way that they play, I think the Yankees probably would have matched up pretty good with them. They have all the big names, but they always play each other really tough. So I think that they probably would have matched up pretty good against the Yankees. I think that they, in a five-game series, probably could have pulled it out, surprised some people. Who would you have been worried to see in the playoff matchup? Would it have been Tampa Bay? Would it have been the White Sox? Uh, would it have been Houston? Houston and White Sox for sure. Uh, the White Sox always have the A's number, even when they are in the cellar in the Central. For some reason, they just can't beat them, especially the games that I used to go to. So looking at them, they have the A's number. And then looking at how Houston pulled it out last year, they would have probably a little bit more confidence going into it. Uh, I don't think that the A's have really figured that puzzle out yet, especially they they haven't figured out the playoffs in general. So really just kind of looking at them, you, if they make it past the first round, you're, you're pleasantly surprised, but you don't ever expect them really to go any bit further. And that's, that's sad as a fan, (laughs) but I'm also kind of realistic watching sports for the last, you know, 30 plus years. Up. One of the things I like to ask, I sort of like to ask a question off the board, but looking at the offensive production of the Mats, Olsen, and Chapman, they combined for about 65 homers and yeah. 181 RBIs. And it seems like that, aside from that, and they had pretty much solid production from everywhere else, what do you think the 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 huge issue was for this year's team that caused them to struggle on the uh, latter end of the season? I mean, given the way that the ballpark is shaped, it's not a hitter's park. It's a, definitely a pitcher's park. So you don't get a lot of guys hitting for average when you come over to Oakland. And it's more going to be conducive to, you know, lower ERAs. Uh, man, it pisses me off to, to say this, uh, but I loved Marcus Simeon. And him hitting 44 home runs this year, not being in the A's lineup, I think them not re-signing him really kind of messed things up. Andrews never really seemed to fit in in the lineup. Defensively, he's fantastic, but for the most part, they're a platoon team, so they don't really have a lot of go-to guys. When they do, they end up training them. So looking at Matt Chapman and looking at the corner spots, you already know that those guys are going to be solid. It's always trying to fill in the gaps. I wish there was a little bit more production from the catcher position, but given what that is, as long as they handle the pitchers well, that's all you can really ask for. But I think finding guys that are a little bit more accountable or, or regular instead of finding a, a group of platoon players, the A's go a little bit further than some other teams that try to do it. But when you compete against the teams that have a set lineup, it's a lot harder to, to compete in the long run. And we saw that happen. I always look at the job that Bob Melvin does. He's been a solid manager at his time there. And especially you think about this is probably his third sin as a manager uh, somewhere else. He he was in Arizona. He was in Seattle and that didn't work out well. And it worked out here. What is it that Bob Melvin does so well, especially being in Oakland, knowing with the constraints that he may have with the roster that may turn over often, what is it that he does well when it comes to dealing with the A's organization? 
I mean, he's a master strategist. When it comes down to it, he's able to not only utilize what the statistics are, but he has a really good feel for the game and the team. So he knows when to put people in to the right spots. Unfortunately, kind of didn't work out this year, but I think it would be a big mistake for them not to keep him as a, as a head coach. If there's a day that they ever find the ability to spend money on players that are either in free agency or, or you know, retaining guys, then they would really give him a better chance to show how good of a manager he really is. But he shows it year in and year out, given a lot of the roster constraints. So him, he's able to take whatever he has and make it successful, whether it's looking at a team that would be a 100-loss team anywhere else. He could get that team to 500. He's really, really smart. He has a great coaching staff, too. They're all very in tune. You know that they all communicate really well. And every player that's played for him has loved him. So there's something that he has as a form player that he's able to get into with the psyche of the guys on the team and allow them to really kind of be themselves and, and play ball. And this is a question that you probably hear so many times as an A's fan. The future of the A's really hinges on a stadium. <laughs> to you, where would you think the perfect stadium would be? Would it be on the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum spot, or would it be somewhere else and still in the area? I mean, where do you think the perfect new age stadium would be? I mean, logistically, it makes sense to stay where they're at because they have a lot of transit right there. The bus drops people off right at the BART station and they have a walkway that goes right over to it and the BART station drops off right there. It's They have two exits on either side from the freeway and it doesn't make sense to move them into Howard Terminal because that would just be a complete debacle. There's nowhere to get in and out of there without causing massive amounts of traffic and it was in 2004, one of my friends worked for a land developer that was friends with Sandy Alderson. And he set up a meeting between the land developers and Lou Wolf and his team. And they made their presentation for a downtown stadium right by Lake Merritt, uh, one down at Howard Terminal, and then another one restructuring the current lot. And after they did their presentation, Lou Wolf got up, shook hands, and bounced. So they weren't even trying to stay even though I saw the plans and a lot of them made sense, but like to not utilize the land that they're already on is kind of ridiculous because it's already, it's already made. All you have to do is knock down the Oracle stadium where the warriors are playing. And then you can put a whole little city in there with shops. You have like a little mall. You could put in a lot of food there, you know, things for kids. And it would just make the most sense to, to keep, them exactly where they're at but the ownership has shown in the past and and recently that they don't want to stay in oakland uh which is unfortunate because that's going to take a lot of jobs away from the community you know that that work there and have worked there for the last you know 20 30 years i'm assuming them revamping the coliseum mount davis is the first thing to go right Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'd be fine if they just redid it to the way it was in the 80s where you had the snack bar and left center and a little grass outfield and it was opened up a little bit so you could see out of the park. But the way that they restructured it when the Raiders came back absolutely destroyed the feel of baseball. So every time you went to a game there and, and a lot of people 
don't like going to A's games just because of the stadium because it's not really conducive to a fan experience when you go to other parks, especially right across the water. With When you go to the Giants ballpark, it's beautiful. It's definitely something that you want to go take people to. It's Instagrammable. Oakland is not. <laughs> but that's the thing I like about the Oakland fans, though, is that the stadium alone doesn't matter as much as what's on the field. And that's really where I think it separates a lot of people as ACE fans from a lot of other fans is because we, we love the team, regardless of how much they've abused us and lied to us and say, we're going to stay rooted in Oakland and all these other slogans, they still show up. And now we go to the World Series prediction. I mean, honestly, I don't know how to follow that up. But I was like, yeah, it's pretty deep. I mean, knowing the history of the A's, especially, unfortunately, it seems like they're the transient team because, you know, they had yeah. one city, then they became a second-class citizen in that city, then they go to Kansas City, and then Charlie Finley wants to move them out of Kansas City, and then they move to Oakland, and then all of a sudden Charlie Finley can't afford them anymore, and then it goes to the Haas family, and it goes yeah. – to the Wolf family and all that other stuff. I mean, it's a situation that, unfortunately, you know their city's chomping at the bit who want an MLB team. There's all of this talk yeah. about Portland, but you're going to have to deal with the Mariners. And then there's this rumor that, because I hear it on the East Coast about, oh, Nashville's looking for a city, which everybody's saying they're pegging the <laughs> Orioles to end up going there, but I doubt they're going to end up going there. Or Montreal, and that's Tampa Bay's issue. And yeah. it feels like that, other than Vegas – and seeing how stingy the Giants are with San Jose and everything else. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully they can stay in Oakland for a very long time, but who knows? I mean, if it isn't the city politics, it's it's ownership and it's everything else. And then, you know, the fans unfortunately are getting stuck in another situation what they've seen before. It just change it from Davis to Wolf. And you've seen this situation before a team being jerked around and, you know, yep. the fans are the ones who end up having to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sad because a lot of people really do love, like even the players love the fans and, and all the sports that were there. You know, you go to Oracle when the Warriors were still there. It was one of the loudest stadiums you could go to to go watch a basketball game, almost always sold out, even when they sucked. You go to, you know, a playoff atmosphere for the A's, and it's, again, one of the loudest stadiums that you're going to play in. Uh, the Raiders, Raiders fans are insane one of my buddies i do stand up with he was actually just at the raiders game and he was going wild like he does in oakland and when none of them raiders fans they were like oh my god i can't believe he said that it's like it's a different world oakland and it's a different mentality so when you take these teams out it changes the identity of the fans and they do travel but it's not going to be the same kind of same kind of experience when you go to these games for these teams and Looking at Las Vegas, that probably makes the most sense because not only do they have the NHL team, now you have the Raiders there. And the Legion Stadium is beautiful. I was just there last week. Uh, it is it is really nice. They did that team really well. But looking at Oakland, it's not really anything that the city can compete with, really, because they don't have the infrastructure set up to supply as much money as they're asking to put in a privatized business and not really reap any of those revenues. So they're trying, the city's trying to rebuild a lot of Oakland and take care of streets. They're doing a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense to me uh, as far as some of the streets still, but they're, they're trying to put other things in and the team is not a priority. And you can see that in the way that our mayor Libby Schaff handles it, but it's also a reality. You got to think of what does the city really need 
unfortunately, yeah, that'd be some jobs lost, but at the expense of what? Because Oakland is not necessarily thriving in the way that gentrification has really hit our town and people are getting forced out into other areas, going to Austin, going to places like Seattle, uh, all out of the Bay Area. And a lot of people I grew up with who love the A's, love the Raiders, love the Warriors, were not able to go to those games anymore because we've lightweight been priced out and the teams are all leaving. So it's been a hard road to be an Oakland fan for any sport, really. And you hope that, you know, Major League Baseball would step in and be like, just stay in Oakland. But I don't think that any of the major sports want a team out here. I don't think it's conducive to what it is that they want out of a franchise, whatever league that might be. But it is what it is, man. I mean, I don't identify myself with the team like I used to. And it's really hard to kind of admit that sometimes because I used to say we, now I don't really do it anymore uh, because they don't pay me. So (laughs) I don't have to do it, Mm -hmm. but it's unfortunate to be a fan in Oakland really because it doesn't feel like there's a lot of commitment to keeping a lot of these teams that bring a lot of pride to our city here. Yeah. I mean, I can understand. And as we go on to the world series prediction, who do you have coming out of the American league? Who do you have coming out of the national league? Who wins it all and in how many games? So for me, it's between L.A. and San Francisco coming out. Just given the depth of the bullpen, really, and you know how much the bullpen plays a role in in the playoffs and then into the series, I think that the staff for L.A. can carry carry the team because they got some crazy arms on that team. It's ridiculous. But looking at how many home runs the Giants have been hitting, you know, all year, I think that they can fall into some wins during the playoffs. I would say San Francisco probably has the best chance to make it out of the the NL. And man, it's a little bit harder to say with the AL uh, because I haven't paid as much attention to it, but I would put, if I was going to put money on it, I'd put money on on either Houston or or New York. So uh, I think that because Houston masters up pretty well with San Francisco, I'd be a little Orange World Series, like a little pumpkin series. I think that probably San Francisco would win in probably six. As we start to wrap this up, and I really appreciate you, Chris, and I definitely want to have you back come our NBA or NFL playoff preview when it comes okay, to okay. calling the Raiders <laughs> or calling the Warriors. What are ways that people can reach out to you? And do you have anything you want to promote as well? Okay, so uh, actually, I do stand-up comedy. I mean, that was the reason why I was in Vegas last week for World Series of Comedy. That is a great festival. If you guys are ever around and see World Series of Comedy, that's a really cool thing because you get people from all over the country competing, and the finals are actually in Las Vegas. Uh, But aside from that, really uh, nothing else really other than uh, my Instagram, soy sauce, butter, and rice, all one word. Uh, you spell out the A-N-D. You can catch me on there. I post uh, a lot of stuff in my stories about where I'm going to be whenever I do shows and how you can hit me up. You respond to anything. I usually uh, respond in a day or two. Uh, and if you're funny, I'll, I'll fuck with you. <laughs> the Seattle Mariners last made a playoff appearance in 2001. And after that, there were several times where the Mariners kept being competitive, but just falling oh so close to making the playoffs, either by a game or two over the past few years. And 2021 was hoping to be different as the Mariners saw themselves having to leapfrog several teams to make a run for the wild card. And it came down to the final day. And of course, it looked like things could have been going their way, the momentum to stay alive from the night before to get into the playoffs, but they needed a lot of help. They needed a win 
plus a Yankees or Red Sox loss. And unfortunately, the Red Sox and Yankees both pulled it out, which made it a little tough for the Mariners. But here to talk about the season that the Mariners had, longtime Mariners fan, someone I know, of course, someone who's been on the show about three or four times, uh, my brother, Edward Holland. Eddie, how you doing? And what's it feeling like after seeing this season, especially it came down to a crazy last week? Hello, hello, hello. I'm doing well. Uh, I wasn't expecting Seattle to be so good this year. Pitching, still questionable. I know that a lot of uh, MLB experts said that the bullpen was like phenomenal, but starting pitching, uh, it was kind of, you know, off and on. Chris Flexen, who I never heard of, he pitched a good season this year. I think he went 13 and 7 this year with a low 3 ERA. Marco Gonzalez, I think this past, this last time he pitched was his first loss of his last couple of outings. He went 10 and 6 after a horrible first half after being injured. And um, just the energy the team brought this year. I mean, beginning of the year, you didn't see the energy, but towards uh, All-Star break and, and beyond, it just seemed like the energy of the team was was different. A lot of people counted them out. Even myself, I kind of counted them out too. But then as I continued to see them win series against even teams that had a good winning record and teams that had a bad winning record, that was the most important thing is that they won the games they're supposed to win. They lost the games they're supposed to lose, but also won the games they weren't supposed to win either. And we'll talk a little more about the season and your expectations coming in. But to you, how did you become a Mariners fan? King <laughs> uh, Griffey Jr. King uh, Griffey Jr., Jay Buhner, Joey Cora, Alex Rodriguez, young Alex Rodriguez, who was playing with Seattle. Oh, man, who else? Mike Blowers, uh, Tino, when Tino was there. It was a 1995 squad that really made me become a Seattle Mariners fan. At that time, I wasn't really a baseball fan, but when I saw King Griffey Jr., I was like, hey, cool, that's my team. I adopted Griffey, and I adopted the Seattle Mariners ever since then. 26 years. 26 years I've been a Seattle Mariners fan. That's almost more than half, actually very close to half of their lifetime. They're, they're, this was the 45th Mariners season. But yeah, and it does saying a lot, especially the dedication, because uh, I remember our first Mariners game was in 1995. So that's you know very, very long time ago. What was your most memorable Mariners moment? I know there's had to be a lot of them. It, was it something in 95? Was yeah. it 01, that record-breaking season? To you, what particular, what in particular stood out to you? 1995, Edgar Martinez up the bat, ALDS against the Yankees game five, hits a double, Griffey scores all the way. Boom, take them to ALCS. One of the most memorable games I remember in my life. And I said, that's when I like, you know what? <sighs> Seattle, Griffey, all the players above, everything. That's when I, I kind of jumped on the bandwagon. Ever since I've been on the team's bandwagon, haven't jumped off, haven't traded alliances. I didn't go to the Reds. I didn't go to the White Sox. I didn't go to whatever other team Griffey went to. I stayed with Seattle through the ups and downs. It's a lot more downs than ups. <laughs> I mean, and even then, like I said, they've had some memorable moments. Being an Orioles fan, I would see all the Mariners games. So, you know, guys like Bobby Ayala, Dan Wilson, Norm Charlton, yeah. Chris Bazio, Raul Banez is like three times that he came back. We're going, um, we're going back. We're going back to technical baseball time now. <laughs> yeah. Raul, like I said, Raul Banez, uh, oh, Rich Amaral, Carlos, Carlos Guillen, Freddie Garcia, John Halama. All those guys that came over and that Randy Johnson trade, and it's just crazy. Just like, and again, all those years of watching those Orioles-Mariners games, especially staying up, we'll watch them on the West Coast. You watch all the things in that run of a, a one season. 
they were pretty much of a big deal there. But yeah. going into the season, what were your expectations for the Mariners? I know last year they struggled, especially with the shortened season. They were able to pull out Rookie of the Year with Kyle Lewis. But to you, what were you thinking that the Mariners could do heading into the season? I know from all the conversations that we had, you were uncertain about really what Jerry Depoto was doing with the rebuild, especially after that turnaround where they had traded Diaz, they had traded Cano just to get him off and, and uh, off the books. And thankfully that sort of worked out. But to you, what were those expectations coming into a full season in 2021? Uh, the expectation was pretty much that they weren't going to win no more than 70 games. I wasn't even expecting them to be where they were today, but also kept, I kept track of the young players coming up. I was, I was saying to myself, with Julio Rodriguez coming, with Jerry Kilnick, he finally came up. Pretty much they drafted a whole bunch of outfielders, young outfielders. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, where are we going to put them at? I mean, we got Mitch Hanniger, who's who be considered an old man of the of the team. Um, I'm just, just like, wow, where are we going to put all these outfielders at? And then we talked about some decent pitching. I mean, Logan, Gil- Logan Gilbert, I, I was following him. I was following Seattle when they were drafting. Twitter to this day is still one of the best social media platforms when it comes to sports because they keep stuff up to date instead of going somewhere else to look at it and everything else. Was there a point during the season that you were confident the Mariners were going to make the playoffs? Was it that that run in the stretch of September where they started catching fire, where they leapfrogged the A's, they were going neck and neck with the Blue Jays, Yankees, and Red Sox, and I know a couple of times they were sharing the lead at point for the wild card. It's about a third of the season when I was like, okay, Seattle's wild card position. I said, wow, they're over the Yankees. They're over these good teams, the, the Red Sox. They're over the Blue Jays. They're over a couple other teams. Okay, Seattle. I said, if Seattle kept their steam up, I think they would have probably won, won wild card spots and stuff. But I kind of figured after that series with the Blue Jays in late August, I said, okay, we're going to make a playoff push. And we did make that push until – the last three games of the season. I was going to say, was that the point when you were thinking that playoffs were in doubt? Was it that Friday night game where Gonzalez pitched an extremely great game, allowing only two runs, but there was a situation We looking at that game that had the runners at the corners with no outs and couldn't get anybody in, and that proved to be one of the big blows because if they win that game, then, you know, you're not as much concerned about the Sunday game, but you could easily say maybe they should have started Tyler Anderson that game and then had Marco go on Sunday. But, you know, again, it's still, you know, it's one of those things where you can always Monday morning quarterback. Well, I think the Friday game was the one at Dunnison. If we had won the Friday game, won the Saturday game, Sunday game, like you're saying, wouldn't matter because that would have put us at 91 to 71. And I believe that we would, uh, no, actually we wouldn't have made it still because Boston and, and New York were 92 and 70. So we still would have been out by one game. A lot of factors played it. We needed help from the Nationals. We needed help from the Orioles. We got help from the Rays. Tampa Bay did what they're supposed to do. But, you know. You got help from the Orioles <laughs> earlier in the week. You yeah, just couldn't yeah, yeah. get it the last part of the week. Yeah. If you depend on the National Orioles last couple of series, especially against teams who got above 500 games, I, you know. <laughs> I got no, I had no answer for it. You know, it's a common theme. And Thran, if I don't know if he's watching, but he'll hear this. But, you know, when you were have to rely on the Nationals bullpen for anything, because the Nats were up 5-2 in that game. 
I see if you that. have to rely on the Nationals bullpen, then you're in trouble because they've never had a good bullpen. Even winning a World Series, they've never had a good bullpen. But who did you think the Mariners would have matched up the best with if they made the playoffs? We had we had this conversation. I said if Seattle made it in, Tampa Bay would have been a better matchup for us. Like I was saying, we own them this year. We own Tampa Bay. We swept them too in Tampa Bay, four-game sweep. Who was the team that you would have been concerned about seeing in the playoffs? Because I know, again, playing the Astros, you the, the Mariners were 40, I believe, 47 and 20, maybe 27 or 28 against the NL West. So it's not like they were struggling and just beat up on everybody else. They took care of business in their own division. Who yeah, worried we, you? Was, was it the White Sox? Was it the Red Sox or someone like that? No, Yankees. The series against the Yankees, we should actually should have swept the Yankees. Okay, except for that first game against the Yankees. But the last two games, we should have swept them. Bullpen, bullpen gave them up. And Stanton, that's good Lord. <laughs> He's like a young Vladimir Guerrero. The ball can be in dirt and he'll still hit a home run. <laughs> and not even like, you know, Vlad Jr. is more like a young Vlad Guerrero. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm talking about young Vlad. <laughs> young, young, <laughs> young Vlad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <Yeah. the> third. <laughs> <laughs> so one of those questions especially looking at it came down to two games if you could look back at two games that you thought the Mariners should have won that would have propelled you at least to a tie with the Red Sox and the Yankees what are two games that you look back on and think we had them and we let it slip away the series against Kansas City is the series against Kansas City that's what done us in that series against Kansas City going in toward the beginning of September that series against Kansas City, I go back to that. Salvador Perez killed us. <laughs> he killed us, man. And I was like, man, we're losing to Kansas City Royals. We should have swept them. Then going into the beginning of September, then boom, we would have been good. The last couple of weeks of August, going into September, it was like Oakland, Astros, Angels, and they had Kansas City in there somewhere. And, and once again, Oakland, the Angels finished finish season off. We swept Oakland. Yeah, and, I believe twice or? Yeah, it was something twice, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I say, it was very surprising to see how good Seattle was this year. How good, how they won series, how they won four-game series. They won, they may have won three games or like three-game series. They may have won two games and stuff. But the thing is, though, is that they were winning series. And I was like, I was looking at it. It's like, okay, cool. Boom. Two wins in a series. Cool. Boom. We swept the Rays. Boom. I said, okay, cool. We're winning the games we're supposed to win. And then once again, of course, you know we play teams that like to spoil other teams' playoff hoops, i.e., the Angels. <laughs> yeah, and I think about this. I mean, and it's funny. Everybody will say, "Yeah, you can think of the last three game set of the season where, oh, those are two big losses." But here and there, people don't think about one loss here in April or one loss yep. here in May can be the difference. The Orioles beat the Mariners on a walk off. That could have been a completely different game. Yeah, That's actually. one game there. I mean, yeah. you know, even the John Means now hitter notwithstanding there's probably plenty of other games that you could say even like in july or or all like you said you mentioned the kansas city detroit you got, yeah. you, got, you got no hit by detroit <laughs> yeah, yeah i was thinking to myself that that's when i thought then i was like okay we get no hit by the orioles we get no hit by detroit i said we're not going to the playoffs but then come find out after those man it's, it's just like hey they struggle made it through Push towards the end of the season. I mean, they did a good push towards the end of the season. And a lot of people, including myself, MLB experts as well, they said Seattle is a year ahead on schedule to be one of the best teams in the major leagues. Yeah, and, and interestingly enough, the success the Mariners had 
and you look at Justin Sheffield, who struggled. He had a 6.80 ERA. You look at the team batting average was 229. To, for them to be able to have that success with a lot of guys hitting under 220, even Kyle Seeger having a, 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 a dynamic season with 35 homers, 100 RBI, but hitting 212. Yeah. I mean, for them to be able to do that and have that success, that is saying a lot about, again, the pitching in the bullpen. I know Scott Service, what was your opinion on Scott Service as well? I know former catcher played in the majors, and I know you mentioned you were sort of uncertain about Jerry DePoto for a while. I remember a particular post you talking about. You did not understand what he was doing, but it yeah. seemed like he turned it around and ownership believes so because he was promoted to president yeah. of they baseball operations. More, they gave him more power. <laughs> Does it have an emperor? Get an emperor more power? He starts making more and more dumb decisions. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Jack Z isn't in charge anymore. Jack yeah, Z is right, not yeah. in charge anymore. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's um, Scott Service. I, I believe he's – He's a good manager, like you're saying. You can only work with what you got. And, the, you know, the pieces we had, that's from DePitto, Jerry DePitto. But then again, like I'm saying, when I thought when he traded Kendall Graveman away for um, Abraham Toro, I was like, man, you just gave away one of, one of our best bullpen people away. Couldn't find out. On the back end, Toro came through clutch. Toro won us a couple games. In fact, Toro had a grand slam off a, a, a Kendall Graveman. <laughs> in one game in Seattle, they give us a walk-off Grand Slam home run. Yeah, everybody will say, well, what is this move that you're making? And you end up finding out, hey, it turns out well. And if Toro blossoms to a guy that maybe hits 20-some-on homers, drives in 70 RBIs with a 240-250 average, which sadly we're all saying 240-250 nowadays, that apparently tends to be high praise when that could be just sort of average back in the old days. But yeah. that might benefit down the road. And like I said, I looked at Chris Flexen's stats prior to this, didn't play in the majors prior to uh, 2019 and was released by the Mets. And, and you look at it and it's like, this guy came out of nowhere. What did he do? Three and six and 17, Oh, and two and 18, Oh, and three and 19 with the Mets. And then all of a sudden 14 and six, I think this reminds me a lot of the 1989 Orioles, the 1989 Orioles followed up a season where they lost a hundred some odd games, ended up coming within basically the final day or the next to last day of the season with a chance to win the division. And then all of a sudden the next year, the carrots turned into a pumpkin in 90. So you never know. Speaking of the Orioles, man, I'm not an O's fan. I'm a Shorebirds fan, but I think they are a year or so away from actually competing in, in the AL East. And the only thing I see wrong with Baltimore is pitching. They don't have any pitching. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you got you got your you got your you got your fielders, you got your catcher, you got your um, infielders, outfielders, you got all that, you got all that stuff. You just don't have the pitching, except for what John means. That's it. And then you got pitch, they got pitching coming up too. Yeah, Grayson, Grayson Rodriguez. That, yeah, I mean, they and they got a bunch of guys, but who knows? Like I said, they were good. They they tried to play spoiler with the Red Sox. It was a bunch of young guys who were down in the minor leagues a couple of years ago. Um, you know. That, that's something, you know, I always say this as we sort of go off on the tangent here. They're officially in year one of a three-year rebuild. Of, of, you know, this is year three of a, of a rebuild. It's supposed to take five years, but this is the first full year. Uh, 19, everybody got hired late. Nobody got hired until November. When everybody was getting their stuff, they couldn't get all the people in. Last year, no minor league season, so you couldn't really see people progress. This year, you see everybody progress, and then all of a sudden, who knows what's going to happen in 21 if there isn't a, if there isn't a strike and, and then everybody gets pissed off and nobody wants to watch baseball anymore. I think people will watch baseball again. 
You know, not a, they, not if they if they strike over money. No, <laughs> and now people don't want to hear about rich people's problems if they're struggling to pay their own bills. Yeah, well, I do think the minor league needs to get paid more than what they're getting paid, though. Like saying they're still putting their body on the line, they're still missing time with family, they're still spending time in the hotel rooms, and still spending time camp uh, uh, rooming with families and everything else and stuff. I mean, it's it's just ridiculous how low minor league players get paid unless you're a big name like a Bryce Harper or a Manny Machado or a Juan Soto or somebody like that. Unless you know, unless you're a big name like that, I man, of course you make the millions, but you know, these guys you know, these guys are fighting to eat and fighting fighting for a spot on the major league roster. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, they complain. Poor American kids complain about trying to think. Look at the Dominican kids who have to be in the monitor for seven years before they make it to the majors. That, I mean, the Dominican kids have a tougher road than some of the American ones. But, yeah, as we get back on the topic, going to the World Series, who do you have coming out of the American League? Who do you have Uh, coming out of the National League? And who wins the World Series? And in how many games? American League, I got Tampa Bay Rays. National League, I got the San Francisco Giants. I had the San Francisco Giants winning, winning the World Series in seven games. I just feel confident in San Francisco. I think San Francisco got it all together with the addition of Chris Bryant on there. I just think they're they're one of the hottest teams in baseball today, man. And like I'm saying, it's, it's this thing. I always look back. I just looked at this video on YouTube. It showed the last outs in the last couple um, of World Series. And out those World Series, I think it's dated back to 2004-ish, I think. And it showed, without the World Series until now, the Giants were involved in several of them. Giants and Red Sox were involved in several of them. And I was like, okay. Um, I, I was always a firm believer. It's like, it's like every couple of seasons, the Giants always come produce a good team when they make the playoff and win the World Series. Yeah, it's just like, you know, just like the Marlins are show up every now and then. Yeah. But when they, if the Marlins get to the playoffs, beware because they're going they're to the, going they're going they're to the going. World Series. Yeah, yeah, that or the Dodgers are always on the losing end of a lot of those, yeah. too. So well, that, I mean, when it, showed that world, when it showed the World Series, it showed the Marlins and Yankees. Like like I said, that was a year that I was like, oh, wow. I was like, no one expected the Marlins to beat the Yankees. It was crazy. I was just like, that was like one of the craziest seasons ever. Yeah, especially just look at those two LCSs. But as we start to wrap this up, because we can talk forever, but as we start to wrap this up, uh, do you have any shout-outs you want to give, anything you want to promote, and how can people reach out to you on social media when it's actually working uh, to talk Mariners baseball? <laughs> well, when the social media is actually working, I prefer Twitter. My Twitter handle is at eHala86. Same thing, my IG, eHala86, Facebook, Edward Holland Sr., I got a uh, YouTube channel where I do my hot sauces and stuff on there, too. I mean, you can hit me up on there. It's eHala or Ed Hot. You can look up eHala86 as well on my YouTube and stuff. So, you know. The Toronto Blue Jays up-and-comers made the playoffs last year in the shortened season and are looking to do it again. And here with me to talk about the Blue Jays and their playoff chances in a very crowded field is longtime Blue Jays fan Phil Chennery. Phil, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. How is everything? Doing all right now that we caught a couple wins against Minnesota uh, over the weekend because that series started off a little troublesome. But uh, there's hardly anything better than playoff baseball, man. I'm super excited for this last week. Basically, our fate is in our own hands uh, with three games against the Yankees, three against the Orioles, one game back at Boston, two games back at the Yankees. So there's definitely a chance for us to make it, and we can take down a couple division rivals on the way to that playoff spot. I'm here for it. So I'm excited for a big week coming up. 
And uh, other than that, outside baseball, everything's great. One thing I wanted to ask you as we get into this introduction, how long have you been a fan of the Blue Jays? Where did it all start? Sure. So I'm actually the youngest of three siblings. I've got an older brother who's about five years older than I am. And he was actually born just outside of Toronto. Uh, My older sister was born there as well. My mom and dad lived there for a good while. Uh, I was actually born in Detroit, but I still have a ton of family that lives in Toronto, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, all that good stuff. So growing up as a kid, I used to go there two, three times a year on different vacations. It's kind of just stuck with me. And then, of course, as I blossomed into a sports fan growing up, you know, in the 90s, the Blue Jays were arguably in the first half of the 90s, probably the best team. You'd argue the Braves, but of course, they beat the Braves in 92 and beat the Phillies in 93. So I'm a five, six-year-old kid just learning about sports. So, of course, I'm going to jump on A, my brother's favorite team, and B, a team that's winning a lot. So, you know, I've been with them ever since. That's been some interesting times, to say the least, over the past, uh, it's been about 30 years now. Backpack World Series was awesome. We had some other really good teams, good players, fun to watch, that sort of thing. So it's really nice to see them back in the fold again, trying to get after it and be a winning franchise once more. And, you know, it's interesting. I always say that I've been following my teams for almost close to 30 years, too. And it, it sort of makes you think, especially... 30 years being that heavily invested in a team like that, and especially all the ups and downs, no team, no matter what sport, has been consistently successful over a 30-year span because, you know, every team is bound to have their ups and downs. You can look at the Patriots. You can look at the Yankees. You can look at the Red Sox, the Dodgers, and all those things, and everybody has had their lean years. And I think being able to follow a team consecutively for 30 years, not taking any breaks because – Many times as they make it easy enough to sort of like wash your hands and throw up and just say, no, I'll wait till next season. It really does take a lot of persistence and it takes a lot of dedication to do that. No, it certainly does. And like I said, I was born in Detroit. So my favorite NFL team is the Lions. So you can imagine how tough that's been for me. And I'm a University of Michigan fan and we haven't done anything there since 97. So yeah, I follow a lot of losing teams, kind of a tough situation to be in. But honestly, man, I love it. Just sports, the way it brings everyone together. Uh, I can argue about it day and night, you know, on a whole bunch of different subjects. And I love it, man. Ever since I'm a little kid, you know, I was huge into baseball cards. I still am. I kind of do that as like a secondary side hustle sort of deal. That's what got my start into sports was reading the backs of cards, learning stats, and, you know, watching sports in every morning before school and that sort of thing. So sports is life. I work in sports. I work in college athletics and uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. I wanted to go into your most memorable moment as a Blue Jays fan. I know you said growing up in the early half of the 90s, you were about five or six years old when the World Series runs occurred. To you, what's your biggest memory as a Blue Jays fan? Well, I think the biggest one in franchise history has to be the Joe Clockoff Game 6 of the 93 World Series off Mitch Williams uh, that gave them their second title in two years. Just an absolutely awesome moment for Joe Carter in the country of Canada. Honestly, that's the other thing about Toronto is now that, you know, obviously the Expos have been gone for 20 years you know, that's Canada's team. It's the only team in Major League Baseball that's not in America. So it's really cool to see the whole country get behind them when they're doing well. And for the most part, when they're doing not so well either. But I would say actually me personally, just because I was only six years old when Joe Carter hit that home run, I thought it was really cool, but I didn't quite grasp everything that was happening. Uh, so I'm going to actually go with 2015 ALDS, Jose Bautista, the walk-off, the bat flip. Just the coolest moment ever. He hit it. He knew it was a nuke looks over, tosses the bat. It's the coolest thing in the world. The whole stadium's going absolutely bonkers. Uh, So to me, personally, for something that I've witnessed, that's by far the coolest moment as a Blue Jays fan. Um, And I'm actually fortunate enough through my previous job, which was working in a college summer baseball league down here in Florida, I've actually met Jose Bautista a number of times. 
Uh, I've got autographs and pictures with him and stuff like that. So he's an awesome dude. Really glad he was able to have that moment for my favorite team. And that's something that I'll remember forever. I've got the autographed photo of him flipping the bat, signed by him, framed up over here. And it's just a really cool moment in team history. It's definitely my favorite as a Blue Jays fan. To be able to have not only a picture of that moment, but an autograph as well, that's got to be extremely huge. And one of those things that, you know, everybody puts up with pride with something like that. Uh, Going into the season, what did you have expectations for the Blue Jays? I know, especially last year's expanded playoff, 16 teams, Toronto getting in the playoffs, especially it was a tight race at the end as well. What were you expecting for the Blue Jays to do? And did you expect there were going to be some growing pains, especially for the young guys coming off that season? Did you think, was it too much, a little too soon? I know a lot of projections were thinking the Blue Jays were maybe a couple of years away from really becoming a competitive team. Yeah, I'm in that camp for sure. I was not expecting a playoff push this soon uh, in a standard playoff format of uh, five teams. They're so young, right? I mean, Vlad Guerrero is 22. Bo, I think, is 23. It's just crazy to watch them be so effective on the diamond. I knew they were going to be fun and exciting to watch, but I also assume there's going to be growing pains along the way. And we've seen that, too. I mean, I think Bo might lead the league in errors or something like that. There have been some ups and downs. There have been games where the offense, which is so potent, uh, it hasn't shown up at all. And so there, there have been ups and downs. But overall, the team has blown away my expectations. Biggest issue for me is the pitching, which has been not amazing. Um, and injuries have kind of hurt the team as well. The whole George Springer missed a bunch of time. And then when he came back recently, up until the last two games of this twin series, he was in a terrible slump. He was something like, I think it was two for 38 or something like that, batting leadoff. And, you know, the whole team was kind of struggling for a while there. But uh, expectation-wise, coming into the season, I was not expecting a playoff push at all. So this is an absolute treat. Even if we don't make it, it's definitely something they can hang their hat on and say, hey, we can go get them next year with another year of experience under our belt. I think they're in really good shape for the future. Was there a point, okay, the Blue Jays are making the playoffs, and I know that recent surge in the past few weeks, they were showing everybody in the American League East that, hey, this isn't just Tampa Bay, New York, and Boston. But to you, was there a particular moment that said, yep, these guys are going to the playoffs? Um, it's kind of a two-part thing for me on this one, but uh, the 12-1 and start to start the month of September was huge. That obviously catapulted them right into the thick of the race. Uh, anytime you can win 12 out of 13 games, apparently the Blue Jays and the Cardinals are the only teams that can do that right now. But that was huge, obviously. And then the other thing is just the overall lineup. One thing I find very interesting is that four guys, Marcus Semien, Vlad Guerrero, Bo Bichette, and Teoscar Hernandez, are all on the brink of having 100 RBI seasons. So I said to myself, when's the last time one team had four 100 RBI guys on one squad? It's happened one time in the history of the American League. It was the 1936 Yankees. They had five guys get 100 RBIs, which is insane. And then for the NL, there have been eight teams that had four guys 100 RBIs, the last one being the 2003 Braves. So the fact that the Blue Jays are doing something that hasn't been done in 18 years and only one other time in the American League history uh, I think it's pretty special. So just seeing those bats in action, obviously Vlad's having a ridiculous season. Uh, and if it wasn't for Otani being able to pitch pretty decently, I think he'd be a no-doubt MVP winner. Uh, unfortunately, he's not going to take it this year. Otani's got that locked up for sure. But overall, just seeing them swing and then that September run is definitely what you know put the positive positivity back in my mind that they had a shot to make the playoffs. To you, was there a moment that personified, well, it doesn't look like this year is their year, that they gave it a nice run, that playoffs might not be in the picture? Yeah, so actually it happened about two weeks before the beginning of September. Uh, there was a stretch from August 12th to August 22nd, where in 10 days they played nine games. They went two and seven in those nine games, which 
you know, it happens. You can't expect a team to win every single game. Here's the issue, though. The teams they lost to were the Angels, the Mariners twice, the Nationals twice, and the Detroit Tigers twice. Those seven terrible losses, the Mariners are obviously in the playoff hunt right now, but the other three, Angels, Nationals, and Tigers, they haven't sniffed playoff contention since probably late June, early July. And in the thick of things, in the thick of a playoff race, you're losing seven games and nine tries to some really bad teams. That was very disappointing to see and kind of put a shadow over you know, all the cool stuff that had happened up until then. But then obviously, like I said, they turned it around the beginning of September. So we're back on the positivity train and uh, hoping for the best here in the final week of the season. If the Blue Jays make the playoffs, who do they match up the best with in the American League? Who do they feel like they can take out easily in the American League playoffs? So I actually looked at all the potential playoff teams before this. We're right around 500 against every team. Tampa Bay, we're 8-11. and 11. Boston, we're 9-10. and 10. We have a record against the Yankees, 10-6. and six. White Sox were 3-4. and four. Houston were 2-4. and four. So, you know, it's not anything egregious against the other really good teams in the AL. Uh, Tampa Bay is actually pretty scary. But it's just because it's not because of their roster, right? Because they, every year they lose guys, they bring in new guys, and they are winning. And they just do it all the time. It's Devil Ray magic. I know the Cardinals have Devil magic. This is Devil Ray magic, and it is absolutely ridiculous. So I would definitely want to avoid them because they've got something on their side. They probably should have won it last year, and they pulled Snell in the fifth inning, which was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in my life. Can't believe that happened. So this could be the year for Tampa as well, but they are just in general pretty scary. Other than that, though, I'm not too worried about it. Uh, the Yankees with a heavy right-handed lineup could be a little scary, especially in like a wild card game where you only have one shot because that means the Blue Jays are probably going to throw Robbie Ray, a lefty, and now they're facing Judge and Stanton and LeMahieu and Sanchez and all these right-handed power hitters who usually feast on left-handed pitching. So not a great matchup there. But um, overall, with the way that Ray has been pitching this season – against anybody and be fairly confident that we can take a game. How important has Marcus Simeon's uh, addition been to the roster? I know everybody talked about Springer and his acquisition, but to you, has Marcus Simeon been really in that lineup of stabilize the infield? I know that he's a natural shortstop and coming from Oakland, he was able to maybe use this as a one-year deal to parlay himself and your free agency games in this offseason. But to you, how big was Simeon's acquisition? Oh, he's without question the biggest acquisition. I know Springer was a sexy deal because he signed the big long-term contract, hundreds of millions of dollars. Semyon, I don't really understand why other teams weren't giving him a shot uh, because he only signed the one-year deal with Toronto, and he's coming off of 2019 where he was third in the MVP voting, right, out and For whatever reason, people didn't want to give him a shot, but he's been absolutely massive for this lineup, batting in the two-hole for most of the season. 43 home runs right now is tied for the most all-time ever by a second baseman in MLB history. So he's got one way to hit one more. Uh, he's also at 99 RBI. So he's one solo home run, and he hits that 100 RBI mark, plus the all-time record for a second baseman, which is pretty impressive stuff. He's obviously a leader out there. You can tell he kind of runs the infield, helps out Bo a lot, and the other young guys at first and third as well. So he's a natural leader, huge addition. He actually leads the team in war. Uh, if you're into that whole side of the game, he has better war than Vlad Jr. does, which is interesting because Vlad Jr. leads the league in multiple categories and is a potential triple crown winner. Probably not so much anymore, but he was for a while. But it's very interesting to me to see Marcus Semien is actually the most valuable player on this Blue Jays team uh, if you go by war. And Charlie Montoyo being the manager, how has he been in, in this situation a full-fledged season? I know last year there was the, the shortened season, the 60 games, but over the stretch of 100 and 
50 some odd games. What is your evaluation of Charlie Montoyo? Uh, he's not my favorite manager that we've ever had. I know one of my favorite things to do, just like any other depressed sports fan, is anytime you get a loss, is go find the team Twitter page and just read the comments, right? Because you'll have everyone and their mom getting in there about what the team did wrong, what's not going well. And a really common thread this season is during the losses, a lot of people have been upset with Charlie for a lot of the choices he's made or or definitely choices he's made where he either left a guy in too long or maybe he should have pinch hit someone but didn't. The bullpen all season long has been pretty awful. I'd say that's the weakest point on this team is the bullpen. But, you know, if you don't have the talent there, what can you actually do about it? It's not like he's just the one out there throwing the pitches. Other guys need to step up in a big way. And sometimes they haven't, sometimes they have. But overall, I think it's still a successful season. If he can make a run in the playoffs, I'll, I'll tip my cap to him for sure. I'm not sure he's the guy to lead this team for the near future, but um, he's done an okay job. I'll give him like a six out of 10, six and a half out of 10. I was reading somewhere, everybody's saying the Blue Jays are winning in spite of Montoya. So that's why I was curious yeah. about your thoughts on on how good of a manager he was. I know when it came up to hiring a new manager, replacing John Gibbons, that that was something that was out there. Is like, who else could there be that could take that job? Right. Yeah. And I know a lot of people have been pretty upset, like I said, every time we lose. But when we win, you know, all the credit goes to the players. When we lose, it all goes to the manager. Right. So that's not really a fair position to be in. So, you know, sometimes I feel bad for the guy, but then if he does something stupid, then I don't feel as bad. So uh, we'll see what happens. I will say this with Toronto. It seems like there has been a lot of stability because really outside of Jim Fergosi and the Tim Johnson incident and, and I guess and John Farrell, it's basically been really two guys who managed the tenure twice, Cito and John Gibbons. So it feels like at least there's a bit consistency between those guys unless any of those two are coming out of retirement again. <laughs> yeah, I would take Cito Gaston back. He's an absolute legend, man. He's a god in Canada. He can't do anything wrong. So big fan of his for sure. But overall, you know, it's been really cool that, you know, we're not turning over managers every couple of years. You see a lot of teams run into that in all, in all sports. That's really something that's hard to get behind where, you know, guys usually need three, four years to set something up and get a team together that they like. But, you know, so many front offices are only giving them one or two years in this day and age. They want instant results all the time. And I think that's a big issue in sports especially at the college level, but you know, we won't get into that too much, but yeah, I mean, bring back Cito. I'd be super happy, but for right now, let's just focus on this week and uh, we'll see what happens. Going to the world series prediction. Who do you have coming out of the American league? Who do you have coming out of the national league? Who wins the world series and in how many games? All right. So, I mean, obviously I would love the blue Jays to be that team. And I think they have the pieces to get it done mainly because in a series, you can shorten your rotation out. Right. So Robbie Ray, AL Cy Young candidate, has been phenomenal, obviously. One of my favorite players, Alec Manoa, who's only in his second year. He's a rookie this year, drafted two years ago out of West Virginia. He's been absolutely stunning coming up. I think he came up in June and has just been lights out for this team. He had a huge start over the weekend against Minnesota. He's done very well. Uh, Steven Matz, who came over from the Mets, he had a good season. So I think there's pitching there. Um, and then obviously the offense is very strong if – you know, maybe inconsistent. So I don't know if I'm ready to stamp that Toronto is World Series bound yet. So all that being said, just so I can get away from the norm here, pick for the AL, and this might surprise a couple people, I'm going to go with the Chicago White Sox. I actually really like that team. My preseason prediction way back in March was Chicago White Sox for San Diego Padres. Uh, obviously, the Padres did everything they could to take themselves out of the race, unfortunately. But the White Sox, I think, have a tremendous amount of talent on both sides of the ball. They're so young, but they're so, so good. 
and I love the moves that they've made. Uh, picking up Kimbrell to be your setup guy, leading to Liam Hendricks as your closer. When you have a bullpen like that in the playoffs, that is so important, man. Uh, and then Lance Lynn's been pitching absolutely lights out. Carlos Rodon had the no hitter earlier in the season. And then that's not even taught about the offense yet, which just has so much pop, so much power. Louis Robert coming back. That kid is an absolute monster. He's a future MVP. You heard it here first. I guarantee Luis Robert lives or uh, wins an MVP before his career is all said and done. Uh, so that's AL. And now you can't go against the Dodgers. I just don't see how you can. The Giants have been an amazing feel-good story all season long. Um, I'm just not sold, man. Like they top to bottom, they don't have the talent that the Dodgers have, and they also haven't paid the money the Dodgers have, but. It's part of the game, and Dodgers, they've been there. Obviously, they know what they need to do to win. It's going to be really hard to bet against that rotation that L.A. has. So uh, give me the Dodgers out of the L, and then just for fun, let's call it the White Sox, man. Let's give them the White Sox in six games as uh, World Series champs. As we start to wrap things up, do you have any shout-outs that you want to give, anything you want to promote, and what are ways people can reach out to you to talk Blue Jays baseball or anything else in general? Yeah, sure, man. So you can find me on all social media channels at Mayamo Phil, M-E-L-L-A-M-O-P-H-I-L, Mayamo Phil. And then I actually do a college football podcast with a couple buddies called Shotgun Formation. Uh, we're actually going to be recording this week's episode in about two hours. So I'm doing a double podcast duty tonight. But uh, Shotgun Formation is the college football podcast. We focus on the Big Ten me being a Michigan fan, my other buddies are Purdue and Indiana fans. So kind of a different perspective that you don't really see in the general media, three Big Ten teams. So it's a lot of fun. We enjoy it and would highly encourage everyone to tune in. National League Wildcard. Here with me to talk about the Cardinals and their season and their chances for the postseason is Cardinals fan Willie Marks. How you doing, Willie? I'm great, Earl. Uh, thanks for having me on. This is a real treat for me. I kind of like this aspect of you bringing fans into the mix. This is fun. Glad you and I were able to introduce a little bit. So I can talk Cardinals baseball all day long. So looking forward to seeing what you have in store for me. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I always tell people that the questions are pretty simple and nothing that would be akin to torture or anything like that. Pretty easy, <laughs> especially as diehard fans go. Awesome. Yeah, let's go. Let's get right into it. What do you say? Let's start about it. Oh, Willie, now, how did you become a Cardinals fan? Well, you know, as most people in St. Louis will probably say, we're born into it. So I've, I have been a, a St. Louis Cardinal fan since probably the days that I could walk and probably before then. Um, I have a picture out there of me as like a two-year-old decked out in Cardinal gear that I like to show people from time to time. But when you're born and raised in St. Louis City, St. Louis County, in the greater St. Louis area, you're pretty much a Cardinal fan from the day you you start breathing oxygen. So that's just kind of how we are. We love St. Louis baseball, you know, more than anything else. I think a lot of that is attributed to, you know, back in the day in the 40s and 50s at KMOX, which is still a flagship radio station in St. Louis, was broadcasted basically from Minnesota down to Texas. And so from that, you know, that was one of the easiest ways for people to, to listen and get involved and get interested in St. Louis Cardinals baseball. So I think that legacy of the radio station when they had, you know, millions of users listening to games night in and night out has really sort of, you know, created a lasting legacy throughout the Midwest region. So, I mean, Cardinals Nation, we're expansive. There's tons of us. We travel well. It's just in the water supply throughout St. Louis and Missouri and the Midwest. So it's pretty easy for me just being born in St. Louis. You're just all automatically a fan pretty much. I always hear that Cardinals fans are the most friendliest fans in baseball unless you're a Cubs fan or someone else in the division. But other than that, like an outsider like me, if I'm coming, I'm an Orioles fan. So if I'm coming to St. Louis, I'm I'm probably expecting especially uh, friendliness, especially from basically uh, sibling, a I guess a long lost St. Louis sibling in that case with the Orioles. 
Yeah. And, you know, that that mantra of us being, you know, the best fans in baseball and all that drown out stuff that you probably read all over Twitter and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's probably a little corny, a little cliche. And we probably deserve some of the backlash that comes from it. But it really is. I mean, you've got people that are invested all game long. They will, you know, will cheer opposing players. I mean, I'm sure you saw when Pools came back into town, he got a standing ovation for Reading a home run, which was, you know, really cool for all of us. Obviously, we love Pujols, and um, he will have a special place in, in all of our hearts forever. So, you know, maybe it is drawn out. Maybe it is a little bit corny and blah, 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 blah. But it comes to the territory. You know, we're, we consider ourselves the kings of the NL. So it's lonely at the top sometimes, and we like to let people know about it. But it hasn't been the case for the past, you know, about half decade, five, six, seven, eight years. So we're trying to get back to the mountain, but we'll always be interested no matter what. What is your most memorable Cardinals moment? I know there's so many to choose from. Uh, is it of the recent uh, run with LaRusso? Did it go back to the, the Whitey Herzog days? Where do they stand? So I was born in 1991. So Her- Whitey Herzog probably, you know, predates me. But, um, you know, like you said, there are tons of things to choose from. I mean, obviously, 2011, it, it will never get any better than that. What a run that was. What a roller coaster that whole season was. But for me personally, there's one easy answer, and that would happen to be September 8th, 1998. Big Mac hit 62. He breaks the home run record. Uh, it happened to be on my ninth birthday. I was in attendance like 30 feet above where that ball went over the fence. So to me, it's an easy answer. It's Big Mac. Those are some of my greatest childhood memories is going to games that summer. And yeah, the the steroids and Bonds and McGuire and Palmero and all those guys, maybe some of that legacy has been tainted for obvious reasons, but you can't take that away from us. It still happened. We still there. We still, you know, felt the emotion and the joy. So to me, it's a pretty easy answer being there, being on my birthday with my friends and family. That's something I will take with me for as long as I live. And I, I doubt it'll be eclipsed, but hopefully it does. Expectations coming into the season. What were you thinking for the Cardinals? I know that a very competitive vision, not counting Pittsburgh in that case, but everybody else was very, very excited. Everybody had a lot of optimism. What do you think was in store for the Cardinals? Obviously, I mean, expectations were high. They just got Nolan Arenado. There had been rumors, you know, for about two seasons that the Cardinals were interested in Arenado and negotiations and and talks got pretty close for a while, you know, two years ago, one year ago. So when we started hearing rumors that Arenado was back in the mix for the Cardinals, you know, I kind of just shrugged my shoulders. So, you know, been here, done that. I I wasn't really expecting much. You know, they didn't make any major changes other than that. You know, once Arenado, the deal went through, obviously, you know, we were super excited we're getting some of the pitching healthy. Jack Flaherty's in the contract year, so you knew that he was going to try to put his best foot forward. Um, you know, we had Yachty back for a year. Adam Wainwright's been fantastic. I mean, he is actually probably as a legitimate case as, as far as getting Cy Young votes go. So with all those things in place, we were really excited. In April, we had a good April. We were in first in the Central. Um, we knew the Brewers would be tough. We knew the Reds would be tough. Um, you know, we didn't really know what the Cubs were going to do at the time to start the season. But obviously, you know, we've seen what they've done and they've sort of taken themselves out of the mix. But they were really high um, for a while. And then I would say as the season progressed, you know, I had buddies that were basically betting the Cardinals every single day because we were so confident in the Cardinals. And that probably lasted about, I don't know, probably four weeks until we saw what the team makeup really was. But, you know, when we got into the later stages, Aaron Hicks gets hurt, which is a tough blow. Flaherty, obviously, going down for an extended period of time was tough. Not having Michaelis, not having Dakota Hudson, who were you know, sort of pillars in the rotation for the last two years, that was a tough road for them to overcome. I would say the most polarizing Cardinal in current day is Matt Carpenter. And, you know, it's no secret Carpenter has struggled. He's been a Cardinal legend. He was, you know, he had a season where he had 55 doubles in 2012. He's been a great 
player on and off the field for the Cardinals. But, you know, you start to hear rumblings. People are getting upset. He's hitting under, hitting under 200, has been for a long time. You know, the rotation was kind of lackluster, and the team just didn't really have a whole lot of spunk. I mean, if you would have told me the season that Tyler O'Neill would be having the season that he's having, if Wayno was pitching this well, I thought we would have run away with the Central, but that just hasn't been the case. The pitching hasn't been good. We've been walking way too many people. I think we're going to set a National League record for most walks with the bases loaded in Major League history. I mean, since they've been keeping the statistics since like the 20s. So expectations were high, but they kind of quickly dissipated, sadly. Was there a point you felt like they weren't going to make the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, recently when I think it was two weeks ago, they gave up a walk-off two-run home run um, to some guy I'd never heard of from the Pirates in PNC Park. He hit the thing like into the middle of the river. Um, So that was a tough blow in a game they were leading outright. They lost another couple games to the Cubs earlier than a couple months ago when they had commanding leads into the eighth and ninth inning and throw those away. I mean, that's been really the biggest problem for the Cardinals is holding on to late inning leads. And most recently when Daniel Vogelbach hit one in the second deck, for a walk-off grand slam, which is just a demoralizing game, you know, early in September against a division rival and somebody you got to chase. So I think that's pretty much been the summary of the Cardinal season. And it's, I don't know, I'm hopeful. I can't believe there's still only one game back. I really am shocked. I mean, it's kind of stunning, to be honest, that nobody seems to want to take this last wild card spot. So, you know, I think 2006 and 2011 have kind of broken my brain as a Cardinal fan. You know, 2006, they were the worst team statistically ever to get into the playoffs and wound up winning the World Series and winning in five games. And then obviously in 2011, when they were 11 and a half games out to start August, get in the, on game 162 and then do what they do in the playoffs against against the Brewers and against the Tigers. I mean, it was just, you, you just, you never know what's going to happen. And so I'm hopeful, but not as hopeful as other years. I think the red schedule is probably way too easy. I think our schedule is probably too hard and um, the Padres have, basically impossible final stretch. So we'll see what happens with them, but that's kind of where I am. Was there the optimism for the playoffs at one point? I mean, there still is, and and who knows what will happen going down to 162. Yeah, I mean, why not? We're one game out, right? So why not be optimistic? You never know what's going to happen. But again, I think that the red schedule is probably going to be the deciding factor. You know, you look at it, they've got, I didn't have it pulled up, but I don't know if they play another winning team or, yeah, a team with a winning record the rest of the way. And when we've got, you know, a four-game set with the Brewers and we got uh, another three-game set with the Padres, you know, that I think that'll ultimately be the difference. But again, Cardinal Magic, you know, the voodoo sauce, whatever it is that we have here could strike at any time and maybe the Cardinals get hot and can pull it out down the stretch. But I'm keeping my guard up. I'm not anticipating much, but crazier things have happened. If the Cardinals make the playoffs, who do you feel like they match up the best with in the National League? Hmm. Good question. Um, I would probably say the Padres just because they've been struggling so bad. I mean, Tatis is a monster, obviously. Um, I just don't think their pitching is as good. So I think in a short series, you can maybe get the Padres. You know, I, I know the Cardinals are overmatched against the Giants and the Dodgers. So hopefully we could avoid them, you know, until a championship series. You know, I'd love a crack at a division team, you know, like the Brewers. I know their pitching is unbelievable, but in a short series, maybe they get an outstanding start out of Wayno and Flaherty and see what happens from there. So, you know, I know how good they are. I know Council is a great manager. He, he, you know, they made some pretty awesome moves at the trade deadline, getting Willie Adamas and some other aggressive moves that I think is, you know, going to have them contend deep in the postseason. But I would say I'd be fine with a short series against the Padres and, and hopefully we can get the, the Brewers and then just see what happens from there. 
Who's the team that you don't want to match up with in the playoffs that you don't want to see? I assume whoever comes out of the NL East hasn't been mentioned. I don't know if they're going to be scary either because they're pretty much battle-tested. And I know whoever wins the West and the first wild card are going to be scary as well. Yeah, I, I, you know, the, the the East is interesting. I don't think any of those teams are really any good. I mean, the Mets are their own worst enemy. The Phillies, you know, they come and go. They get really hot. They get really cold. And the Braves, you know, they'd be great. But with no Acuna, you know, some of their pitching's been hurt recently. So, you know, you'll take your chances with the East, you know, and, and this is my carnal brain speaking, but we bullied the, that division around for a long time. Beat the Phillies in the playoffs, beat the Braves 2019. They don't, they don't scare me. Um, maybe that'll come back to haunt me, which is fine. I'll, I'll take that. But yeah, definitely not as nervous against those teams as you are like the Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers are just are, are so good. I can't believe the Giants have held them off for this long. You got Scherzer and Turner at the deadline. You got another Turner that's amazing. You know, Cody Bellinger having a shocking year, obviously, but they have tons of firepower with Seager and their pitching. And I mean, they're ready to go. They've been through this before. They got over the hurdle. So, you know, I think the sky's the limit for the Dodgers for sure. I know a couple of questions. One regarding the Dodgers. I know when the talk of Bulls getting released by the Angels came up, did you think a possible reunion would have been in the cards? No pun intended there. Oh, God. I mean, if you go to my Twitter account, which basically all I do is, is vent about Cardinals baseball, I was like, you know, I, I've listened to enough John Mozeliak quotes in my life, and I thought it was a sure thing. I thought no questions asked. They would go get him. They said right away, they, how couldn't they be interested? I was so excited. I was ready to go back to, you know, as many games as I possibly could. And then I see, like, you know, if I could understand an AL team signing him, right, you can DH him all the time. You don't have to play him at first base all the time. But when he was signed by an NL team like the Dodgers, I'm like, how in the world did the Cardinals let this happen? I mean, ticket sales have been down this year. I'm sure they're down all across baseball with COVID and the Delta variant and everything else. But I couldn't believe it. When I saw reports afterwards, after Pujols had signed with the Dodgers, that the Cardinals never even called him. And so I, I was just dumbfounded. I was so excited that he was going to come back to St. Louis, ride the red carpet all the way to the Hall of Fame. And it was going to be, you know, this great homecoming story. But again, stunned. Couldn't believe the Dodgers pulled the trigger and the Cardinals weren't even on the radar, apparently, from all the reports that I've read. So I was sad. I was shocked. But I'm holding that hope. Maybe he'll sign a one-year deal next year, but we'll see. Yeah, and it's a weird thing. I always saw the the pull hole signing sort of like that weird time that Jim Tomei played for the Dodgers where he's just that power bat off the bench. And so far, Pujols has really, uh, when he comes off the bench, he really has made an impact that watching that Giants game a week or so ago. And it was just, you know, he found the uh, fountain of youth, especially when it comes to especially playing sparingly. But and he comes up in the clutch. I know his health is one thing, but man, you put him on a, you put him in the batter's box with two feet on the ground. And he's healthy. He can still get you a big hit and a big home run at any time. And he basically raised me on big hits and big home runs. So, you know, it, for those 10 years that he was in St. Louis, I think it's the greatest 10 years in the history of the game. But again, I'm biased. I get it. I'll take all the backlash you want, but yeah, it was a real letdown. I'm really sad. He's not there, but it was cool. I got to go to a couple games when he wasn't back in St. Louis. So I hope it's not the last time he plays the game in Bush, but at least I can say that I was there and, and got to send off, you know, my childhood hero. One more question before we go into the predictions of the World Series. Looking at last year's playoffs, where the Cards were in the playoffs, and it looks like looking, with the exception of the Pirates again, I know that there's probably some Pirates fans out there that won't be happy, but I think they'll they'll tell you the truth as well. That basically the playoff order, those teams, it seems like it's been in reverse, where it was Chicago, St. Louis, Cincinnati, Milwaukee. Now it's Milwaukee, uh, Cincinnati, St. Louis, Chicago. What what do you think was different between this year and last year? Was it just the, the lack of another 102 games to, to let everything filter out, or what would you say? 
Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I need some more time to think about it. But I think, you know, I have my own personal thoughts about this Cardinal team. And I think they lack, and I don't want to name names, but I think like this old guard. And again, I love Adam Wainwright. I love Matt Carpenter. But, you know, you see like how Tatis plays the game, right? With just this unadulterated joy and this passion he brings to the sport. And I think that the Cardinals, and I don't know if it's intentional. I don't know if it's you know, accidental. I would think it's more intentional that this quote unquote cardinal way sort of seeps in the locker room where, you know, you don't see as much joy out of these players as you see from a Tatis or a Machado or, you know, um, I would say the Cubs back when they were in 2016, 2017, they kind of had that swag and that freedom and that kind of thing. I think there's still this sort of old guard malaise that still sort of plagues that, you know, you've seen me Usually baseball embrace, like let the kids play and all that kind of stuff. And I think there's this cardinal way, you know, Mike Schilt's been in the organization for, you know, 15 years and you got Wainwright that's been there forever and Carpenter. And it's like, you know, have fun, but don't have too much fun. And I think that that, you know, pops its head into the field a little bit. I think it carries over, um, you know, onto the diamond. So I don't know, maybe a new regime change is needed. I don't know what the solution is there, but I think that like these other teams sort of look like they're just having more fun on the baseball field. So maybe I'm, I'm out of left field. Maybe that's totally out of place, but it just that's what it feels like to me. When you go to the stadium, there's less buzz. When you look at Chicago or you look at San Francisco or you look at San Diego, it's just not the atmosphere and the spunk that it used to have. I was going to say if it was a regional thing, but you just mentioned Chicago. So, I mean, uh, maybe, I was going to say maybe it's sort of a, a West Coast versus Midwest thing. But I mean, but then again, maybe, we also yeah. have the Yankees that, you know, that Yankees mantra has been the same as well uh, for a very long time uh, with the, you know, business as usual and, you know, not too much. I'm, I don't know if the Yankees were more not too much emotion, but, you know, the clean cut. The clean cut pinstripes yeah, yeah, and everything like that. I don't think I'm talking about. Like, let's have fun. Put your hair down. Like, you just go out there and have fun and, and let the, you know, the balls and strikes be the deciding factor. I don't like this, like, you know, buttoned up approach of, you know, we got to do it the cardinal way. I think it's kind of old and drawn out and probably need a reset button on it. Now, Willie, we go to the predictions for the World Series. Who do you have coming out of the American League? Who do you have coming out of the National League? Who wins the World Series and how many games? So I'll start in the National League again. You know, if you I'll, I'll be biased. Uh, I'm not going to say the Cardinals, but in my heart, I'm going to say the Cardinals. But I think it's clear. I think the Dodgers are the best team. I think they're the premium talent. They have all the pitching in the world. Walker Bueller, Scherzer, you know, it's been amazing. They were able to get Scherzer and Trey Turner at the deadline. I mean, the rich get richer. I think they're clearly in a class of their own, even if they're not uh, in first place in the West. I think once they get in, that they'll, they'll blow everybody out of the water. And the AL... Uh, granted, I'll admit I don't follow as closely just because I follow the Cardinals in the Central. But I'm just going to say the White Sox just because Larusa, my boy Lance Lynn, love those two guys. You know, Abreu, I think they got the pitching depth and I think they got the lineup to get it done. So, you know, anybody but Yankees, Red Sox is good enough with me. I'll take the White Sox if they want to win it. I, I got Dodgers and six over the White Sox. I think that's what I'll go with. The Dodgers dressed in town and they kind of took it to us. And I'm like, there's nobody beating these guys. I mean, they're so good defensively. They've got all the offensive power. power. Um, you can ask for, and I just think they're 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 too good to to be taken down this year. Um, as we wrap this up, uh, do you have any social media shout outs? Anything you want anybody you want to give shout outs to? Anything you want to promote? Ways people can reach out to you on social media to talk Cardinals baseball? Yeah, sure. So my Twitter handle is um, at wmarx underscore stl. Um, you can find me there again. My Twitter handle is pretty much just venting about Cardinals baseball. So if you're not into that thing, probably don't want to follow me. Um, and I guess yeah, my second shout out is that I'm a, a, a co-founder of a startup fantasy sports social network called Encore Fantasy Games. 
You can find it at www.encorefan.com. Um, we are a, a new startup. We went live in March. Um, sort of our, our quick elevator pitch is that, Earl, if, if I sent you a friend request on our platform and you accepted, I'd be able to go in and have transparency into your fantasy teams, your trades, your pools, um, going in and looking at it. And it's our, our new proprietary system that we're excited about. We're, we're fundraising and, and we're launching and we're fully fledged company. So if you want to check that out. It's really cool. We think it's a neat feature that hasn't been um, uh, it hasn't existed in the fantasy space. So go check it out again. That's www.encorefan.com. We're live in the app store and on desktop. So feel free to check it out. It's pretty cool. The Los Angeles Dodgers are the defending champions in MLB. And right now they are on the verge to at least making the playoffs to start their title defense. Here with me to talk about the world champions is longtime Dodgers fan, Sergio Arambula. Thank you so much, Sergio, for being on the show. We've had you on before to talk about the Clippers and, and your fandom there as well for our NBA playoff preview. And I'm glad to have you on. Thanks, Ro. Thanks for having me. The first thing I want to do is ask you, how did you become a Dodgers fan? I, I feel like, especially living out on the West Coast, the obvious answer is that you're born into it. I know, of course, when you think Southern California, there's a few teams there. But how did you become immersed in Dodger Blue? You're right. We were born into it. Born and raised in Los Angeles. My pops was the biggest Fernando Valenzuela fan. Fernando Mania, right, in the 80s. And the earliest memories of me were just being a Dodger fan. So I don't know about LA, whether it's a basketball town or if it's a baseball town. It's, it's really close with the Lakers and the Dodgers. And I've been a fan ever since I can remember, really. I can only imagine growing up and being a Dodgers fan, there has to be millions of moments that come to mind. I'm assuming Kirk Gibson's Homer, anything else that occurred to you, what stands out the most in your memory as a LA Dodgers fan? Wow. Oh my God. There's too many memories. There's really too many memories. And you're right. Kirk Gibson's moment is probably the, the quintessential moment of uh, LA baseball. I feel like you see, I was actually born right after that. <laughs> I was born in '89, and that happened in '88. I'm fe- I was born in February '89. That happened in in October of '88. We didn't go to the World Series for another 30 plus years, and I was part of that generation that never got to see us make it. So I would say probably the most memorable moment for me was to make it back against the Astros and having the opportunity to take my dad to the World Series. We went to Game One and. Uh, I'd never seen anything like it. The media, the, the amount of people. We're a traffic town, so uh, unfortunately we have to drive to the game, you know, to Chavez Ravine. Uh, and just seeing the amount of people and just the excitement was just something that I'll never forget. Even though we lost the game in extras to the Asterix, it, we still uh, had a great time. And I think that for me is the most memorable moment as a Dodger fan for sure. You know, going to Chavez Ravine before ourselves, we know definitely about the traffic and the parking. We ended up parking on, I think there's this one little parking lot that you go to. It was basically a parking lot, and then you got to walk your way all the way up. All the way. And I can only imagine. I mean, going there, it's one of those places along Yankee Stadium, which I have yet to see, Mm. and I guess Fenway, I mean, that you would have to go to just to say that you've been – to and just to just say that you've been to one of those cherished places. I mean, yeah, I don't know yeah. how to best symbolize it, but it it is definitely a trip, and it definitely rings nostalgia for for baseball fans. Yeah, correct. It, I don't know. I think it's the third oldest stadium now, which is crazy to think about. I think the Red Sox and uh, Wrigley Field, I think, are the the two older stadiums. 
But yeah, it's it's something beautiful to see the backdrop of the mountains, the San Diego Mountains, with uh, it just has a very 1960s feel, a very California feel with the palm trees as well. It's really cool. If anyone ever gets a chance, they should definitely check it out, without a doubt. Going into the season, what were your expectations, especially coming off the shortened season? And mm-hmm. I know that there had to be some thoughts of, as a Dodger fan, you know, a lot of people are going to say, well, it's a shortened season and all this stuff that they were able to pull it out. Could they have done it over a full 162 game marathon? But coming into the season and that opportunity to not only defend the crown, but to prove those naysayers wrong, what were you thinking the Dodgers could do heading into 2021? You know, it's crazy. I've never been a front runner of a fan. I've always had teams that I root for that were on the cusp of making it or just were always in the middle of the road type of teams. But this is the first year ever where I felt like this we have to win it again. That We have all the pieces there. We have all the talent in the world. We're bringing everyone back. If not, we're adding people, right? I think David Price didn't even pitch last year. He was out. They didn't want to pitch during that time. So I thought our bullpen was good. I thought our, our young pitchers were going to come of age like Urias and, and Bueller. And I was like, we're going to run away with a division and we're going to win the championship. I think that's the expectation still is to actually win the ship this year again. So, yeah, our expectations are really high right off the bat. Looking at the season, was there a time that you were very optimistic that the Dodgers were making the playoffs? Was there a particular moment or anything that that said, yep, we're in it for the long haul and we're ready for the playoffs? You know, we started off shaky a bit. I'm not going to lie. I think it was in maybe two-fifths of the way in where we started to finally like find our groove right before the All-Star break. And that's where I was like, okay, we're finally imposing our will on teams. We're winning series now. We're not like you know, splitting games here and there. And uh, we've been on a toward pace ever since then. So right then and there, I was like, okay, we'll, we'll make it for sure. Obviously, with the Giants just having a spectacular season on their end, now we don't know whether we'll get in there as a first-place team or, or a, as a wild-card team. But I, I knew all along we were going to get to the playoffs. It was just, I guess, how we were going to do it. Was there a point where doubts crept in that this team might not make the playoffs? Like I said, really early on, I think we were just kind of having a rough moment, I thought. We just kind of stumbled off the blocks. It might have been that post-COVID, you know, celebration, I don't know, sophomore jinx or whatever you call it. But from then on out, I I never really had a doubt that we were not going to make it. We just had too much depth, too much talent. Uh, And over a course of a 160 plus game season, I just thought that we were going to have a really good shot. So there wasn't ever a a stop moment where I'm like, ah, we might not make it. So never really had big doubts on it. Normally, I sort of ask the who do you favor the matchups and who you are worried about in the playoffs. But first, we have to preface this. How big was acquiring Max Scherzer and Trey Turner? And what has it done for the Dodgers, especially following the the news that it was going down. I know there was talks San Diego was going to get Scherzer, but then all of a sudden picking up a speedy power hitting middle infielder like Uh Trey Turner and another ace like uh, Max Scherzer. I know that had to be huge, especially knowing we're going to have to end up talking about this anyway, the Trevor Bauer news that sort of uh, damaged, I guess, the Dodgers aspirations for repeating. Correct. You know, the rich get richer. I felt bad for other teams. I'm not going to lie because I got to tell you, I'm always, you know, I'm a big fan of other sports and I know how it feels when you see other teams just get lowed up even more. You know, I, I, this just reminds me of the 
uh, Yankee days back in the day where they would just get whoever they wanted and, and they could just kind of pull their, their muscle to get whoever they, they needed. That was an amazing trade from our front office to land both Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. And you're right, Max Scherzer now replaces what Trevor Bauer should have been for us, right? Which would have been a, a number one or a number two starter, especially with his type of talent. And not not only that, but his uh, track record, right? He's He's been there, done that. He's a veteran. And it just only just amplified my belief that we were set to win this from the beginning. But now it makes it harder for other teams to really compete with us. And we almost got them for nothing, which is something that that was kind of mind-blowing. I feel bad for the Nats fans. Uh, you know, we, we landed two of the better players and just said the rich get richer. So, yeah, it, it just sets us up really well for the playoffs coming here soon. Thinking about that, the possibility of if everything sort of – doesn't happen with the Bauer thing, you could potentially have a rotation of Kershaw, Scherzer, Price, Bauer, Bueller, and and then still have a bunch of other guys who could fill in, take up the slack as a fifth starter. That's an embarrassment of riches is definitely one of those things. Yeah, and then, yeah, and, and you're right, you're right. You you just totally you, you even skipped over Urias, who's probably winning. He has the most amount of games won, right? I think he's eighteen and three, under under two, under three RA right now. And you're right. It's just an embarrassment of riches. And, uh, you know, coming into the playoffs, you know how people go on short rest and we legitly might have four or five starters that could carry us to a championship. And uh, and yeah, it's a nice position to be in. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I was going to say that's probably 71 Orioles comparison. Sure, 20 wins in a season is probably not going to happen anymore, especially let alone by four guys on the same staff. But four guys, maybe – I'd say 90s Braves, but that's even the level of of talent and everything there. But one of the biggest things we're going to talk about that with the success that the Dodgers have had, who knew that one of their biggest rivals would be just as successful, especially how they're doing it. You call it voodoo magic, smoke and mirrors, whatever. But seeing that the biggest rivalry and probably one of the biggest rivalries in baseball history, they're both playing insanely out of their heads well. It's been extremely frustrating and annoying because you'll see, let's say, at the 10-day marker, you know, you'll see the Dodgers go 8-2 and two in the last 10 games, and then you'll see the Giants go 9-1, and one, you know. Or when you have a down moment, you know, you might have a 7-3 and three or a 6-4 and 10-day mark, you know, they'll have a, an 8-2 and two mark, and you're like, how is this team not losing? How, how are they doing it? They were never supposed to be in the picture. I thought it was always going to be the Padres. I thought that was the team that was really going to be challenging us. And they just kept going and going. And I honestly thought, okay, you know, the, the dog days of summer, it's they're going to stumble right after the all-star break. At some point, it's going to catch up to them. And, and we are here literally a week and a half away from the season ending. And they're still up a game on us. And they just don't want to lose. They just don't want to lose. And I, I don't know what to compare it to because I have never really seen this before where a team has – been hot all year and kudos to them man you know they, they made it work they really made it work but it's been really frustrating as a dodger fan so you know and it makes it things more interesting at least but it does suck <laughs> to you do you feel after the world series win it gets a huge burden off the dodgers back and now they can just play without the worry about 
are they one of the best teams, uh, sort of a Buffalo Bills type of mindset, best teams not to win a World Series in that span? Because basically, think about it. The loss in the World Series to the Astros and the Red Sox, the mm-hmm. playoff game in 2019 where Howie Kendrick hits that homer that that rallies the Nationals past the Dodgers, and then finally being able to get over that hump against the Rays. What does that mean, especially when it comes to the relief that that World Series brought over the past five years? You know, it was a shortened season, and I thought that, you know, it might have felt different because, you know, it was a season that really didn't reflect on how a team could have really done well during the span of a regular season, or if, you know, people were going to give it an asterisk because, you know, you didn't have fans on the stands and you didn't really have to travel like you, you had to do before, and it still felt great. It still felt like it, it was a championship. It was something that you felt really good for Kershaw, you know, getting that monkey off his back. Seeing the other guys that have been there with us for a long time and finally coming through, it really felt good. And I think, at least this is what I think, I know we are favored this year, right? But it doesn't feel like we have put that much pressure on the Dodgers to win it again. I mean, we would love for them to win it again, but we were extremely happy with what happened last year, especially during such a crazy year of 2020, that it really made us happy. It made LA happy. We went out there and celebrated. And I don't think that there's as much pressure for them to win it this year as, as they would have had any other year because they won it last year. So kind of my take on that. Looking into the playoffs, Who's the team you feel the Dodgers match up the best with in the National League? The best they match up. Ooh. I, you know, for whatever reason, they always match up really well with the Braves. And they've always had the Braves number. <laughs> so I feel like, you know, we got, let's say we go through and we play the Braves in the in the championship series. I think it, it, it will be a, a very easy, I wouldn't say a cakewalk, but it would be a very easy a series for us. I, I've always felt like we've always matched up well with them. Besides that, I think all the rest of the teams might give us some trouble, but I, if, but overall, I would say the Braves would be probably the best matchup that we, we might have in the entire playoff run that hopefully we will have. Who scares you? As a Dodgers fan, who scares you in the National League? Mm-hmm. I assume it's the Giants. Could it be Milwaukee just because they can go toe-to-toe with you pitching-wise? Or could it even be the Cardinals who are surging right now? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think just like the scenario that I explained to you, I, I really do think that whole one-game playoff, if we do not win the division, I'm very concerned just because of anything can happen in one game. I think the Cardinals, the Cardinals have always had our number uh, in a weird way. And I just... Wouldn't like that matchup for just one game. Um, the Giants, I don't know. They played us really well this year. It, it would be a shortened series. Whoever, let's say, we face off in the division series, um, I, it would be a five-game series. I, that would be difficult. But I, I, I'm really more scared for that one-game playoff if we do not win the division because anything could happen. So I would say the Cardinals overall would probably give me the most amount of scare um, going into the playoffs. As we go to the World Series predictions, who do you have coming out of the American League? Mm. Who do you have coming out of the National League? Who wins the World Series and and how many games? Whew. That's good. That is good. You know, from the American League, I'm, I'm going to give it to the Astros. I think the Astros are going to come out. I think this is their last hurrah before the team splits up. I think Correa might not be there soon. I think uh, Bregman might not be there soon. Um, I like their chances in the playoffs. Obviously, the Rays are there. 
but I, I just think the Astros got what it takes to get there. So I, I feel like they're going to be the surprise, I guess, out of the American League. And then out of the National League, I'm definitely going to give it to the Dodgers. I just don't see anyone really giving us a hard time. I think the one-game playoff, or let's say we were to tie with the Giants, and now we have to play a division game to win the division. Let's say we lose that game. Now we have to face, let's say, the Cardinals in the one-game playoff. It might get dicey there because anything could happen in one game. But over a stretch of five or seven game series, I just don't see anyone with enough firepower to really keep up with us. Uh, eventually, I'm going to give it a call. I'm going to say the Dodgers over the Astros. And they'll get their revenge, uh, this time with no trash cans in the back. And I would say in six games, I, I will give the Astros uh, two. But I, I just don't see them or anyone really out of the American League uh, really challenging us. So it's really weird to say that because I didn't pick the Clippers to win the NBA championship, although I'm a Clipper fan and they didn't win it. So I'm, I'm very not biased towards my teams, but this year I just feel like we do have what it takes to really win it again. So I'm going to go with the Dodgers in six games over the Astros. Do you have anyone you want to give any shout outs to uh, anything you want to promote? How are ways people can get up with you on social media to talk Dodgers baseball? No, no, man, not not really. Just want to give a, a shout out to uh, Jeopardy, uh, Sports Jeopardy champ Vinay. I know uh, that's how we were uh, able to link up Earl and, you know, not much. Just, uh, you know, shouting out to all the Dodger fans. Hopefully our team goes far this year. Go blue. American League wildcard. The New York Yankees are in a race for the wildcard spot in the American League. And it looks like it is a huge race with at least Five teams going for one or two spots, really, when you think about it. This is my guest here to talk about the New York Yankees. You know him as the multi-time, 15-time winner on Sports Jeopardy and someone who's been on the podcast several times. This is Vinny Baradarajan. Vinny, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to talk about the Yankees. I know that you have been a diehard Yankee fan, and I know it's got to be, I guess, stressing you out right now this season. Yeah, Earl, it's always great to be on. Thank you for having me. And I can speak for all Yankees fans. It's just been like ups and downs and it's been, well, I mean, the good news is Stanton, Giancarlo Stanton is healthy again. So that's always good, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I don't know what to say. This is just like one of those seasons where you're just like so infuriating and, and they're still in the thick of it, but uh, it could be worse. I guess that's the best way to look at it. We could be the Orioles. No offense. Sorry, I have to go there. At least <laughs> I mean, how did you become a Yankees fan? I'm going to be going under the assumption that being from New Jersey, that you uh, just really were basically ingratiated into that whole Yankee fandom. Yeah, a couple of things like what are the perfect storm? One being growing up back in the day, my family only got the cable channel to carry the Yankees and not the Mets. And so back then uh, the Yankees, the Knicks, and like even the Rangers were on MSG and, uh, the Mets, the Nets, and the other hockey teams were on Sports Channel, and we didn't carry get that. So we got weekend games from the Mets, but we got all the games for the Yankees. And then, of course, I started watching baseball when I was seven, which happened to be 96. And so that was the perfect year to become a Yankee fan and start watching baseball. So, you know, to this day, I can probably name everyone on the 96 like Yankees. That's probably my favorite team of all time. So... It's kind of a perfect storm, you know. Not bad to have the core four, you know, Bernie Williams, Prime Five. I don't know what they call it with Bernie, but Tino, Paul O'Neill, even old guys like Mariana Duncan, of course, Wade Boggs. I mean, that was a pretty fun year. So, uh, 
it was a perfect storm and they kept winning. So, you know, they sent me up for failure though in my 30s because now I've gone 12 years without seeing a Yankees World Series. So uh, that's a long time. And I'm guessing the assumption the 96 team would be one of the more exciting times of being a Yankee fan in your memory. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's pretty subjective because I'm seven years old and I, I don't really know what the hell is happening. I've seen them go all the way was pretty amazing. I'm making the shallow left field for the final out in 96, and I'm convinced there's never been a better celebration of a team winning the World Series than the Yankees that year. Like, they all just, like, dogpiled uh, on the pitcher's mound. Like, Paul O'Neill, you can see videos of him, like, you know, like, tumbling over, and then Wade Boggs famously rode on a police horse, you know. And so that's the team that sticks out. Also, like, Joe Torre at the time. Um, you know, Joe Torre was going through a lot of, of you know, uh, issues with his with his brother being in the hospital. So, like, I'm sure every Yankees fans probably watch Yankeeography 60 billion times if they grew up in the 2000s on Yes Network. So uh, that was a big year. So, I mean, 98 was great, too. 99, 2000, even the years they didn't win the World Series. Like, one of my favorite teams was probably 2005. They didn't win the World Series. They didn't even make it to the ALCS, but they were a team that no one, like, gave them a, no one gave them a chance. And with Joe Torre still at the helm, they were able to, like, win, like, 95 games. And go to the playoffs with a really depleted roster. So, yeah, I mean, 96 is still going to be number one in my heart. Going into the season, I know everybody talks about 2020, the 16-team playoff, and the uh, Yankees were able to clinch the fifth seed in the American League. To you, what were your expectations and thoughts going into this season, being able to parlay that chance of making a playoffs for another spot for the playoffs again? I mean, honestly, I thought it was World Series or bust. I thought that the Yankees and Tampa Bay would still be there. One team that I'm really pleasantly surprised to be doing so well and better than the Yankees at this point is Toronto. I mean, Toronto last year, I thought the benefit of a short 60-game season really benefited them. But, I mean, those young kids, man. I mean, Vlad, any other year, Vlad would have been the MVP this year. But, you know, with Shohei Otani going two-way, he might win the Triple Crown and still not get an MVP, which is insane. But I didn't figure Boston to be back in it. And, um, you know, Alex Cora being back, you know, it's almost as if 2020 never happened. So it's a tough year. But the Yankees also have an ace in Garrett Cole. They brought back everybody pretty much. So I expected the Yankees to be in it. I didn't know if they were strong enough to win the division. But I thought, like, hey, they can be there for game 163 in the wild card, which is they're right on schedule. But, I mean, they have a 13-game winning streak and was 7 of 9. and. And, and then they have this infighting during the Subway Series. I mean, the irony is like the one guy who's really killing it for the Yankees is the guy who's like, you know, made of glass, Giancarlo Sin. Like he's always been injured. And this year, knock on wood, he's definitely um, healthy and he is ripping the ball. I mean, you just don't want to pitch to him. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think the Yankees are, in the words of the late Dennis Green, are where we thought they were. Was there a point where you were confident the Yankees were going to make the playoffs? Yeah, probably maybe the end of August, they were on a 13-game winning streak. They were killing it, and surprisingly, they had not won, like, 13 in a row since, like, 1961. You know, the M&M boys, Whitey Ford, but, you know, uh, Roger Maris at 61. So that was really like, hey, you know, this team has finally turned the corner. But then again, i probably just prefacing it into your next question. Then they went on this huge losing streak, and I'm like, oh, my God. So right now, I think, honestly, their chances of even making the wild cards 50-50, I mean – I honestly think there's actually a chance that Toronto might win the division because if they got like five more games against the Rays and if Toronto keeps it up, they might actually be in first place. And it might be the Yankees, if they're lucky, it might be the Yankees and either the Red Sox or Toronto or the Rays in the one-game playoff. 
So I think, honestly, the Yankees right now are 50-50. If they can hold up on pitching, if Glaber Torres can get healthy again and play to his potential. But right now, the Yankees also don't have a closer. Chapman is garbage, and it's like, I don't know. I just think the Yankees might need a change in leadership, and that, that might make things maybe. But the season's still alive, so let's see what magic they can do if the, in the next, what, three weeks before the season ends. Who do you feel the Yankees would match up the best with in the playoffs if they make it? I'm not really sure how to answer that. I, I want to say Chicago because they're not tested after what happened last year, but they did go to a series last year. And honestly, the Yankees and White Sox would be a fun series after that Field of Dreams game. If every game went down to the wire like that, that would be great for baseball. I would guess Chicago probably they would have a good matchup. But honestly, for the Yankees, they probably want to play someone in their division, to be honest, because it's pretty even. Obviously, having games in home in Tampa, if they play Tampa Bay, I think also, remember, everyone's playing at home. So can Tampa Bay be a good environment to play in? I think the one team I would not want them to play is Toronto, because I think Toronto would just be a bad matchup. I think they have so many arms and so many bats, and they also have pretty good arms right now. So I would probably say if the Yankees uh, were to play a team, it would probably be either Chicago or Tampa Bay, and then the team I'd avoid is Toronto. And then maybe also the Astros, because the Yankees, for some reason, the Yankees can't figure out the Astros in the playoffs. It seems like every year the Yankees and Astros are involved. They've always lost them. I think that's three straight times they've lost now, like, 2015, 2017, 2019, cheating notwithstanding. The Yankees seem to just always have problems against uh, Houston. When it comes to this madness of the wild card race in the American League, seeing how that you have two divisions with at least seven teams competing for at least four playoff spots, who do you think is the dark horse out of those seven teams competing for those four playoff spots? You still have Oakland, I mean, you still have Seattle, you have all those other teams, Toronto, Tampa. Yeah. Are, are we talking only the American League or are we talking about both leagues? Just the American League for right now. I just don't think Seattle has enough to make it. I don't even think Oakland has it right now. So I'm going to say it's either Toronto or the Red Sox because the Red Sox are like, I feel like everyone thought Toronto, this was like a team on, on the rise. But I don't think a lot of people thought that Boston could keep this pace up because Boston, out of the gate, they were like the best team for a while. And then they slowed down, but they've kept it up. So you got three AL East teams right now that are within a game of one another. And Tampa Bay is likely going to win the division. But Toronto might surprise people. Toronto might actually win the division. And that's like very unlikely, but that's a possibility. So I would say my dark horses are Toronto for the division, but then the Red Sox are still being here like already 140 games into the season. Another question we can pose, as you mentioned, a possible need for a leadership change. I assume it starts in the dugout, and who would you have to replace Aaron Boone at manager? I'm not a fan of the front office like dictating the field managing position. I feel like what's the point of having a field manager? And I think Booney just... I feel like after what happened with Phil Nevin and him being so vocal, like you don't see that. And I think having somebody who's a little more vocal would help. I know that they had a guy named Hensley Mullins who um, has been passed over many times for managerial, and I, I think he would do a great job. He was formerly a Yankee back in the day in the 80s, and then he was been with the Giants organization as well. And I think somebody like Hensley Mullins might be good, or even honestly, I'm probably aging myself, but I'd love to see someone like Louis Soho get the opportunity because he's worked, he's toiled away in the minors. I, th I think what gets me angry with, with the way baseball is is like, so many players, so many former players who've never actually managed at all in the minor leagues. Like, for example, Boone came from the uh, 
Sunday night baseball booth. And so did David Ross for that matter. In terms of like managing, like I, I feel like a lot of managers who just get overlooked who've been toiling away in the minors. I'm like, what the hell are they doing that for if they're never going to get a chance to manage in major leagues? Like, I don't know. To me, that always made me angry. Like, you know, some of these players are just, just coming out of the broadcast booth and right into the dugout. And I feel like that's not fair. So I think there are a lot more candidates. And honestly, it's kind of interesting. The Yankees have never had a minority manager which is a little surprising. I mean, maybe it's not, I don't know, but I think it might be time for a change. And I think they would want to maybe hire a former Yankee who also has managed in the minor leagues or elsewhere. But it's a veteran group, so I can also see the need to get a veteran manager. But um, I'm hoping there's a change. I don't think Boone's a bad guy. I just think he's he doesn't bring anything that changes. Probably someone a little more vocal. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I always keep thinking, oh, don't be surprised if Buck Showalter shows up in the Bronx again. I mean, that would be kind of cool if he got a World Series after everything that happened. Like, you know, they fired him in 95, and then, you know, Joe Torre took over, but he laid a lot of the foundation. I've always wanted, like, secretly, too, I've always wanted Willie Randolph to manage again. I thought that he got a broad deal in New York with the Mets, and I was like, you know, this is a guy who played for the Yankees for 13 seasons. I guess it's not going to happen. I think Willie's in the 60s and he's probably enjoying retirement. But I just thought like he got one opportunity and it it kind of like leans towards like in baseball where minorities don't seem to get the opportunities or they don't get some of the opportunities that other players get. And that still makes me mad. I mean, I love baseball, but let's face it, it is not as diverse as it used to be. And maybe it is at the player level, but at the manager level, it's still very tough. I keep going by what Adam Jones said about the lack of minorities and lack of black players looking at that. I mean, he wasn't lying about that. Even it's though that's a what, 8%, 9% now? Yeah, and you could go back in 1994 and you could name at least a good 50 black players, not even counting Dominican players, not counting uh, Puerto Rican players. I could think of like, there was like six on the Orioles at I the mean, time and not just think of all the think, Yankees that were there. I'm kind of thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm always thinking of like Tim Anderson, like maybe like the first player I'm thinking in my head. But yeah, it's not a lot. Um, Aaron Hicks for the Yankees as well. But yeah, you're right. It's not a lot. Cedric Mullins. You know, baseball's touting. I find it ironic that baseball's touting. It's the 50th anniversary of the Pirates fielding an all minority team composed of blacks and Hispanics. And like 50 years later, it's like the amount of African-Americans in baseball is so low. It's an unfortunate thing, but and all Sorry this, oh, and it's all this thing to gain the younger fans. You're definitely not making it a little easier when it comes to attracting new fans. I mean, you never know what's going to happen next. I was going to go so far fetched saying you might see female players in, but I doubt that's going to ever happen. You know, interest is dwindling among youth in so. general. I mean, so. I I think we might have a female manager and a female female managers and female like uniform coaches, like pitching coaches or something of that matter. I think it's a matter of time. I'm actually surprised in the NBA it still hasn't happened yet with Becky Hammond. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. But maybe I'm not surprised, but I'm surprised in a way. Looking at the World Series predictions, who do you have coming out of the American League? Who do you have coming out of the National League? Who wins the World Series? And in how many games? So I think the National League is going to be the winner of the West. Um I'm I'm really hoping that the Dodgers and the Giants actually play in the playoffs because that's never happened, which is insane. They played three game series in 1951 and 1962, but technically those are regular season games. But you know, they've actually never played in the postseason. So I still can't believe that the Giants are doing this. To be honest, it's an insane. Like nobody gave them this opportunity that they were going to run with it. That being said, I do see the Dodgers repeating in the National League. I think that the addition of Max Scherzer 
has absolutely fortified their rotation. Clayton can take his time. In a one-game playoff, I think Max Scherzer with the ball, the way he's been balling, is going to be insane. But I got the National League for the Dodgers. And then for the American League, honestly, I hate to say it as a Yankees fan, I, I, I just don't see it this year. So I think it's going to be a rematch of last year's ALCS. It's going to be between Houston and – I think it's going to be between Houston and um, Tampa Bay. I think it's a really, I think Tampa Bay wins again. I mean, they got the rookie of the year, Randy Rosarina. How many times can you name a player off the top of your head who won LCS MVP and then the following season won rookie of the year? Oh, a K-Rod, um, right? Maybe K-Rod if he didn't even win maybe that. Maybe but... K-Rod. I think it's going to be Tampa Bay and it's going to be the Dodgers again. And I think it's going to be the same result. I, I think it's going to be the Dodgers winning again. And this time it would be in five or six games. So I'm not that original, but... Look, if, if I had a dark horse candidate, look, I'd love to see Cincinnati against Toronto the World Series. I think that'd be fun. I'm sure nobody with MLB and ratings wants to see it. I'd love to see new blood in the World Series. But I just think that the Dodgers are a well-oiled machine, and um, they have the pitching to get through the World Series. And Tampa Bay, same thing. I think Kevin Cash learned his lesson, too. So maybe, maybe that might flip the script. It's going to be interesting to see because – so many teams are scrambling for that last spot. We never know what will happen with three weeks left before playoffs start on October 6th. Before we wrap this up, do you have any shout-outs that you want to give? And what are ways people can talk to you about sports in general or the Yankees in general on social media? Um, I use Twitter. I'm not going to lie. I've taken a break from social media completely. But um, I am at Exit130 on Twitter. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. It is nice to see some baseball. But yeah, it's kind of crazy right now. But you can always reach out to me on Twitter at Exit130. And so, uh, yeah, I do have like a cat baseball cat blog that I swear I, I should update, but I have not updated in a while. But I had a, um, a channel called Cap of the Week, like CAP, that showcases a different baseball hat. Um, I think there's like 70 or so videos, but they haven't been uploaded in a while. So hopefully uh, I'll be doing that in the future. But yeah, I'm looking forward right now to a great you know pennant race. Uh, there's a lot of races, I think, except for the central divisions. I think everything else is up for grabs. So who knows? Maybe the Mets will actually win the division too. You never know. National League West champions. The San Francisco Giants are leading the National League West and are getting closer and closer to clinching another division title. Basically, you could say the team of the 2010s, especially with three World Series titles, they're back at it in the 2020s. And here to talk with me about the Giants and their successful season winning 100 games so far and maybe even more is longtime Giants fan John Hernandez. John, I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be a part of this interview. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's good to be here. It's always fun to talk baseball and especially Giants baseball. Yeah, I was telling you off air that maybe in Delaware I could find a New York Giants fan if I wanted to talk football, but trying to find a San Francisco Giants fan to talk baseball is the toughest thing in the world. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of us out here on the East Coast. I mean, I'm in Pittsburgh and uh, there's not too many of us here either. Uh, it's fun to run into somebody around town wearing a Giants hat or something like that, talk to them. But yeah, we're we're kind of few and far between out here in the East. And I know before, as we go into the interview, one thing I want to ask you, how did you become a Giants fan? I am assuming living in Pittsburgh, it involves a particular player who used to play for the Pirates and uh, ended up heading a little bit west. That's true, but I'm not from Pittsburgh. My wife's from here. And actually what happened was I grew up in Wyoming. When I was a kid, my dad told me, he's like, you know, pick teams, stick with them. And exactly like you said, I, I started collecting baseball cards when I was a kid. I loved Barry Bonds. 
which is kind of funny. I ended up in Pittsburgh now because I loved him ever since I got his first baseball card when he was on the Pirates. And then when he went to San Francisco, I followed him. I still followed the Pirates a little bit, but I was pretty much all in on Barry Bonds and the Giants. And it that was, you know, when I was probably, uh, I think I was 15 when he when he left Pittsburgh to go to San Francisco. So it was all in from there. And it was rough for a while and uh, until the, uh, the 2010 season came around, really. But it's been a while. I'd say I've, I've been a Giants fan about 30 years now, and it's uh, it's going pretty well. The biggest thing I want to ask you, especially about that, is did you feel like you got flat because it's a particular player that you followed as opposed to some people might be who are like living in St. Louis who used to be Rams fans or like now we don't have anybody to follow anymore or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I think that happens a lot. I think, you know, in my situation, it was more like I said, uh, I was a fan of the home run hitters back in the 80s and stuff, Conseco, and I love the Bash brothers and, you know, that stuff. And then Bonds, seeing pre all the steroid talk and all that stuff, seeing everything he could do on a baseball field was just incredible. So following him to a team was not growing up in a place that had any teams. You know, even when I was a little kid, the Rockies weren't even around until, you know, the early 90s. So I literally didn't have a team anywhere near where I was growing up. And it was interesting to find a team and stick with them. I kind of just went from, I had a bunch of friends that, you know, oh, this was our Little League baseball team name. So that's the team I like. And they've stuck with them, you know, things like that. And I was more like, oh, I like Barry Bonds and follow him wherever he went. I know you have a lot of choice, especially in the past 10 years. Most memorable moment as a San Francisco Giants fan? Man, um, you know, when they won the World Series in 2010, you know, Brian Wilson finishing out that game was incredible after waiting all this time for it's kind of rough like I said growing up in Wyoming I didn't have any teams really and so I I, the teams I picked was the Utah Jazz which were closer which it's been rough being fans of the Jazz especially with Michael Jordan around of course and then probably the biggest mistake I made was picking the Atlanta Falcons that was my football team and we all know how that's gone for you know forever so it, it was rough for a while you know being a fan of those three teams I I didn't have any championships at all until you know 2010 came around and that's probably my number one memory is being a Giants fan but a very very close second and probably right right up there was uh Giants playing the Pirates here in Pittsburgh in the wild card in 2014 and uh Bumgarner just shutting the Pirates down, Crawford hitting that grand slam, you know, around all these Pittsburgh people here, watching the game with a bunch of Pittsburgh fans and stuff and rubbing it into them. That was really high up on my Giants memories for sure. But like you said, there's these last 12 years, there's there's been a lot. I mean, Ishikawa sending them to the World Series in, in 2014 and, you know, Romo striking out Cabrera for the World Series in 2012. There was a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff. Which championship do you put over the other? I know, like you said, they're they're tough, especially when you have three championships in a in a six year span. Yeah, you know, it, the, the 2010 was the most special, I think, just like as a giant. And we'd been waiting, you know, so long. But that 2014 run with uh, Bumgarner, as someone who loves baseball and not just the Giants, I mean, I love baseball. I love watching historical things. You know, like look at the stuff this year with Otani and some of the stuff that's happening. Bumgarner's, you know, playoffs and World Series run in 2014. I think was just insane. I don't know if we'll ever see anything like that again. So the 2010 one, I think was awesome because it was the first one, you know, in San Francisco, but that Bumgarner run in 2014, that was incredible. It was just amazing. Uh, going into the season, what were you, the expectations? I know Gabe Kapler, another year back, everybody thought, well, in Philadelphia, it didn't work out. Why would it work in San Francisco? But heading into this season, did you think they would have a, a roster assembled for a hundred wins starting in spring training or was this something no. that just sort of came out of nowhere no ab- 
Absolutely not. And I and I'll tell you this right now. Anyone who said they saw the Giants where they're at now is lying. Because there's there's no one. I I mean, even probably the most diehard Giants fans were maybe hoping for a, a 500 season. It's always strange going from you know someone like someone like Bochi to Kapler, and you know if you've been a manager for so long, and you know Kapler and Philly, it didn't work that great. But I wasn't super super excited when they hired him, just because you didn't really know what to expect. But it seems like his attitude with these guys, and I think him having Posey and Crawford and Belt and a lot of these veterans on there that played against him and things like that that you know I think that's created a level of respect and you know a lot of these young guys that know but nobody expected to do what they're doing I was hoping for maybe a 500 season I was hoping oh maybe they can surprise some people I had no idea it would turn out like it has I mean I, I'm pretty sure I was like everybody else with the Dodgers and Padres and maybe the Diamondbacks and then you know the Giants might be ahead of the Rockies was what I was hoping for but you know the Padres we see they're just paper champions and the Dodgers are good, like every year, trying to buy another championship, but Giants, I think, surprised everybody. To you, what was it do you think has been the secret sauce? You mentioned Kapler and, and having the respect of the veterans, but to you, it, it doesn't seem like they've done well. I know Mike Kaczynski had a breakout season last year, and he's been, uh, while his average has been low, I mean, he's still putting out the power supply. But to you, what is it that has been such a big factor in their success? Yeah, I've been really surprised and, and super impressed and happy with their pitching. Gossman, I think it was kind of like, okay, you know, this guy could be good. And, you know, especially the first half of the season, he was pitching so amazing. Him and DeGrom were right. And the fact that you're in the same sentence as DeGrom, when nobody's even heard of Gossman, you know, before this year was was impressive. But yeah, I think the pitching has been great. The bullpen's a little, little shaky at times. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I saw that they'd blown something like 18 or 19 games, that they could be six or seven games up on the Dodgers at this point. But bullpen's a little shaky. But I really think, you know, the power's been there. You know, the Giants just set their single season record for home runs as a franchise, which I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. But you look at a lot of these guys that it just seems like they've meshed so well together. Like Lamont Wade has been playing incredible, you know, getting Lastella, you know, before the season started. And I think it's a lot of these young guys mixed in with these older veterans. And you look at Posey took last year off because of COVID. He came back and it looked like he got a lot of his energy back and he's played great. Crawford is, you know, nobody talks about him in the MVP race. I definitely think he belongs there. Belt has a career high in home runs. A lot of these guys have just done things that nobody thought they would do towards the end of their careers. And I think a lot of the younger guys seeing that too, their defense has been great. It just seems like they're feeding off each other and it's pretty fun to watch. It's just been, you know, a lot of these games where they're getting down two, three runs and all of a sudden they start coming back and you see the excitement that that hasn't been there for, you know, four or five years now. So I think it's just been a really good meshing together of the veterans, the young guys, of the pitching. And, you know, I think Kapler's made a lot of good moves during this year. Is there a particular moment during the season where you think, yep, these guys are going to the playoffs? Yeah, you know, it's funny because even for the last month, month and a half, I tell people all the time, like, I just, I'm super pumped and I'm super happy what's going on, but I'm just kind of waiting for the run to end. You know, I just kind of have this feeling like it's just almost too good to be true. But, you know, it was a couple weeks ago when they played the Dodgers, every game was close. They ended up winning that series. And that right there was, you know, they were right there on the wild card anyway. I was like, you know, they're going to make the playoffs and hopefully it's not a wild card, but, you know, the division be better, but the wild card will work too. But yeah, it was probably, you know, honestly, I'm not going to say that I figured this in July that they were going to make the playoffs. It's been, for me anyway, it's kind of been like, Loving the ride, but being cautiously optimistic about it just because it kind of seems like 
it could have ended at any time and it's still going. So I'm hoping that they can go through October and we'll see what happens there. Was there a time you were worried about them making the playoffs? Was there a stretch that made you sort of uh, worried? It's like, okay, will the Dodgers or the Padres overtake us? Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say I thought that, you know, everybody knows the Dodgers, you know, they won the division, I don't know what, eight or nine years in a row. So it was kind of like, well, you know, we're just waiting for the Dodgers to hit their run. You know, then they signed, then they traded for Scherzer and Trey Turner. It's like, oh man, like, you know, they're, they're going all in again. And right then I was kind of like, well, hopefully the Johns make the playoffs. But after these moves, it kind of looks like the Dodgers, you know, might take them for the division. I've never really thought that, like, like I said, I was cautiously optimistic they'd make the playoffs to begin with. So I wasn't really thinking like, maybe they won't make the playoffs. It was just kind of like, I'm just going to ride this. And right now they're in the wild card. Right now they're in the division lead. The last couple of months has been kind of just riding this wave. They don't get on these big losing streaks. I mean, I think in the last month or two that I think they lost four in a row one time, like the Braves series and then Dodgers game. And you kind of think, well, I don't know. This, this is getting a little bit dicey here. And then they just come back and win, you know, three, four series after that. So I think they've just been such a nice, nice surprise for me anyway to see, you know, times where it looks like they're about to fall behind and all of a sudden they just bounce back and go and win a few series in a row and look really strong again. Going into the playoffs, who do you feel the Giants match up the best with in the National League? I personally think that the best matchup for the Giants would be the Brewers. And that's almost because I don't want to see them play the Cardinals, who are just ridiculous out of their minds right now. And that's a very scary team that's just, they're good every year. And they're just, I mean, this this run they're on right now is just crazy, crazy good. The Dodgers, as much as I'd love to see the Dodgers-Giants playoff series, that worries me a little bit too. I think the Giants could hold their own, but you know, the Dodgers are a tough team. I think the Brewers are good too, but I think the Giants probably match up best with them. And uh you know, we'll see what happens if those two match up in the playoffs. But I think um, as it's looking right now, if the Giants do hold on to the West and the best record, I mean, you're looking at Dodgers or Cardinals probably, and that's going to be a tough first round for sure. What is it about the Cardinals, I guess, is scared you? Is just the fact that they're peaking at the right time? Yeah. Or is it that all of a sudden it is the 2014 Royals? As an Orioles fan, I'm thinking, well, we won the East. We got past Detroit, where we thought were going to be the scariest team with the three Cy Young Award winners. And then next thing you know, we run into the spunky little uh, Royals team that, that swept them in four games. Yeah. You know, man, the Cardinals, it's just one of those teams that, like, you know, every year going in, when I talk with all my, my baseball friends and stuff, it's like, you know, the Cardinals, it doesn't seem like they have any, like, big superstars anymore. Like, these guys that scare everyone. But, man, they're just... Uh, something about that front office and bringing in the right guys and the right players. And I think they're, I mean, watching some of these games and I think they have the pitching. They're very similar to the Giants in the fact that they got these veterans like Wainwright and Molina and, you know, Goldschmidt and, and Aaron Otto are obviously studs too, but they're also these veterans that are kind of, you know, bringing on these these young guys that to kind of bring them along with them. You look like this O'Neill kid. I mean, it's ridiculous some of the stuff they're doing. And, you know, they hit their stride at the right time. And they're extremely well managed. I think their hitting coach and stuff is is incredible. So I think they also have the benefit of being in not such a super tough division. But I think they really peaked at the right time. They're just, I mean, this this reminds me a lot of, you know, a few years ago when you know the Rockies went on that ridiculous run. I mean, they they lost to the Red Sox in the World Series. It was what oh oh four oh five something like that. But you know, to win all those games at the end of the year and kind of almost sweep their way through the playoffs to the World Series. Uh, kind of looks like the Cardinals are are on that kind of same run, and it's, it's impressive to watch, but it's a little bit scary as an opposing fan of a team. 
To you, the injury with Evan Gloria early on, how devastating was that? And how beneficial was getting Chris Bryant from the Cubs and filling that hole? Yeah, that's huge. I think like everybody else, I was a little bit surprised that the Cubs just kind of traded away their entire roster almost and just like kind of gave up when they did. I was actually out on vacation in Utah with my family when the trade deadline was about to go down. And I remember Baez got traded to the Mets and they were talking about Bryant. And I was like, man, that'd be pretty awesome if he came to San Francisco. And sure enough, that worked out. And I was really pumped. And, you know, Longoria, that dude's been a stud for a long time. And, you know, in Tampa, he was really good. Uh, He's been I think a huge veteran leadership guy and just, you know, he still has some pop in that bat. He's still a pretty, pretty good defensive third baseman for his age and stuff. But having Bryant is just so huge. Having a guy who won the MVP, you know, four or five years ago, his age and still, you know, being able to stick him at third base, being able to throw him in the outfield and, you know, bring him in as a pinch hitter that is hitting home runs and has a huge bat like he does. I I think that's been huge. And the fact that he grew up a Giants fan also is a big deal. You know, it always seems like these guys that go to teams they rooted for as kids, Brandon Crawford, being a Giants fan his whole life and, you know, playing for this franchise. And you see the different kind of excitement that they have for a team they grew up rooting for and stuff like that. But yeah, I think, you know, when Longoria went out, that sucked. And it's like, yeah, hopefully that doesn't stay. But I think picking up Chris Bryant has been huge. And the GM and the front office has done a great job, I think, of, of putting players around him. And, and if something like that does happen with an injury, having somebody ready to step up and having these guys perform at a high level, which has been great to watch. Going to the World Series prediction, who do you have coming out of the American League? Who do you have coming out of the National League? Who wins the World Series and in how many games? I think the Rays are the team to beat the American League. I kind of was all in on them last year. I think it'd be I think it'd be interesting to see what would have happened had they not pulled, you know, Blake Snell in that game. I think they have a really, really good young team that is just playing really good and some of those guys in there Rosarina and, and some of these dudes are are really really good and I think they kind of fly under the radar everybody talks about oh Yankees Red Sox you know I'm sure being an Orioles fan you're sick of all that Yankees and Red Sox stuff but I think the Rays kind of flew under the radar of having you know a really good team so I think the Rays are going to come out of the American League I think the Giants are going to go to the World Series this year call me a homer uh, they've been doing the right things all year. I think they have a lot of playoff experience. Uh, you look at these guys that have won, you know, World Series, and then Bryant coming over that's won a World Series, and you know some of these guys. I think they're going to go to the World Series too. And I'm just going to call it now. I'm going to say it's going to be a, a six-game Giants win World Series. We started off with the even years in 2010, 12, and 14. I think we're going to go with the odd years this year: 21, 23, 25, 27, 29. So, book it. Well, John, as we wrap this up, and I really do appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule, what are ways people can reach out to you on social media to talk Giants baseball? And do you have anything you want to promote? Anything you want to give a shout out as well? You know, I I want to say thanks to David for recommending me to you. He's a good dude. uh, And thank you for having me on here. I'm in a couple of different baseball groups on Facebook. Nothing I'm I'm like super, super involved in, but I am on Facebook, uh, Instagram, just John Hernandez. You can look me up on there if, if there's anything you want to talk about or whatever, but I'm in a bunch of different Giants groups on Facebook and things like that. But yeah, it's, I don't have a whole lot of like things to promote. Uh, like I said, shout out to David, shout out to you for having me on here. This is cool. Uh, shout out to Baltimore. Actually, my brother just moved to Baltimore. He lived in Cockeysville and uh, been there to Baltimore a few times. And, and uh, I love going to Orioles games and, you know, checking out the city there and stuff. And so uh, I thought it was cool when David told me that you were on here and seeing some of your Facebook stuff of you at the Orioles games and things like that. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So shout out to you and, uh, and uh, 
Trust me, man. As an Orioles fan, I got a lot of respect for you sticking around with a, with a rough team like that. I mean, I live in Pittsburgh, and it's rough for the baseball fans here, too, for the Pirate fans. But uh, but thanks for having me on. It's it's cool. This is a cool thing. The American League West champions. The Houston Astros are on a scorching tear as they were able to shake off a rough start to start the season and are in complete control of the American League West. And here with me to discuss the Astros' success and their fandom is Houston Astros fan Rich Swift. And Rich, I really do appreciate you being a part of this podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show, taking time out of your busy schedule. Starting off, Rich, one thing I wanted to ask you was, how did you become a fan of the Houston Astros? What led to them becoming one of your favorite teams? Honestly, probably uh, 1979, getting my first pack of Topps baseball cards and seeing the Astros uniform, the Astrodome, and uh, they had a pitcher named J.R. Richard who just recently passed away, and I became a huge fan from there. What is one of your first memories of being an Astro fan? What or who really stood out to you? There's several, but one that really sticks out is 1986, Mike Scott throwing a no-hitter to capture the National League West Division title. That was huge. It's up there. It's definitely up there, even though a lot of people are going to say it's tainted. It's still an achievement. You still have to hit the ball. You still have to pitch. You still have to play defense. So, I mean, that's that was definitely a moment I'll never forget watching that. I know the Astros were really having a lot of momentum coming off of last season's appearance in the American League Championship Series in the 2020 playoffs. 16 teams having to get past the likes of the Minnesota Twins and then the Oakland A's uh, falling short to the Tampa Bay Rays. Going into the year, what were you expecting the Astros to do, especially down Justin Verlander? I had pretty high expectations, but they were realistic. Without Justin Verlander, I knew the pitching might be suspect, and it's been better than I expected. Luis Garcia's been amazing stepping in. Granke stepped up. Lance McCullers has been great. So the pitching's been good, and the uh, trade deadline really helped with the bullpen. How big has the acquisition of Kendall Graveman from Seattle been for the Astros, especially their bullpen, and just adding a little more stability and a little more depth to that pen, especially when it comes to a playoff situation? Oh, to me, that was huge. It's going to help down the line going into the playoffs, giving Presley a little bit of a breather and not having to rely on him every night. It's going to help with Christian Javier having so many innings. The whole bullpen plus, I mean, the guy's been one of the top four relievers in the American League for the last few years. So we had Presley, who was a great closer, and now we have Graveman. To me, it's it may not be up there with Kimbrell and Hendricks from the White Sox, but it's really close. Was there a particular point during the season that you were absolutely confident that the Astros were making a return to the playoffs? Yeah, probably early May. We went on a little bit of a run. And when some of the younger guys started stepping up, I really was like, yeah, we got this. After we rebounded from a losing streak in April, I believe it was like the 9th through the 22nd, where we were 2-9, and nine, and it got a little sketchy there. Once we rebounded from that, I'm like, yep, all right, it's going to be a good season. We got this. We'll make playoffs, at least wild card, if not the division. Was there a time during the season at any point that you're thinking, maybe the Astros just don't have the juice to make it back to the playoffs? That 2-9 and nine run in early April. Without Verlander, we had some injuries. So it definitely got a little sketchy, but once we came past that, the confidence was there. 
So, Rich, looking at the playoffs, particularly in the divisional round, or depending on who you face, who do you think the Astros best match up with in the American League? Is it a team like the Rays? Is it a team like the White Sox? Could it even be some of the other teams still fighting for the last playoff spots like the A's, the Mariners, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, even the Red Sox? <laughs> Obviously, I want to say the Yankees uh, because we've seemed to have their number, although, you know, eventually that tide may turn. But I would say the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the A's of the teams that are in contention. I, I have the most confidence against those teams. Who scares you as an Astros fan in a playoff matchup? I know some of the teams already mentioned. Could it be Toronto, especially how they're surging as well? Or could it even be a team like Tampa, the team that knocked off the Astros in the American League Championship Series last year? Honestly, Toronto. If Toronto can make the wild card, they're scary. They're a scary team. They could just take off. With the... Astros being led by Dusty Baker, a manager who has a pretty large and lengthy resume, probably one of the best managers yet to win a World Series title. What were your initial thoughts about him taking over after the firings of A.J. Hinch and the rest of the front office? Was there a concern? What did you know about his reputation? And what has won you over about the way Dusty manages a ball club and the dugout, the clubhouse, and everything about that? I would definitely say... Dusty was the right man at the right time uh, because league-wide, Dusty had respect, and well-deserved respect. So the Astros needed, with all the controversy, they needed Dusty. They needed that calming presence. They needed that person with the respect of the league to be there. My anticipation was Dusty would put the team on the field and the guys would play hard for Dusty. Um, I think he's one of those guys that, if you're in the foxhole, you're giving that man everything you got. So I think he would definitely bring the most out of the players, especially the young guys. And there were a lot of young guys, you know, having to fill in some roles. So my expectations were definitely playoffs. And, you know, obviously I would love to see Dusty get that World Series and solidify his legacy as one of the all-time great managers. One little stigma that tends to surround Dusty Baker is just how he handles a pitching staff. You always hear about some of the times in Chicago, just what happened with Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor and things like that. Even San Francisco or some of those arms didn't hold up as long. Didn't really hear about that that much in Washington, but I guess the reputation sort of precedes Dusty Baker when it comes to how he's known to really use up his best pitchers when he needs to and sometimes doesn't account for the future. But to you, do you feel like that's just sort of a fallacy or what have you been able to notice as a fan of the Astros and how he manages a pitching staff? In a way, yes, because I think you have to manage to your strengths and some of the other places, his strengths were starting rotation and the bullpens may have been a little bit subject. So once he got into certain situations, especially in playoffs or playoff hunts in tough divisions, you had to roll with your strengths. So could he have made a few mistakes? Yeah, maybe, but everybody does that. I mean, the Red Sox, when they left Pedro Martinez in that game, I mean, that's a famous call. So unless we walk a mile in his shoes, I don't think we fully understand. I mean, of course, it's easy to second guess, but 
I give him slack. <laughs> I think he's done a great job with the pitching staff this year. In the past, the Astros have had arms like Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole and, of course, Zach Grinke. What do you feel has been the strength of this year's Astro team, and what do you think makes them different from some of the previous versions of the Astros' playoff teams? Honestly, number one, I think team chemistry. Those guys love playing together. They've come together um, in this us-against-the-world mentality. I think they, they're getting strength out of everybody at every stadium booing them with that, okay, it's us against the world. Let's go out and show everybody. I think Carlos Correa has been huge in unifying that team. Uh, he's definitely been a leader. The offense obviously has been huge. I mean, they've been right with the White Sox all year long on stats one and two in the league with average. Uh, the biggest thing for me is they don't strike out. They put the ball in play. They make the other teams play defense and throw a lot of pitches. And now we come to the playoff predictions. Looking at the World Series, who do you have coming out of the American League? Who do you have coming out of the National League? Who wins the World Series? And and how many games? So I thought about this. And I have two answers for you. One is my current answer with my heart, and that's the Astros versus the Giants. And to me, that would go seven games. So... Before the season started, I actually picked the White Sox and the Padres. I think that still has potential, but I think the National League is kind of wide open. I think the American League, you got to say, you don't have to say, but the Astros, White Sox are definitely the favorites and the deepest teams. So if you put it to me right now, I'm going to say the Astros and the Giants. I think the Giants is just a magical year for them. Everything seems to be going their way. So... I'll take the Giants. I must say, <laughs> I gotta say with my heart, the Astros in seven. But if it's not the Astros, I'd say it's going to be the Giants in seven over whoever they play. As we start to wrap this up, and of course, I really do appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. Do you have anyone you want to give any shout outs to? Is there anything you want to promote? And how can people reach out to you on social media to talk about Houston Astros baseball? Well, as a lot of people know, I do run the Ty Cobb Over 40 Baseball League locally. So there's the Ty Cobb Senior Baseball League on uh, Facebook and Instagram. You know, people can always uh, reach me there or just reach me on Facebook, Rich Swift. National League Central Champions. Barring some 1995 California Angels collapse, the Milwaukee Brewers are the National League Central Champions. And here with me to talk about the Brewers as they make their run towards the postseason is longtime Brewers fan Hunter Quinn. Hunter, I really appreciate you being here talking about the Brew Crew. How are you feeling right now? I love that intro because I can't see a collapse with this team. And when the Brewers started out, I didn't put any money on the Brewers in Vegas before the season started. So that's kind of how my expectations were for this season. I was like, hey, man, if it's 81 and 81, that's just how it goes. Like, all right, that's fine. I think we were doing okay, and everything kind of went okay. We had that big series against San Diego in the beginning of the year, and that kind of perked a few people up. But really, we didn't do a whole lot. When we went out and got Willie Adamas, I thought that was like, all right, we're doing something. Because they couldn't really figure out the middle of the infield. Keston here has been a complete disappointment, you know, halfway through the season. He'd gone down to double A, I think, once or twice. We had Colton Wong, who's kind of up in the air. 
couldn't figure out what we got at the shortstop position and really have for years, we've had a problem at first base. We just haven't had, you know, Jesus Aguilar was good and I'm thinking he's doing okay in Miami and they're going to be sellers at some point. Why don't we just go and get Jesus Aguilar back? Well, it turns out you get Willie Adamas who changes everything. Daniel Vogelbach has come in and done really good things. And then who knew that we were going to get Rowdy Telez, who nobody in Wisconsin had heard of before he had become a brewer. All right. And all those guys have paid dividends. Now, obviously, Willie Adama is going from a sub 200 hitter with Tampa Bay to going to, I don't know, some people say he's an MVP candidate. I don't really see that. But hey, if they want to talk about that, that's the kind of impact that guy has had, not only on the field, but you see that guy just constantly straddling that fence into the dugout. He's always the top guy, first guy out of the dugout when somebody hits a home run. It's incredible what he has done for the team. And, you know, they had a really good stretch right at the end of June into July where they won 11 straight. Everybody just kind of realized that his team is for real. And now they're 34 games, I think, over 500, which is just ridiculous because we're not used to playing less than meaningful games, I guess, from this vantage point. I grew up in the 80s and early 90s when we had a lot of bad Brewers teams. Man, there were a lot of times where there would just be a July collapse where you'd lose 11 of 15 or something like that. And all the dreams and hopes of me collecting baseball cards every year was just, all right, well, it's going to be another one of those years. And we just weren't playoff contenders at that point. But now... Seems like Wisconsin's been hit with this really good streak over the last decade where Packers are always contenders. Bucks have an NBA championship now. And now the Brewers are runaway winners in the NL Central. And really, I don't know anybody who wants to see them in the playoffs. Before we go a little more into the postseason aspects, since they're so well ahead, how did you become a Brewers fan? Was it just by growing up in the region? What was the main attraction to the Brewers? Oh, it was it was purely, I lived 20 minutes outside of Milwaukee, and I grew up, my dad is a big baseball player. He grew up in Connecticut, and where he was 1960s Yankees, and uh, obviously the Red Sox, you know, rivalry and everything. And then I started playing baseball really young and got into it, collected baseball cards, played baseball every summer. We had our entire little league, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. We had our entire team within our neighborhood. And so that was summer camp for us was baseball every day and just come home, you know, when the, the sun started setting and listening to Bob Euchre pretty much every night as part of my upbringing was was a pretty cool experience. And, you know, like I said, there weren't a whole lot of playoff runs in the late 80s, early 90s, but it just got me to appreciate those good years. And and there was, you know, you had Paul Molitor, Robin Yao, Jim Gantner, you know, a couple of guys like Cal Eldred, who's a, you know, a solid pitcher. Uh, ben Sheets was a really good pitcher. And then, you know, going into the, you know, Jeff Jenkins and, uh, you know, into even Ryan Braun, the early years of Ryan Braun, where you had in Prince Fielder and, you know, a couple of playoff runs in the 2000s. That was pretty solid. But I was pretty much hooked from the beginning with the Brewers. And I, I never really even thought about rooting for another team. I have to ask, 
What is the most random name of a Milwaukee brewer that pops into your head from from your experience watching? What's one that comes? It's got to be Sixto Lescano. I mean, what? Like, I don't even know. Like, it's got to be Italian. I think I don't know. I've never heard anybody else on the planet named Sixto. But hey, uh, that guy was you know part of the early part of my years as uh, a brewer fan, and uh, it's just <laughs> I don't know how. That guy got, you know, that's just the weirdest name maybe I've heard in uh, Brewer history. R- uh, Rowdy Telez is all of a sudden up there on that list now. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. I, mm-hmm. I was wondering that because the name that popped in my head was John Jaha. And I oh, was yeah, thinking yeah. about him. I, think of him. I know he was more of a first baseman. I know I think it was a DH. And at yeah. those times, that that lineup of Kevin Seitzer, Pat Listas, Daryl Hamilton, yep. uh, Jose Valentin is short. Uh, when Lishas moved to second, uh, yep. to center field, Fernando Vina, Sirhoff playing third, and maybe corner outfield, David Nilsson, uh, yeah. uh, Mike Matheny, uh, Matt Mieske. I, I mean, oh man, uh, I'm having like 93 flashbacks. I, oh. Yeah, I, I follow the Orioles in '94, so as an 11 year old, there's nothing else left to do but yeah. watch TV and watch ESPN. And I would, you know, especially with the unbalanced schedule back then, that's right. all I would see. The, the Brewers would come into town all the time, <laughs> and so John I had those names. John Jaha is just uh, right in the middle of all of those 270-pound white guy first basemen who struck out 46 times for every home run they hit. They all batted 230. Uh, Rob Deere is – I think he played outfield most of his career, but I remember, yeah, the Kevin Seitzers. Yeah, all those guys who were just overweight first basemen who were good for, you know, 30 dingers, but also like – 180 strikeouts, something like that, every year. Yeah, I remember John Jaha. I've got uh, baseball cards of his stashed away somewhere in my basement. I have to make one more mention before we move on to the playoffs. It's funny how you could just say from the 92 season to the 93 season how Paul Molitor was the MVP because you saw the huge success they had in 92 under Tom Treblehorn, and then he goes to Toronto, and then it just goes down. Oh, it was painful. I do remember that. That was like, I think 92 was like the one real chance we had. And it just didn't go well. And then all of a sudden, you're just left with, all right, what are we going to do now? Is this like, you know, it happens every, what does this happen every 10 years? Because 82, 92. Am I looking at another 10 years? I'll be in college by the time they're in the playoffs again. And that's almost what happened. So it was a... uh appreciate the tough times. And we had County Stadium, which a lot of people called Third World Country Stadium in the uh, 90s, because that place was absolutely disastrous. You talk about what the uh, Oakland Coliseum is now. It's terrible. And it was really bad back in the day when I was growing up. So my dad won an auction or a a raffle or something. And he got a, um, what do you call those? Uh, Like a suite at County Stadium. And the most vivid memory I have of the Brewers is walking on this sketchy catwalk. And I'm walking down as like a 10, 11-year-old and in bright yellow pants and a jacket, Bob Euchre crosses my path. And my dad goes, you know who that was? I'm like, like that's Bob Euchre. I go hightailing it back to him. And Mr. Euchre, Mr. Euchre, can you sign this ball? I had a ball. Because I was going to the baseball game, and uh, he signed uh, he signed the baseball, and couldn't have been nicer. And that was the uh, last time I think I went to County Stadium. You know, probably in like ninety three, ninety four, maybe. 
but yeah, they improved a lot. I got to cover the uh, Brewers for as a as a part of my uh, TV internship after freshman year of college, and that was the first or second year of Miller Park. So I don't know when I'm going to turn it into AmFam Field or whatever, but it'll be Miller Park to me for a long time. Guaranteed rate is still new Comiskey to me, and new Comiskey. And- old Comiskey. <laughs> It was interesting just talking about that. It made me think because we had visited Milwaukee in, in 18 and it was very exciting just checking that all out. I mean, yeah. and and after this recent swing in the Midwest, it's like I have posted like Midwest teams, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, be like Milwaukee and, and do yeah. sausages or be like Chicago <laughs> and do beef hot dogs. Everybody's got a, a knockoff of the sausage race now. And uh, the only thing that even comes close is uh, in Atlanta, the Mr. Freeze guy. That's pretty entertaining. I live in the Twin Cities now, and it's, it's not the same. And I don't know who approved the Twins get a new stadium without a roof on it. I can't tell you how many times they oh, postponed for rain. I'm like, postponed for snow, man. You cannot have a baseball game in March or April in the Twin Cities. And good thing they're never going to make the playoffs because then – you know, then they'd have to deal with home baseball in October, and that's just brutal. I mean, that that was the history of the Twins. Move from Washington, first few games, get snowed out. Yeah. And then, you know, you deal with the, the Metrodome. I know it's not the, the greatest place. Well, it was great for 87 and 91, yeah. but it was outdated. But Yeah. I listen to a lot of sports talk here, and they're pretty used to losing between the Twins and the Timberwolves and the Vikings. So it's a losing mentality here, and they're just kind of used to it. And I don't know. I, I still think that the Twins and the Indians and the White Sox should start with three weeks on the road every year just as a penalty for not having a roof on their stadium. And you think some of the Northeast teams, I mean, Baltimore's never bad. Worst case, you may have an occasional rain thing, but and the yeah. one snow game that happened against Cleveland, ironically. Yeah. But other than that, it's been, it's been great weather every time. But as we go sure. into this, was there a point where you were sort of pessimistic about the Brewers' playoff chances or? Beginning of the season. I mean, they were like 40-1 to 1 to win the World Series. They were right in the middle of the pack, and I was like, all right. I didn't really have much stock in the Brewers. I decided to buy the uh, MLB.com package so I could watch every game. I started watching every game, and clearly that was the difference. My watching the team, that obviously made the difference. And, you know, they were good from the start, and then they just kept getting better and better and better. Their hitting was putrid at the beginning of the year. I think a lot of teams were going through that. But to have a really, really good solid rotation and bullpen and then you have your team batting like 210 217 something like that at the beginning of the year first two months you're like if they can just bat 250 as a team they would be unstoppable and that's what has happened you know Yelich has kind of come around and he's improved a lot so I think the lowest expectations were at the beginning of the season and they've just grown constantly over the last four or five months I know you're very optimistic as it going on. Outside chance that the Brewers can win 100 games. Do you feel like there's a good chance they can win 100 games? I can't remember how many Pirates games they have left. I know they play St. Louis and Pittsburgh. So that's got to be some wins there. I know they play the Mets. So I'd put money on them winning 100. That would break a record, right? I think the, the record for single season wins is 96, I want to say. So... That would be incredible. I think that I think that everybody's kind of they've been sort of the uh, 
somehow under the radar. I know it's a small market. I know the Dodgers are sexy. I know the Giants are sexy. Like I know those teams are are really solid, but the Brewers have winning records against both of them. I don't really know how the Braves stack up, but I really think that nobody wants to see the Brewers in the playoffs. I really think that they're going to be that team that, oh, surprisingly, similar to the Bucks. You know, they've got one of the best records. They've got an MVP or multiple Cy Young candidates. Uh, they've got Willie Adamas, who is an MVP candidate, apparently. I don't know how they don't get more attention other than the fact that they're in Milwaukee and not in L.A. or New York or Chicago. To you, who's the team that may concern you in the playoffs that you are that you might be worried about? I know, like I said, the NL West has three potential teams coming out of there. Uh, you can't say the Padres are coming to the playoffs. You, come <laughs> on. They've been absolutely self-destructing over the last three weeks. It's been terrible. I think the the Reds might squeeze in, which would be interesting. But, I mean, you got to think that everybody who's a baseball fan is looking forward to National League Championship Series with the Dodgers and the Brewers. That is Walker Bueller and Scherzer and Kershaw against Corbin Burns and Woodruff and Peralta and Hader and Williams. I mean, that is going to be a bunch of two-to-one ball games, and it's going to be great. Your thoughts on the recent no hitter that occurred? I mean, that had to be huge. Just being able to get the, to notch that uh, no hitter. Oh yeah, eighty seven was the one and only Brewers no hitter with uh, Juan Yavis, and I didn't even know Juan Yavis is like a five six year old. So it's been an elusive thing for many years. The Brewers have had a lot of good pitchers. They had CC Sabathia for uh, you know half a season, and we thought, hey, there's an outside chance, and they've had good pitching from time to time. But this year has been, I mean, I don't know. I saw a comparison from a sports writer that compared the 92 Braves starting five to the uh, Brewers starting five of this year. And Brewers compare pretty darn well to them. So to have that happen sort of puts a stamp on the Brewers pitching this season. I think it's been incredible. I think the stats are ridiculous. You've got Burns and Woodruff and Peralta all under 2.7 ERA. You've got great bullpen pitching where you can have a short start from, uh, you know, there's been a couple of guys that have been thrown into spot starts and you've got six innings of no runs out of the bullpen. So I really think that Hayter's one of the best closers, if not the best closer in baseball. And to have Corbin Burns finally get some big national attention for striking out 14 and in eight innings and only walked one guy to lead off the seventh, I think. And that was it. I got to watch the last uh, four innings of that game. And it just looked like so many games that Corbin Burns has pitched. He was dominant and his hair is ridiculous. I just think that it's a, it was an exclamation point on what really has been a deserving year for him to get some attention nationally. What is the best way to uh, describe the identity of the Brewers? Just by looking at some of the stats uh, outside of Avisel Garcia really standing out there. And, and of course you have you know. Colton Wong and a few of those other guys, but what would you say the biggest identity of those guys are? Because a lot of the big names are hurt. A lot of them are underperforming. Looking at the roster, I see Kane is coming back. I see Yelich is, is hitting 256 right. with eight homers. Jackie yeah. Bradley Jr. is 165 with six homers and 29 RBI in 120 hey. games. Somebody needs a bad eighth, okay? And Jackie Bradley Jr. is raising his hand, okay? 
that's the interesting thing. The Brewers have uh, a lot of years, they have been a heavy hitting team. And this year is exact opposite. You've got the pitching staff just carrying the heavy load almost every game. You'll have them score 10 runs on occasion. But man, the pitching staff has really, really carried them. And to have a bunch of guys, I mean, at one point, I think they had three or four guys in the starting lineup batting under 200. I mean, it was really, really slim pickings as far as who can you count on for run production. It was tough to watch sometimes. But when you got to win games three to two and four to two and two to one and that kind of thing, that's what the Brewers have done this year. And when your team is only batting 217, your pitching staff has been lights out. And that's what has led them to the record that they have. They're 34 games over 500, whatever. And it's because of the pitching staff. So you've got, I mean, you had what, four all stars, four pitching all stars? Is that a regular thing? I don't think so. And to have some good hitting from guys like Garcia, guys like Wong, to have Yelich have a really off year, especially the first half, was really bad. I don't think they have a guy batting 300. So I know that batting is down around the league and, you know, nine no hitters and and whatnot is kind of a major league record and that kind of thing. But I think it's been a really interesting year to see the Brewers kind of flip where their strengths are and to have this amazing pitching staff really lead them the entire year. It's been great. Yeah, it feels sort of like a 1960s baseball team where it's, it's the strength is a pitching and you'll get the timely hits. But as we look at the World Series prediction, who do you have coming out of the National League? Who do you have coming out of the American League? Who wins the World Series and in how many games? Oh, it's hard to go pick against the Astros out of the uh, American League. I think the safe money is on the Astros. I think they've been pretty consistent throughout the year. And like I said earlier, I think it really comes down to the Dodgers and the Brewers. I really, really, really want to see a small market team play in the World Series. And why not the Brewers? I mean, I think this year pitching wins championships, I think. And I really don't think anybody wants to play them. I really don't think on a short series, if you've got Woodruff and Burns and Peralta, Matching up against Bueller and Scherzer and Kershaw, I think that's what everybody's going to want to see. And I think the Astros are going to just be sitting there waiting for uh, game seven of the uh, NLCS. So Brewers, Astros, and I can't help but go Homer and go uh, Brewers and six. Who do you think would be a challenge to the Astros in the American League? Just curious. I don't know if there really is. I mean, who's going to make the playoffs? Red Sox? Yankees, I'm always a fan of fresh blood. I'd like to see somebody new. I would love to see at some point Toronto coming up, but I don't really see anybody challenging the Astros. I really don't. I guess it could be the White Sox and the Astros. I think that'd be kind of cool. White Sox have not had a really good run in a long time, so I'd like to see that. That's interesting to me. I think everybody still hates the Astros. So maybe the Astros are the new most hated team in in Major League Baseball. The Yankees can take a year off or two. So that'd be fine. But I really think that you could stake a claim for uh, the White Sox. 
Do you have anybody you want to give shout outs to? Anything you want to promote while you're here? Uh, how can people reach out to you and talk to you about the Brewers on social media? I'm at DJ Hunter Quinn on Instagram and on Twitter. I do music radio as my full-time job. So talking sports every so often is pretty cool. I like betting sports. I like talking sports. I like going to Vegas a couple times a year and putting some money down on on a couple of the futures bets. So yeah, hit me up on Twitter at DJ Hunter Quinn. The American League East champions. Here with me to talk about last year's AL champions looking to defend their crown, going back to another World Series, is Megan Kim, longtime Rays fan. Megan, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. And I thank you for especially reaching out on social media, talking about you would talk about the Rays all day long. And I'm glad we were able to find that connection because it's funny. We're also in a another fraternity. We are Sports Jeopardy champions as well. And she is a two-time champion. And I am glad to have you on the show. And I know that I've been talking so much. I'm going to let you have your time in the sun to talk a little bit about it. How are you, Megan? I'm good, Earl. I'm real happy to be here. Like you said, anything having to do with the Tampa Bay Rays, I can talk all day, every day. <laughs> That's that is. I'm I'm real happy to be here. I'm happy they locked up the East, and you know I'm ready to really see our momentum carry us into the playoffs to the World Series. Yeah, definitely. And I know that uh, the one thing is no one wants to ever overlook their competition, but I know the, the road back to the World Series is going to be a challenging one, regardless of who you're going to face in a very crowded field, whether it's in against the wild card or whoever's coming out of the uh, West and the Central as well. Starting off, how did you become a Tampa Bay Rays fan? Are you one of the OG fans from the beginning when they announced baseball oh, um- was coming to St. Petersburg, Tampa? I am a 1995 OG fan, absolutely. You know, I grew up in the Tampa Bay area. You know, really, my mom is actually who exposed me to baseball. She grew up in the Baltimore area. So I actually, as a young, young child, was an Orioles fan and kind of still the Cal Ripken Jr. days. You know, it was a good time to be an Orioles fan. You know, no offense. But when the Rays came to, to town, it was just perfect for us to finally have a hometown, you know, baseball team to root for. So I've absolutely been a fan since day one. Yeah, and it's interesting. I know I always keep going back, looking at history of the Rays, and I know that for years, Tampa Bay was the place that everybody, or St. Petersburg definitely, was going to be the place that a lot of teams used as a ploy to get their stadiums. I know the Sox did it, the Giants did it. There are probably plenty of others that I can't think of, but I know in the 90s, those were the two teams that said Tampa Bay is an area that we're looking at, and uh-huh. unfortunately, it's the sad money grab that we did to get uh, to you know use a city as a ploy to get their own stadium because it happened with Washington a lot as well and until they finally got a team. But without having to worry about having somebody else's team but be able to start your own history from the beginning, that had to be great. Absolutely. Because, I mean, especially for me, being the age I was when the team started, I've been there since day one. You know, every bit of history, both good and bad, is part of the history. There's not the stories that your family passed on from years and years. And although there's a lot of rich, authentic history with franchises that have been around for many, many decades, it's really neat to know every single moment of history that's in the Tampa Bay Rays franchise I've been a part of. It's been in my lifetime. And to me, that's really really cool to be an OG fan and to, you know, know when we were terrible and to be where we are now and to feel like it's almost well earned on a fan base too, to be as successful as they have been in recent years, because we, you know, we definitely did struggle in the beginning when the franchise was developing and you were starting from the ground up. So it's, it really makes what they've done recently, just all the more rich in, in the short history that they've had. To you, what is the most memorable moment of being a Rays fan? I know there's been two World Series so far, going back to 08 and going back to last year. 
which one of those are the most memorable? And if it's any of those moments, I assume it's the opening day in 1998. You know, 98 opening day, that first pitch against the Tigers. You never forget that. I was lucky to be at game one of the World Series in 2008. You know, so for me personally, that's my personal memorable moment. As far as watching game 162 happen on TV, you never forget those moments either. Even looking at Matt Garza's no hitter, thinking about all of the really, truly special moments that have happened as a franchise. You know, Wade Boggs, 3,000th hit being at home. For me, it's definitely game one of the 2008 World Series, being actually there in person, with my family, being able to take that in after almost 20 years of, of kind of doom and gloom as a franchise, that was to me personally my most memorable moment as a race fan. Going into the season, what were the expectations for the team? And what did you think? I know after the World Series, there's always that thought there's the hangover for the losing team. It feels like sort of how it is in the NFL, where mm-hmm. can they get back to that spot? But what were you thinking that the race could do, especially some of the offseason moves that were made? Was there any thought that this team could continue to be competitive? For me, I, I know that this franchise is built on longevity. It's part of success being just consistent and being constant, that even when you lose those you know big name pieces, there's always this next man up mentality. And whether that person's coming from AAA or that's a July trade deadline acquisition that's going to boost our roster like we see this year with Nelson Cruz, I feel like Tampa Bay Rays fans were the only ones that thought we were going to come back to this point. You know, I look back at the predictions at the beginning of the year and there's, you know, I think it was fan graphs that put out 18% chance that the Rays make playoffs, you know, and here we see the Yankees and, and the Red Sox going through their struggles and for being, you know, in the World Series in 2020, it seemed like the rest of the league just didn't really expect us to be contender this year for whatever reason, you know, despite the consistent success that we've built. So I absolutely expected us to be in this point. The pieces that we have in place are really for us to be successful and sustainable for years to come. And and so it was absolutely an expectation that they make it back to the playoffs and that they capture that AL East crown this year again. Was there a point in the season that you were definitely confident that they were going to return to the playoffs? Was there one standout moment at that point that that said, yep, the Rays are going back and no one's going to catch us? For me, the way the team responded when Tyler Glass now got hurt, that to me gave me the utmost confidence that, that they could go back to the playoffs. You know, I think that plenty of people would look at our ace, our horse, and him going down so early in the season and that be it. And instead, the way that the team put all of their confidence in the other pitchers that we have, the way that we've gotten creative with, you know, our continued use of the opener and mixed pitching situations, the taxi squad, call-ups, call-down. I think Lewis Head himself has been called up and called down like 11 times this year, (laughs) back and forth from Durham. So it's it's always been the buy-in for the players on this team and on the active roster. And so for them to be able to really take ownership of their success and, and basically be in control of their destiny this year with Glass now being hurt, to me, that's all the confidence I needed, that this team could do exactly what I expected them to do. On the other hand, was there, especially seeing how competitive the American League East has been, that the race could be on the outside looking in? The trade deadline had me a little worried. You saw the moves that were being made by other teams, not just in our division, you know, by the Yankees and by by the Red Sox. But having the rumors out there, you know, would Max Scherzer be coming to Tampa? Would that be the piece that they thought would secure that hole in the rotation? And to kind of feel like a lot of those big names, you know, aside from Nelson Cruz and his impact, of course, but those really top tier big names kind of go to other teams. 
it makes you a little nervous. You know, you're coming into the last two and a half months of the season. It's going to be every game counts. And so you start to wonder a little bit, could we, should we have done more? You know, is, is getting Rasmussen going to be enough? Is moving the pieces that we moved going to be what we need? And fortunately, they were exactly what this team needed was just small cracks in the foundation. They filled right in. There really is no gaps and holes in this lineup and in this dugout as far as I'm concerned at this point now. Looking at the matchup, especially being in the playoffs, comfortably set, who's the team that you feel like you match up the best with in the American League playoffs? I think we're better than every other team in the AL. <laughs> at this point in time, you know, we, we've got the best record in the AL. We've got the last six games of the season to see if we can push that winning record to triple-digit wins for the first time in franchise history. I will absolutely always take our team over any other matchup, any other roster in the league. I think that our probably most competitive team that I would be most worried to be matched up against is probably the, the Astros. If they can lock up the West and if they can and you know be in contention for a little bit more rest to begin the playoffs, their dynamic ability to hit the ball really hard in really high quantities, I think is going to be a tough matchup for us. They were tough for us this year. You know, at this point in time, I'm tired of seeing the Yankees and the Red Sox. You know, honestly, I hope the Blue Jays pull it out. I think that that's a young roster and Charlie Montoya being the manager, I think that they deserve all the success in the world and they should be able to play into the playoffs and, and hopefully sneak up and get this wild card in the last week. But to me, it's it's the Astros that I think would be a, an interesting and intriguing matchup. And, you know, it'd be history repeating itself over the last couple of years with the playoffs. It would be tense for sure. Who in the league scares you? I know, of course, the White Sox haven't been mentioned. And barring the Mariners getting extremely lucky with everything going on, is going to come out from the American League East. Who of those teams, other than Houston, that, that scares you in that playoffs? Well, I mean, really the other teams in the West, only because we don't really play well um, in the West Coast, unfortunately. Whether it's just the hustle and bustle of traveling and, you know, the series out there in Oakland, the series out there in Seattle, you know, the time zone just doesn't seem to jive with our guys. So the advantage, if it is a Houston face-off, at least we're only going one time zone over and we can kind of rest and, you know, hopefully recuperate between series and between games a little bit easier. I think the White Sox have a lot of fight in them, of course. You know, I wonder, can Tony LaRusso really carry them through to the playoffs? Is he going to make the right choices that are fit around the game of baseball as it is today versus the game of baseball when he started, you know, many decades ago? To me, it's it's the travel aspect that that frightens me just a little bit when it comes to those matchups. But one thing that everybody talked about last year during that run I know looking at the stats as of today, hitting 273, 19 homers, 68 RBI. And of course, Wander Franco was number one prospect until he finally got called up. One, how has the Rosarena been able to take last year's postseason run and really parlay that into this season? And how important will Franco be, especially going into the postseason? I think Wander is going to be completely instrumental. He's right in. Today, we're on what uh, game 41 of his on-base Streak. Again, if he's not the the poster child for the franchise of being constant and consistent and purposeful with what they do and playing the game from every aspect to the highest level, I don't know who on our roster is. I think Randy is going to keep bringing that huge bat into the playoffs. You know, I know he struggled a bit in the beginning. All of a sudden, the second half, he's really opened up. You know, I think that there's definitely that spark and that excitement. You know, really seeing that when they clinched last week, it was a very, you know, mild celebration. They knew there was unfinished business. And then when they clinched the East on Saturday, that's when the bottle popping happened. You know, they really felt like that was reason to celebrate. I think that 
the roster we had from last year coming into this year, there's such a sense of unfinished business that Randy and everyone else who was instrumental in our run last year, they're just going to take it to next level in the playoffs. You know, for him to be as young as he is and and for Wander Franco to have maturity level that he has at his age, I, I think that it's, it's just going to take off with the, with the playoffs and they're just going to seize the opportunity. Would a Rays World Series title, would that be bigger than the Bucks winning the Super Bowl? Well, I'll tell you this much. So I live in the Fort Lauderdale area now. I've actually lived down here for about 14 years. So the Bucks and I are not on the same page. We haven't been for a while. So I, I gave up on the Bucks a long time ago because I thought if I was going to be a miserable football fan, I might as well root for the Dolphins. But this would be everything. You know, I mean, this is, like I said earlier, to have Ray's history be my history and to be alive for every moment and to know where this team has gone from and what this franchise means to a lot of people in my age group and my generation. I mean, I would sell my left kidney, Earl. I would literally sell my left kidney for a World Series rank. It would be, I can't imagine anything greater happening. You know, unfortunately, it's a sad thing. I even forgot about the lightning. You imagine they'd corner the market with the championships right now mm-hmm. and all they're missing is an NBA team. Who knows? We have Tampa Bay, Milwaukee in the World Series, but you know, yep. maybe the yep. viewers might not like that. But yeah, and I get it. You know, I have friends that work in in the uh, sports merchandising industry for a big company that rhymes with you know, fanatics. Um, so I get what happens when small market teams, the less sexy team, you know, is in these types of things. But you know, I think that's what's so great about this franchise is that no matter who keeps doubting them, they just keep showing up. You know, there is absolute buy-in. We have a guy named Joseph Wendell, who was one of our all-star representatives this year. I mean, Joseph Wendell? I mean, come on. What other franchise can a guy like Joey Wendell really be one of just like the faces of our team? Help play any position. I mean, honestly, I was surprised when Brett Phillips came in to pitch and not Joey Wendell because I thought Joey Wendell could do everything. So to me, it's what this team deserves. It's what the Tampa Bay area deserves is that you work hard, the result will come. You know, you, you reap what you sow, and, and this team has deserved it, and they've earned it for a very long time. Going to the World Series prediction, who do you have coming out of the American League? Who do you have coming out of the National League? Who wins the World Series, and in how many games? You know, it's funny you mentioned Milwaukee and Tampa because I think from a matchup, with the National League, the, the Brewers are actually a really intriguing matchup. I think that their bullpen, their pitching, their defense, doing the small things right, being consistent, having a little bit of, you know, a, a flash of, of power from the players when they need it. I think the Brewers could be a really great matchup for the Rays in the World Series. Ultimately, if I'm going with the theme of being consistent, I think the Giants have really shown with their leadership and with their mentality this year that as much as people put them in last place in their division, here they are the first team to 100 wins. Um, Gabe Kapler really has good buy-in of a variety of players, young and old. And I ultimately think that they'll outwork the Dodgers and they're going to come out of the NL. And I think it's going to be the Giants versus the Rays. I say seven games. And I can't pick anyone but the Rays. So I think it's Tampa and seven. As we start to wrap this up, and I really do appreciate you, and I want to have you back on uh, in a future episode, full-fledged episode, either talking a little bit about Sports Jeopardy run and everything else. How are ways people can get up with you on social media to talk with you about Rays baseball or anything else? And do you have anything you want to promote or give a shout-out to or anything along well? 
Well, I'll obviously say hi to my family. They're big race fans as well. So everyone that's back in Tampa that might be watching this um, live or in the future, thanks for sticking with the team. They need us. Heck, maybe you have me on a future time where we're talking about this whole Montreal thing. But if I win the Power Brawl on Wednesday, we won't have to worry about Montreal. So we'll figure out that conversation in the future, Earl. But um, everyone can follow me on Twitter. It's kmegan0717. That's usually where I'm partly a Taylor Swift stan account and then partly a Tampa Bay Rays uh, stan account. So that's where I like to talk baseball the most. And you can follow me on Twitter. And I love talking baseball. I love talking all sports. But, you know, the Rays right now have my full focus. And that's what I'm most excited to talk about. National League East Champions. If someone were in a coma in 1995 and woke up today and they asked who's winning the National League East, you'd say the Atlanta Braves. So for them, it would be like they never had been in a coma for 25, 26 years. Here to talk about the Atlanta Braves as they make their run for another National League East title and a spot in the playoffs is someone who's been on this podcast before on several instances, including for the NFL playoff preview and the NBA playoff preview. Braves fan, David Krause. How are you doing, David? I'm doing pretty good tonight. Thank you for being on the show. I wanted to ask you, going into this, before we go into the questioning, it's got to feel pretty good, especially the Braves. This isn't anything foreign to them leading the National League East. No, not at all. I had some pretty good expectations for them. And I think that the division itself, the National League East has been kind of weak for a couple of years now but you know even with the injuries and everything yeah it's nice to see Atlanta back in top at this point of the season how did you become a Braves fan I know especially in an enemy territory especially surrounded by Pirates fans and things like that how did you become a Braves fan two reasons for that the first one is you know here on the east coast the Braves were on TBS quite often almost more than the Pirates here it was like the Cubs were on WGN the Braves were on TBS like every night or multiple times a night. And, you know, so I became accustomed as a, you know, nine, 10 year old kid watching all these Braves game on TBS. And I fell in love with the Jones boys, you know, Andrew Jones playing center field and especially uh, Chipper Jones, third baseman, switch hitter. Yeah, he was just a great fun player to watch play third base. It was my favorite position. And I liked that he was a switch hitter and I just love their pitching staff as well. I thought they had a good bullpen. And then, you know, as far as starters go back then, you know, Maddox, Clavin, Smoltz didn't get much better than that. I always think that Steve Avery always got overlooked, especially when you think of those guys. I was like, oh, you got Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, oh, Steve Avery, and then maybe Kent Merker or somebody else who would be the fifth guy. But I always feel like those two were the overlooked ones, Kent Merker and Steve Avery, went, especially growing up watching the Braves in the 90s on TBS. I would agree with you. Yeah. Well, even uh, if you go late 90s, 99 in the early 2000s, even somebody like a Kevin Millwood, you know, who uh, who put up some good numbers, you know, for a couple of years before he was shipped out. Uh, but, yeah, those are the three big dogs. But, yeah, you're right. There are some overlooked players for sure. Looking back and your recollection as a Braves fan, to you, what stands out as the greatest moment in Braves history in your mind? Yeah, I would say, I mean, you. I think you started off the show saying 95. I, I would say, you know, 95, you know, because that's when that World Series was, you know, right when I uh, – first got into the sport and you know Andrew Jones is a 21 year old kid back then and that's just the memorable moment the most you know winning that World Series beating a pretty good Indians team that was pretty stacked and then you know ultimately going back just to get uh shut down by the Yankees but uh 
Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to go with, even to this day, 26 years later, with that specific World Series moment for them. Looking into the season, I know their expectations and of coming off of last year's playoff, which everybody would say is sort of a bizarre world, the shortened season, 16-team playoff. What were the expectations? I know competitive division, at least in prospect, especially looking at the Marlins were young and up and coming and, and got into the playoffs and got hot. The Nats, while they were a year removed, a year and a half removed from winning the World Series, they were still a dangerous team. The Phillies, it seems like after ditching Gabe Kapler to go for Girardi, at least there seemed a little competence in the dugout. And then the Mets, uh, new mindset, new ownership, going over Lindner to you. What were the expectations for the Braves heading into the year? Yeah, I thought for sure that we win a division pretty easily. Like, you know, like you were saying, you know, New York's just made some moves, but just not quite ready. And, uh, you know, obviously Philly's been so-so for a couple of years and the Nationals just depleted the roster with the exception of, uh, you know, Soto. And then, yeah, the, the Scherzer and Trey Turner trade a while ago was the icing on the cake. But, uh, yeah, I was pretty confident, you know, coming off a of 3-1 you know, lead in the NLCS against the Dodgers, you know, that, like I said, I, th- I felt like we could probably get back there, you know, this year, assuming everybody was healthy, which obviously ended up not being the case. But uh, yeah, like I said, I'd easily win the division and like I said, hopefully get back to the NLCS against, you know, I thought that maybe the the Padres with the moves that they did with, you know, upping the pitching staff and bringing in some guys to to help that team as well could compete with the Dodgers, but yeah, I definitely had high hopes for Atlanta that not necessarily world series, but like I said, at least in that position to, to face either the Dodgers or the Padres. Was there a point that you felt confident that the Braves were making the playoffs? Was there a standout moment this season? That's like, okay, the Braves are going for another division title. Go ahead and they wrap their spot up and heading into the playoffs. Actually, no, quite the contrary. I thought that we would miss the playoffs. Soroka gets hurt the beginning of the season, Charlie Morton's getting lit up. Drew Smiley ends up being a horrible signing, overpaid him. He gets lit up start after start. Max Freed was inconsistent when he was healthy and he was on and off the injured reserve list. And then obviously Acuna going down was, was a devastating loss. And then we ended up making a, a couple deals at the deadline and ended up working out, bringing Duvall, who now 35 home runs, 102 runs batted in, leads the league. You know, is you know starting to get his average up a little bit. You know, Rosario is now as healthy, and Solaire's been a good pickup. And even Jock Peterson, who I never really liked, has had some clutch moments as both a hitter and a defensive center fielder for Atlanta. So you know, it, I thought that they were kind of doomed at a certain point with the injuries and that. But like I said earlier, with the division being so weak, I'm not completely surprised where they are now. But like I said, I, I with who they have and where they were i just it was a tough tough jam to get out of when did you feel the momentum was starting to go in the braves favor especially we saw the mets were holding on to that lead for several months and then even the phillies took the lead for a little bit when did you feel momentum was going in the favor of the braves actually probably just about maybe a few weeks ago i mean charlie morton's been the most consistent starter miley was pitching a little bit better and ozzy albies there got hot and and freddie also got his average up to 300. So, you know, those guys were starting to catch fire. And like I said, they were just playing good baseball there for a while and beating the teams that they were supposed to beat. I do think they went like three and eight against uh, the Giants, the Yankees, and the uh, Dodgers. So, you know, there's still that. But like I said, they were beating the teams that they were supposed to beat. So, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I felt pretty confident that, okay, yeah, the 
they're taking care of business and we'll see what happens here for the Braves who in the national league, do you feel like you best match up with in the playoffs? Is it Milwaukee or is it the someone coming out of the West in your opinion? Honestly, I, I think Milwaukee is a good answer. They have elite pitching, but they don't necessarily have the bats. So I think the Braves could compete with them. Although, like I said, Milwaukee's pitching at the starting level is as elite as they come. So they, they could at least easily shut down Atlanta's bats. But I actually think San Francisco, uh, I know San Francisco has been a pleasant surprise and they have good overall baseball team picked up Chris Bryant at the deadline. But uh, I don't really, I look at their roster and I look at their pitching and I don't see any superstars. You know, I only have said, you know, Brandon Belt, solid player, been around. Buster Posey, solid old guy, still pretty good as a hitter. They got Kevin Gosman leading the rotation, who, you know, prior to this year has, has had a pretty awful career. So, yeah, I think that as good of a team as they are and as much of a good season as they had, I think that Atlanta could possibly beat them in a series. Like I said, I like their chance with Milwaukee as well, but I think the Giants would be a better matchup. Who scares you as a Braves fan in the playoffs? I'm assuming of the team that hasn't been mentioned, I assume it's the Dodgers, but anybody else that scares you, that other wild card, either be it Cincinnati or San Diego or even somebody coming out of the East like Philly or who knows, even the Mets? Definitely not anybody from the East. Um, I don't think Cincinnati this year. Yeah, Milwaukee with, with Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta at the top of the rotation, and then you have Devin Williams and... Josh Hader at the end. I mean, those are just five lights out guys that could, you know, shut down any team. Um, but yeah, I think San Diego just hasn't put it together. You know, their their starting pitching has starting become vulnerable. Musgrove and Darvish haven't been as good as they were. Snell's now hurt. Machado has been pretty inconsistent. So, obviously, yeah, I think the, the Dodgers is, are the, you know, you talk about the defending world champions, best team as is, and then you bring in a guy like Trey Turner, and then you bring in 37-year-old Max Scherzer, who was turned out to be unhittable at this point. You know, I don't think he's looking at perhaps his fourth four Cy Young award now, and, you know, like I said, he's just been unhittable. So, Kershaw looks like he's healthy again. So, yeah, I think they're definitely the team to beat in the NL. Talking about Brian Snitker, unheralded, but a guy who's been a lifer in the Braves organization after taking over for Freddie Gonzalez, which I believe was probably one of the the chosen ones for uh, for Bobby Cox at the time. Seeing how he's done it, he's racked up a mini Bobby Cox resume with three division titles after starting with a couple of struggling seasons. What does it say about the kind of manager Brian Snicker is, especially uh, trying to manage a team like this, especially with the injuries and things like that? I know an old managerial saying is that nobody's going to care about your problems, even if you have them. But to you, what does it say about kind of manager that Snitker is? Yeah, I think Snicker's uh, an above average manager. I think he's done well, and he's definitely in the running for manager of the year this year. But yeah, as as a Jazz fan in the NBA, I would probably compare him to like a Quinn Snyder, you know, players coach, kind of maybe under the radar compared to some other managers or guys leading the team. But at the same time, I don't know if he's the guy to get over the hump with. I think maybe maybe his window with this unit of Acuna, all these, and and Freeman might be starting to dwindle a little bit. But uh, yeah, like I said, for sure, he's a likable guy, and, and I've had no problem with him.
going to the World Series matchup, who do you have coming out of the American League? Who do you have coming out of the National League? Who wins the World Series and in how many games? Yeah, great question. I'm going to go Dodgers in the National League, and then the American League is is a little bit more interesting. I think that's a little bit more open here. Tampa Bay's had a great year. They're kind of similar to me. In my eyes, they're kind of similar to the the Giants on the NL side where great season, no really star players, especially with Glass now going down now. So you're talking about an elite pitcher um, who's, you know, going to have Tommy John and, you know, probably out for quite some time. But still, you know, amazing year. They're 12 up on the second place Yankees. So they're a good choice, but I'm actually going to go with the White Sox. Um, I think the Dodgers will beat the White Sox. And the reason I chose the White Sox is, you know, I feel like they're, you know, they're just uh, from top to bottom. They're a very good baseball team. They got the managers. They got, you know, some great pitching. They got Jimenez and Robert, you know, great hitters in the middle of the lineup. Abreu, obviously, having another very solid season at 34 in the middle of the lineup. You got some young hitters. They're good defensively. So, yeah, I'm picking them to uh, come out of the AL. So I'm going to go. Unfortunately, yeah, I think the Dodgers will beat the White Sox in six games. Yeah, and I feel like now lately a lot of people are coming on the White Sox bandwagon as uh, going through a division where everybody is bad from the from the Royals to the Indians to the Twins and Detroit as well. I mean, it's interesting to see that. But um, I, I really appreciate it, David. Before we wrap this up, do you have – any shout-outs you want to give to anybody, and how can people reach out to you and talk Braves baseball on social media? Yeah, I mean, I guess no shout-outs. I mean, other than, you know, just thanking you for having me on the show and for uh, having a great program here that, you know, I enjoy. This is the third or fourth time I've been on with you, so I, I've, it's been been a great experience and, you know, enjoyable for me to, to be on here answering these questions and talking sports. But, yeah, I'm uh, I'm available on Facebook. I think it's David Krause or Instagram, at Daddy is my Instagram name, but yeah, I'm always down to talk sports, baseball, football, basketball, wrestling, MMA. I'm in all that stuff. That was some whip around of the teams in the MLB playoff field, and I enjoyed the opportunity to talk with everyone involved. With baseball being my favorite sport, this episode was a labor of love, and I look forward to doing it again next year. Next time, we'll have a special compilation episode featuring interviews with some of my previous guests about basketball, as we'll be doing a hoops deep dive with former hardwood ballers, including Courtney Keefe, Bree Jackson, Matthew Lang, Dayona Godwin, Greg Bosman Sr., and more. As always, all episodes of the Sports Refuge can be found wherever podcasts are heard, including Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, as well as on the Sports Refuge website. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of these apps and leave a mention, which we'll read on a future episode. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.